Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 353. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bix, fan and Bix. We got an interesting show this week, stuff we've talked about in, in previous shows, but uh, so this is one of those tying up the loose ends, in a way, show, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a fun discussion here at the beginning, that's for damn sure. Good NWA talk. But uh, how was your weekend in Atlantic City at GCW? Tiring. <laughs> well, I mean, I can expect that. Yeah. So, I mean, you had you had a uh, transportation issue I had seen, so you had that on top of. Well, I ended well. it ended up being fine. I mean, well, that's good. I got there during the first match. Um, but seriously, kudos to our bus though for the customer service. But. Um, yeah, a good time overall. Yeah, got got to see various people I hadn't seen since at least Hammerstein. Um, so that was fun. You know, it's been a good bit of time catching up with our dear friend Dave Prezak, MLJ, among others. So that was nice. Although <laughs> after the first show on Saturday, like the group that I was socializing with ended up being the unlikely foursome. Maybe not that unlikely, but still, it sounds weird on paper. So, just smoozing, it was me, Prezak, Kai McKenna, and Hoodfoot. One of those things is all like the other, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, draw the you can say you can you know draw your own conclusions as to which one was not like the other. <laughs> I, it, I don't know what you're talking Anywhere about. I was thinking could have fit in. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. So, but anyway, that's good that you uh, had that experience. Yeah. Now, also, over the weekend, our new Patreon show dropped at patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we look at part one of our multi-part series. don't know how many it's going to be, but it's going to be multi. On Titan Gate 92, all the scandals, all the salaciousness going on in Titan Sports in 1992, from the steroids to the regular recreational drugs to all the uh sexual stuff as well yes and uh, all that stuff and uh boy it was quite the show that's for sure uh we had clips of vince on larry king where bruno was involved and vince was uh combative on that show and then we go to donahue which was we played clips of the stuff we've never played before because we played the graham clips on the uh graham show so this is the beginning of that show the roundtable discussion between phil donahue vincent mann murray hodson tom hankins and barry orton which was explosive in its own way especially on murray hodson and vince so uh, quite the show and we have a lot of media stuff from that time period we only cover barely like a month well <laughs> so, don't not just that we cover about a month but we don't cover the first week of March 92 because we basically did that a few weeks ago on the main show. Yeah, so the main show, for those of you that uh It was 344, that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you can get it there. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's quite the show, quite the show. And uh, I saw at least one or two people on Twitter that were like talking about how the show was plugging the show, but we're doing this show, making money off of 
people being abused. Okay, did people actually... I didn't see any of this. We made a point of discussing this on the air when we decided to do this. Well... The, the only way we could do this would be to make it about the whole scandals. Uh, if it was just about... I mean, if it was just about the, the, that stuff, I would, I would not have done it. And I don't think you would have either. The thing is, is that, I mean, this is a subject that needs to be talked about. Yes. You know? I mean, it just is what it is. And there's a whole lot more to this. I mean, there's a whole lot more that we'll be talking about on the next show that gets into Vince Vince stuff with Rita Chatterton. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll be getting into all kinds of stuff on the next show. I mean, it's just, this is part of the story. It, I mean, it, it's a, a story that needs to be talked about. And a story that we talk about on that show that wasn't covered like it should have been covered because everybody was focusing on the drugs. Yes. I mean, it's a – yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There's no other way for us to cover it. Yeah. I mean, everybody back then was focused on the drugs. They didn't want to talk about it. I mean, listen to the Donnie show. They were laughing about it. The crowd. Because, you know, it was man on man and man on boy and stuff like that. And that – you know, it was funny to these people in 1992 in a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I mean it, it, it's definitely a show you need to listen to, folks, at uh, patreon.com slash twin sheets, five dollars a month. Yes, and yeah, we do have a free preview up uh, on at the end of last week's show, probably at the end of this show, maybe even by itself on the feed by this point, uh, going over uh, Phil Mushnick's article from two days after Donnie Hugh airs, where, which airs some very interesting things that Vince told him about what he knew or suspected or... Whatever, among other things, and be also becomes the focus of uh, Vince and WWF's lawsuit against Mushnick in the New York Post. Yeah. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Well, we are joined by a first-time guest this week. As uh, I try to figure out, you know, who would be a good guest to do uh, for this show that we're doing, and then... It came to me. Well, I know someone who hasn't been on that's been around a while. Try. I'm not trying to say you're old, but you've been around a while like us. And uh, it would be good for this show. Uh, comes highly recommended by a dear friend, John Muse. And, uh, by the way, real quick, I should actually yeah. say, because you said that, I made the exact same kind of mistake because, uh, you know, old uh, local New York uh, hot, free hotline veteran Nick Knowledge was at the shows this weekend and was sitting in on commentary with Kevin Gill having the flu. And when I said uh, – when I when Prazak introduced me to him and said – I was like, oh, yeah, you've been around forever. And I was like, no, not like that. <laughs> well, I mean, we're getting old. <laughs> what can I say? So – there's a lot of young folks that are around now, and uh, I've got to get that perspective. But anyway. Yes. I mean, literally, we, the week we're talking about is two Nick Wayne's <laughs> old. <laughs> yes, yeah, 32 years ago. Just imagine me doing the notes, you know, and then on stuff like this, and just think, oh my God. But anyway, we are joined by our friend, uh, uh, author. Writer, podcaster, all these things. We are joined by JD Oliva. JD, welcome to the show. Thanks. I feel way older than I felt twenty minutes ago. <laughs> get that get that AARP card ready, I guess, huh? That's what I feel. I got a little I got a six year old at home who makes me feel like I'm ah, still young, you know, still hanging out with those little guys hanging I coach at a high school, so I'm like, oh and then you know, you get those bitter reminders that no, you are in fact over forty and therefore <laughs> Uh, you're one step closer to death, so that's that's good. good <laughs> well, we age better now, so that is true. Thing. 
we age better now. We, you know, that's one good thing about all these preservatives and stuff. So, uh, so we're yeah, be, we're, we're, we're looking we're better. Be better than ever. We're going to look like King, King Tut someday. We're all going to be all <laughs> phenomenal looking corpses. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on guys. I've, I've been listening to this show for years and, uh, glad John recommended me cause I'm going to come real excited to talk about this. Yeah. And it's fun because it's funny because when I told Bix what it was, he thought John would be the a great guest for this show. I said, well, we got the next best thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. John's got such a great booking mind. I love talking about this stuff. Like he still, he'll message me these crazy ideas about things he has nowadays. Like his brain just functions in this booking space still. So it's, it's fun to kind of yeah. you know, play this role tonight. He does that with me too. <laughs> you know, he'll do. We'll we'll dissect my AEW booking. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love him. John's awesome. He's fantastic. Right. Yeah. So let's go back thirty-two years. Make for the week plus because we're tying up loose ends on timeline here. May the first through May the ninth of nineteen ninety. And we begin in the National Wrestling Alliance, where, oh, oh, oh boy, there's a whole lot going on here. In the build-up for the Ric Flair-Lex Luger cage match on May 19th, Bix. I, I didn't think to think about that. May 19th. For some reason, they've been trying to re-portray Luger, who's been portrayed as the favorite to win the title whenever his next chance were to come because of the uh, Russell War finish, as the underdog. Dave's not exactly sure the reason, since they spent all this time trying to portray Luger as having the title in his grasp, except for constant outside interference, and the cage is there to keep outside interference. Keep it out. But anyway, the reason both Jim Ross and Jim Cornette continually bring up listing Flair as the favorite is that Flair won one of his six world titles in a cage at the first arcade from Harley Race. But the truth is, as too many of us all too vividly remember, is that Flair actually has won two of his titles in cages. The other also came in a Star K, and forgettable Star K 87. The opponent was Ronnie Garvin. Don't even think for a second that either Cornette or Ross could possibly have exercised that fact from their minds, although they probably would have liked to. In fact, many would argue that racing the entire fourth quarter of 1987 from history would have been the best thing for the NWA, since that was a quarter where the bottom fell out, the problem started, which ultimately led to the sale of the company one year later. It appears they are ignoring that match. Then again, I would ignore that a WWF opening match wrestler was the NWA world champion just a few years ago. I guess that's why they did it, JD. It's because Garvin's in WWF and they didn't want to acknowledge, acknowledge that match. But, I mean, it's just two and a half years ago by this time. So it's yeah, still fresh. Yeah, it makes perfect sense because, again, like for many kid from the, the Midwest, I started as a WWE fan, WWF fan at the time, and I had no idea – that Ronnie Garvin was a world champion until I went back and started watching videotapes. And that, that blew my mind as a kid. So I get where they're coming from on that one. Well, the, the thing is, is that he was world champion for two months and he would appear on TV with the belt and even defend the title once on television. It's totally Blanchard. Although that was on a UWF show <laughs> of all things, but it was so nondescript. It was like Flair was still the champion, but he wasn't the champion. The way he was portrayed on television, and he gets the belt back here. But here's the Luger thing. So Flair and Luger have been going at it all year, basically, since February. And, um, I mean, Luger was – that was the whole deal with Luger was he was just this close away from winning the championship – 
you know, all these times for various reasons. And now they're putting him as the underdog. That's a weird turnaround. And this is before they have the new booker in place, who we'll talk about later on. So this is before all that. So it kind of makes you wonder who is the one that's driving this narrative change here. You know? Booker's named what, Chris? <laughs> well, he's not booking yet. I know, I know. Um... And, he, and he's not in charge. It's just, I mean, if Flair doesn't have that power no more, he's he's gone. So would it be Ross and Cornette, maybe, that's driving this? Or, I mean, whoever's... Just the revisionist history side of it, you mean? Or... Well, I mean, somebody's in charge this time, or is it Hurd? Or I mean, I don't know. Well, remember, Hurd's always in the booking meetings. But Hurd wants Luger to be the champion. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't so, have signed Ric Flair to a contract that gave him creative control over the belt then. <laughs> well, <laughs> can't change stuff in hindsight. <laughs> I wonder if this was done this way because Luger had failed so many times. So, I mean, at some point, you can't be the favorite if you keep losing, because this is basically a redo of what happens in 88, right? Where Luger just keeps coming up short. So, at some point, wouldn't he have to be considered the underdog? And wouldn't the underdog be the better, like, narrative story to kind of sell anyway? I don't know. It's just, I get where they're coming from, but it is, I, I can kind of see why. Because, again, Luger has fallen short of the world title so many times at this point. Well, wouldn't wouldn't the, wouldn't the you know, the narrative be... Last chance? Wouldn't that be the better one? Well, yeah, that would have been a much better narrative, but they didn't. That's not what they did. Clearly. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what that's the where I would have went. Where you know you're looking like, okay, Luger's definitely got to win now. It's his last chance. Maybe that's why they did because, because they would think didn't. that, yeah, because they knew that he wasn't going to win, and they didn't want to telegraph that, and the fans, you know, expect it and did not happen. Because that's a da- that is kind of a dangerous game to play in that's, booking. That's the know. Cody Rhodes thing, right? Is you say, well, I can never go for it again, and then you don't win, and then then what? Yeah, he right. regrets that, too. <laughs> hey, good reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. From the ML Curley wrestling column in the Detroit News over the weekend. No comment on ML Curley. Jim Hearn was reminded by his boss, Ted Turner, that NWA rules prohibit more than one cyborg at ringside during a world title match. <laughs> the reason is that two or more cyborgs at ringside would make a mockery of professional wrestling. <laughs> well, I mean, for a notorious child molester, he had a decent sense of humor. Yeah, he was pretty funny. Anyway, the big show is next weekend. Dave really thinks it's going to be a great show. Robocop notwithstanding. For reasons stated last week. That's the whole thing Dave did before, which I think we covered on a previous episode. But this week, another reason has been added. Apparently, soon on the pay-per-view show, the NWA is going to name a new booker. Not a head booker of a committee, but a singular booker. Dave's writing this before that happens, obviously. Who this booker will be hasn't been announced, and at press time, Dave's pretty certain the decision hasn't even been made. However, with the wrestlers all knowing that a new booker is coming in, one with it, just by every wrestler in the promotion will be trying like crazy to have their best match possible on the pay-per-view card, figuring that whomever the new boss is, is going to be analyzing the pay-per-view show closely. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Please don't remind Dave, it was obvious Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express were doing just that on the last pay-per-view, and it seemed that nobody with decision-making power noticed. So the dispute over breaking up the trio nearly led to them leaving the company. 
But all's well that ends well in that case. Wait, wait, wait. wait. How did it end well? (laughs) What? Because they ended up getting new contracts? Yeah. Okay. That's what Dave's looking at at the time, yeah. I mean, they didn't even really want to stay. Well, they got paid. Well, for a little while. Bobby got paid for a while. But yeah. Well, as for RoboCop, Dave's belief is the way the advertising this card has been done will hurt the buy rate. By the way, most likely a lesson will be learned. If it works, then fine, because NWA needs to expand its audience. Dave doesn't think it's going to work. In fact, he thinks the buy rate would be a disappointment. But the buy rate has nothing to do with the quality of the show. If the buy rate is bad, then this simply won't happen again, and hopefully a lesson will be learned. Last year with the Oak Ridge Boys, a lesson was learned. It was a mistake. It didn't stop every buys, and it would have hurt almost any other wrestling show except that show was so hot that Ed Whalen could have done play-by-play, and it still would have been a good show. <laughs> hey, if Ed Whalen and Jim Davies uh, was doing the uh, announcing for that show, it would have made it even better, in my opinion, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> uh, J.D., RoboCop. Um, an ambitious idea by the NWA to uh, go in this direction because that was not like them to do something like this and it backfired. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah. Well, this isn't, I could see where they kind of got this because a year before Vince does something similar in the WWF with Zeus, right? It's a movie character like but at least a human being it is a human being it is a human being but again this is the wcw like you guys say wcw is like they're like what is wwf doing let's just copy them let's bring in a movie guy like and it does makes absolutely no sense because it's not even peter weller as robocop it's just the other it's robocop and it doesn't make well it was the stuntman it was the stuntman because it's a fitted suit right the stuntman yeah but it's not like they had him like the guy who played RoboCop is coming in. They're actually selling you on that it's RoboCop. And it's not like this would be the last time they would do something like this. Right. They did it with Chucky years later and WWE just did zombies <laughs> here. Was it a year or two ago? I forget. Like I, this stuff infects wrestling sometimes. And I understand why they thought it would work. They were clearly trying to appeal to kids like our age that are loving the RoboCop movies, even if they're probably a little too old for us. But, you know, it's part of the charm of it. Like, I get I get the thinking behind it, but it's. It's so bad. And then when you see what actually happens on the show, it's even worse. I just it, it <laughs> can't even describe how terrible it wound up. Horrible. You know, and I'm not almost 11 at this time. So I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm in that stage where I'm, you know, I'm getting I'm about to become a teenager. Right. But, I'm uh, about five and I a mean, half. But the but RoboCop is like, I mean. It's like, what is it? What's going on here? Why is this? Why is this on my wrestling? And I like RoboCop. Hell, I had the RoboCop action figure, but I just it's like, what? What is this? You know, I mean, th- I don't want this in my NWA. This is not uh, if WWF. Okay, I get it, but not here. <laughs> you know, it's that it's that thing where the competition doesn't have to be like WWF WWE. You know, we don't have to do what they do and be, it, because we, you'll come off as a lesser version of it in that way, like this. But that that's the flaw of the whole herd era of WCW is what's Vince doing? Let's try to mirror that and do a worse job, right? They never 
Like they could never really figure out what they wanted to be for years. Like, are we the alternative? Are we going to do exactly what they do? And they kind of walk back and forth between both places for a good majority of this company's existence. And you wind up with RoboCop on your screen. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but here we are. And I'm sure they got a nice little, I'm sure Turner got a nice little check out of it, but. Well, they had, they had skin in the game because, um, oh, what's the company? What's the, the. Was, the, Orion, was it Orion? Orion, yeah. yeah, Orion, and that wasn't that part of the family. So was it? I, I buy that. Okay, I think, I think there was something there. There was there was some skin in the game, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's what we talked about in the show before with Dusty. When Dusty gets brought in, you know, in '91, he's been in the WWF, and Herb wants him to bring his version of WWF here. And it gets worse, yeah. Oz and all that stuff. So crazy. You know, Great. looking at the looking at the buy rates, it drew 160,000 buys. It wasn't terrible. You know, it did no. outperform Starcade from that year from the year before, so it wasn't like a tremendous failure. But I don't know if it was, you could call it a success either. That may be down. damning with faint praise because that Starcade <laughs> show was so much of a confusing Awful. deal. Yeah. Awful. But it doesn't draw. I mean, like it's down from from Wrestle War '90. You know, the, the was it three months before? So I mean, it's yeah. not. But it's not like a tremendous failure or anything like that. No, it's not a failure by any means, but yeah, it's just like they, they put all their money in RoboCop and then all he does is that little skip with the door off the cage, <laughs> which was so fucking fake. So I mean, it's just horrible. It's just terrible wrestling moment. Terrible. And watching the horseman, you know, act, act, acting like, uh, you know, cartoon, you know, silent movie cartoon heels there making facial expressions and selling it. It's like, come on, you know, but anyway, we know what happens. All right. So Dave has more on the booking job here. Now, again, like I said, this is the observer that we're talking about here. Dave, this is before Dave knows who the booker is. This is before, you know, that's announced. So we're going to have the preamble and then Steve Beverly is going to come in with the timeline. All right, word has it that the NWA will be officially announcing a new booker towards the end of this month. No definite date for the announcement. Many expect it as soon as May 20th in Atlanta or May 22nd, when the NWA does its first, first post-preview television taping in Ozark, Alabama. Speculation is running rampant as to who new, new booker will be. According to one source within the company, the job was offered to Jim Crockett, who turned it down. Bill Watts was flown in during the middle of the past week and had a meeting and or meetings with Jim Hurd. Apparently, there were plenty of things that needed to be ironed out. Apparently, Watts wanted more control over the company than the company wanted to give him, and the size didn't agree on the money figure. But Watts is apparently the front-runner for the position. Hurd apparently flew to Texas later in the week to meet with Jerry Jarrett. No word on what came out of that meeting. Jerry Lawler's name has also been bandied about. There was a lot of talking on the wrestlers over the weekend that the leading candidate was Dusty Rhodes. Supposedly, Rose is denying anyone that asks he's even interested in the job. The one factor that might make Rose more palatable this time around is that he was last time is that TBS has decreed that whomever they pick will not be allowed to be an active performer. One of the problems with Rose during the class of the NWA in 1987 through 88 was, of course, his relentless self-push. However, that wasn't the only problem either. While there were people who were talking as of late as Monday that Rose is leading candidate, he does appear right now to be a long shot. Rose didn't exactly leave the company on the best of terms last year. There would also be considerable fear slash resentment among me and the company if Rose were to be hired. Another name that's come up is Greg Gagne. 
But again, that sounds like a real long shot at best. There's good and bad in every choice. Regarding Watts, there definitely is both. There are a lot of people within the promotion, both in the office and wrestlers, who think Watts would give the promotion badly needed stability. The choice, if made at the onset, would probably be popular at most, even though Watts' name certainly is controversial within the business. If you ever watch tapes of the old Mid-South television shows from the mid-80s, you'll realize that it isn't a case of remembering things as better than they were. Those old shows were more exciting, unpredictable, and dramatic than any wrestling on television today. And even though Watts generally had a good stable of talent in his promotion, he never had a stable of experienced, top-quality workers, as this NWA will have come this summer if the current crew stays healthy and nobody key quits. And the additions of Sting, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, Brad Armstrong, and, well, Sid Vicious is a potential great attraction, if nothing else materializes. At the same time, many of Watts' most successful angles of the past may not have been able to get out of the box today. Dave doesn't th- think a Ted Turner on company is going to allow us wrestling promotion to base all the heel drama around xenophobic ideals. It'll be hard to get free-flowing juice. Remember, Watts has been in the business since 1987, and his best year as promoter was back in 1984. The business has changed tremendously. This isn't to say he can't adapt. Just say things are a lot different, and the wrestling environment's a lot different than in the heyday of Mid-South wrestling. In Mid-South, even in his heyday, was a reason for motion, which relied on a much higher believability factor than would be possible to get from today's fans. It is always said that Mid-South in the mid-80s was the last territory in which most of the fans actually believed the wrestling was real. And fake wrestling has never been able to draw on that part of the country, even though it's been successful elsewhere. We'll stop right here real quick on that one, J.D. Um... You know, that's the thing about Watts. You know, God, we all love Mid-South. It was, like Dave said, some of the best wrestling television you'll ever want, you'll ever see. But he brings up the great point. It worked in its region of the country. And it's, it was a regional promotion. And then when they went national, quote-unquote, with Universal Wrestling Federation, they didn't do as good. And then there's different you know people in charge of booking. Ken Mantel's booking at that time. And doing a lot of different stuff. But who's to say that what Watts could have done would have worked on a national level in national promotion? I mean, it is a risk to take at this point in time. But uh, it's interesting reading this from in 1990, isn't it? Oh, especially when we know what's going to happen in 92 when he does come in. And he's even – because I'd even argue that wrestling in 92 has changed dramatically from where we are here. Yes, Absolutely. Like, so maybe it works a little bit better here, but I think Dave's got a point is that we don't, I don't think that what Watts's ideas would have necessarily fit in 1990 either, especially because the voice that's interesting is everyone pushed, wanted Watts to be the booker, even though Watts didn't book the territory himself that he ran, he was smart he was enough Dundee. to, right. It was Dundee was the 84. I did a, I did a piece for, for WrestleJoy about one episode of Mid-South Wrestling that I thought was just like the greatest episode ever for March of 84. Like it was just of just wrestling TV in general. And it wasn't really like he's guiding the ship, but I mean, it's very clearly Dundee's stories. And, you know, he always had a good booker ahead of him. So I imagine he would have had a committee or something, but just knowing what we know, and it seems like the writing is kind of on the wall that maybe this isn't a good idea. I just, I get why, because who else could do the job? But it just it just it seems like the more you're away from this business, the less you the less you really get it. And by two years later, he's already gone, man. And those those WCW episodes, and you go back and look at them, they're they're not that good. <laughs> they're not that good, man. And it's hard to uh, it's hard to watch, especially with the style of wrestling at the time. That was cool because you know I didn't want to see Jushin Liger not jumping off the top rope. 
But but you know what? The, 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 to be fair to watch, though, like we've said on the show, though, too, by the end of his run, it seemed like he was kind of getting there. He was he, he was adapting and getting better. It just That's happened true. too late for him. Mm-hmm. But well, the, the funny thing here, Bix, is that Dave talking about how xenophobia wouldn't work at that point in time. Oh, just waiting a few months, Dave. <laughs> Well, it's going to have it all for you. <laughs> I mean, it didn't. It didn't work anyway. But also, regardless, uh, instead of xenophobia, with Oli, we get racism. Well, yeah, but that's different. Though. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting reading Dave. You know, doing the lay of the land on Watts here, saying you know, for being out for three years this time, considering the five years that's coming up when he shows back up at ninety two, and how. He still talks about, talks about like that, but it was some type of guarded optimism, at least, from him and others that Watts was going to make it work. Chris, I have a question that maybe you could answer this that I've always wondered. Because it says here that what's really stinking Watts is he wants more control of the company. And when he does get into 92, he's like obsessed with cutting the budget, right? And no one else that ran WCW seemed to have that as their number one focus, Right. Like Eric Bishop seemed to be spending money perfectly fine with it. But just why was Watts so interested in cutting costs? Was that a, was that from Turner or is that just Watts being Watts? Well, Bischoff did. Though. Bischoff, at the beginning, he did. And then once he got it down when they were making money, then he was spending money. OK, well, because also so then, re- yeah, remember the- one of the first things Bischoff did once he really had strong control was to cut down the house shows. The house shows. Yeah. Yeah, so Bischoff did, but I think Watts, Watts didn't. I, I think he was more comfortable running a promotion that didn't spend the money like that because that's what he did. You know, I, I think it's more of a comfort level than anything else on his end. You know, I mean, I could be wrong on that, but that's that's kind of what I think is that he knows what he knows, and he doesn't know how to run a multi million almost billion dollar company at this point in time so yeah i mean he just goes with what he knows what he's familiar with because i mean it's running a national wrestling promotion that's owned by a, a television conglomerate is much different than owning your own regional wrestling territory yeah. which goes to show why it wouldn't work that just exactly yeah exactly um but i mean <sighs> That's the thing. If he was coming in as just the booker, that's a whole different story. And if all he's doing is creative, that's different. But he won't control the business. Yeah, that's that's a you know, that's a that's a tough factor to deal with. And they knew that. I think that's why Herman Hurd played had that hardball game because her knew that Watts couldn't handle that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now all of that said, what was last Watts's last run? as just the booker anywhere before this. The Georgia run he did early on in Mid-South's existence? Yeah, 1980 Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Was he before or after Fuller? He's before. Okay. Fuller replaces Watts. Watts Watts is the booker for the the Dusty Dolly thing. Yeah, he Watts is the booker. So, yeah, I mean, but he had... Even though he wasn't the booker in Mid South, it's like Vince, right? You know, he 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 had the control. He 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 could. I mean, everything had to be pretty much run by him. He You're still approved. coloring in his lines, mm-hmm. exactly. 
Exactly. It's like Vincent. It's like you know the McMahon Russo. You know, you know or the, the, even, how that power uh, went. Or even the last Heyman run, where you could tell he was trying to do things, but that it was an older, more mature, politically wiser Heyman who was very specifically trying to do what he could within Vince McMahon's vision. And it was working until USA Network put the kibosh on it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that, that, you know, that people forget about that. Those shows were you pretty know? good. <laughs> they were really good. <laughs> but USA Network, you know, says this isn't working for us, brother. And uh, told Vince that they need ma- he needed to make a move. Yeah, crazy. Alright, so back to Watts. On the plus side, for Watts, is that his television shows were consistently some of the highest rated wrestling shows around, and are generally considered the best of their era. Watts also did a good job in developing young talent. The most improved wrestlers almost every year consistently came from Mid-South Wrestling. This is one key advantage over Jared, who has had many of the today's best young attractions, Scott Steiner, Mean Mark, Sid Vicious, Great Muda, and was never able to get any of them over, nor develop their potential. Well, Jared, just not the booker, either. Well, also, he didn't have great Muda. Yeah, he did. When? Dallas. That was Jared? That wasn't... That was Jared, world-class, super-blight ninja, absolutely. That's right, it's end of very end of 88, beginning of 89. That's right. I I had the time mixed up a little bit in my head. Okay. Um, But that also kind of misses the point, I think, of what Memphis had turned into for young talent in this era. Yeah, but it's also, again, though, um, Dave is trying to make an argument, I guess, about culture. Jerry Jarrett wasn't dictating the culture in his promotion. Bill Watts was. Yes. Yeah, no, Jerry Jarrett's not the booker for any of that. Well, I'm just saying, but neither neither was Watts. But Watts... But Watts Watts had a firmer hand, yes. Exactly, yes. Yes. So, but Jerry Jarrett did book. Oh, absolutely, he was booking. You know, they split it up, him and Lawler. So there, I mean, he was booking, but it well, was... Well, not in Dallas, though. Uh, no, that was Embry. Yeah. But, you know, the, that, the Memphis names that are mentioned here, yes, it, at times Jerry was the booker, but still, it's different. He's not Bill Watts. Completely different completely different human beings watts would kind of come in and rule with an iron fist and it seemed like jared let guys have some room a little bit you know well i mean yeah he had other things specifically yeah yeah he had other things going on he was more worried about the business side of things right watts had uh his people doing his business side of things like jack curtis right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then ron west after ronnie west yeah exactly all right uh Let's see here. I put uh, the cursor there. Yeah, I see that now. Watts was successful in grooming and getting over a lot of new talent. Didn't have a reputation coming in. At the same time, he didn't have a magic wand either. Remember the snowman, Savannah Jack, bad Leroy Brown. Remember that at the time Watts finally went national in '87. As champions were the likes of One Man Gang as singles champion, Savannah Jack as TV champion, Wild Brother and Leroy Brown as tag champions, and the hillside of all around a Data Scandor at bar. That's Ken Mantel Day. <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's be honest with that one. That's Kim Mantel. And by that point in time, we talked about this before, Bix. I mean, Watts was, was starting to get checked out. Yeah. By some point in January 87, it's Jim Ross running the company and Eddie Gilbert booking. 
or it's a little later for Eddie, but still, Watch Watch checks out, and then eventually Eddie replaces Mantel. Yeah. While Watts' assistants produced the best television shows of their era, they also were only doing two shows per week. Actually, during much of their heyday, they were only doing one actual syndicated show like shows are today. The second show was simply videos and matches from assorted arenas. Later became two hot syndicated shows. It's a lot easier putting together two hot hours of television per week than putting together six to seven hours of television per week. While the TV advertising is an important income source for the NWA, it's also a cash 22 that's killing them at the same time. Adding WGN to the lineup this summer, reportedly with $180,000 per year price tag, to go along with four hours on TBS each week and two syndicated shows makes seven hours. If you reduce seven hot hours of television each week, it's awfully hard to leave anything for the house shows because you're giving so much away. Because the television isn't hot and it's mainly squashes, the shows become boring and the time becomes stale and overexposed to the serious fan. The product looks like it does right now. That the syndicated shows just seem like they're being grinded out to fill time. That doesn't produce the fun atmosphere TV needs to portray to get fans to the promotion. Well, Dave obviously doesn't know at this point in time that WGN is going to be NWA Pro, just Chicago-based. You know, the same show, but Chicago wraparounds, Chicago-specific announcing. So he's probably thinking it's going to be an all-new show. You know, but that's not the case. But still, J.D., I mean, that's the one thing. Yeah, I mean, WF, they got Superstars and Challenge. That's two hours. All-American is a recap show, basically, of those two shows. And Primetime Wrestling, which kind of is a recap show, and we've added new matches mixed in. So basically, they're only producing two real first-run hours a week, while the NWA has got Pro, Worldwide, Power Hour, World Championship Wrestling, and Main Event. They're producing so much content in this era. We talk about... We talk about how hard it is to keep like wrestling today interesting. That's only two shows in the WWE and two shows in AEW, right? This is so much content. Dave's got a point because I remember being a kid watching in the mid '90s, and it was boring before the Monday Night Wars thing started. Like it was just all squashes and some angles, right? Like at least the, at least when you watched WCW, it was a fun show, even if it was bad sometimes. You know, like stuff would happen and it would be at least more interesting. But I, I get. I get where he's coming from. Like it definitely, and considering the marketplace today is so different, it seems like the two hot hours of TV is the way to go, you know? And the thing is, is that there's a way to do this to make it work, but they decided to go in direction where like the syndicated show, you know, and we talk about this a lot too. The syndicated show universe is differently than the TBS universe. That never makes sense. How I don't, I don't, I don't get how you can function like that. Like even talking about just building your promotion, like narratively speaking, how can you keep all those balls juggling in the, and the answer is you don't, that's why it didn't work. But I mean, like, it just seems like such a nightmare. It must've been an artifact of that idea they had early on of the separate TBS and syndication hosts and producers. That's Jim Hurd. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and Jeff Carr. Uh, yeah, that too. But, you know, I mean, wouldn't it have been for the best to maybe have separate bookers or creative for these shows? That that if you're going to do it that way, to maybe, ha- like I said, have somebody be in charge of syndicated, have somebody be in charge of TBS. And just, here's the thing, though, just use talent do like a like an early 
version of a brand split. Well, I wouldn't even say where that. Where you have certain t- certain talent working syndicated, certain talent working TBS, and then you know alternate them out. Well, what? Here's the thing you're missing, though. And they really didn't do this anyway. The syndicated shows should have been, if you're gonna have them, it should be produced in a way that's gonna drive people to house shows, which it wasn't at all. But the thing is, is look how they, they how they promoted house shows at this time. I mean, that's a whole nother problem. You could you could have TV like crazy, but uh, sure. You know the the way they were promoting house shows, they couldn't have succeeded anyway. Because we're in a dying glass era of, of house shows. We haven't. I don't think we've hit Easter yet. I could be wrong. Has Easter 1990 happened by this point in time? I think so. Let me see. Easter 1990. April 17th. Mm-hmm. No, wait a minute. April 15th. Yeah. So At yeah. Hemisphere so Don, arena. Don glass yeah. Easter in San Antonio has already happened. But still, I mean, this is crazy. All right. Here we go, folks. Steve Beverly, Matt Watch, and let's go day by day. Now, he was on a two-week sabbatical during all this. Um, he had put out the – he had done a Matt Watch the week before our week and said he wasn't going to be back for two weeks. He was – I don't know if he's gone on vacation or where he was going. So he comes back two weeks later and has a long timeline about the events that played out during our week starting on May the 3rd. Yes, and so that, this so, is one of our favorite Matt Watch things, too, when he does these little TikToks of a big story, especially in WCW. All right, so let's start. As of the morning of May 3rd, Matt Watch spoke to Jack Petrick, who told us at the time that Bill Watts had not been eliminated, but concerns were made over the content of his past wrestling shows, which once topped national cable ratings in its old Mid-South format. But Petrick alluded to a number of other candidates who were either under consideration or had been suggested by others in the company. The list included Dusty Rhodes, J.J. Dillon, Ted DiBiase, Vern Gagne, Greg Gagne, and Jerry Jarrett. Petrick was asked about the names of Lynn Denton, Portland, and Roddy Piper, who was instrumental in reviving Portland, Jerry Lawler, and Bill Dundee, both USW and experienced bookers. Petrick said, I don't think Piper would have the kind of long-term commitment necessary to do this job. As for Lynn Denton, Petrick said his name had been mentioned in passing. Well, he was not specific on Dusty, who had been fired by TBS's Booker in December 1988. Insiders believe that Jim Crockett was openly pushing either Dusty Rhodes or J.J. Dillon. Shocking, isn't it, folks? As for DiBiase, Petrick said he doesn't know if Ted has ever done this before, but if someone suggested to him all these people had to do it for the first time somewhere, he may just have the ideas we're looking for if he were interested. Matt watched contact the several insiders, and none could ever remember a DiBiase sent as a booker, but a number felt he may be a quality candidate, one saying he likely would not be a selfish booker. One thing Petrick insisted was that this time the booker would indeed not be an active wrestler, a vow the company has backed off from when the committee was formed and when Flair later assumed the duties. Um... I think the safe assumption is that this Ted DiBiase thing is someone calling Terry Funk, asking him if he wants the job, Terry saying no, and asking him for suggestions, right? I mean, it's possible. I just don't see any other way his name comes up. But could this also be them talking to DiBiase 
about being a booker. As but an incentive a, to get him to come no, in as a wrestler? Or, well, no, he wouldn't be a wrestler. No, well, close, no, close, close, no, no. Hear me out. Smokescreen. WWF lets him go because they think he's going to be a booker, but then he comes in and wrestles. Uh, I don't know if I trust the 1990 WCW brain trust to be that sort. <laughs> well, I mean, I could see Jack Peacher maybe thinking that. Heard? I don't know. But here we go. I mean... We're just one day in in this story, basically. And here's we have all these quotes from Jack Peacher to Steve Beverly. This DiBiase thing is fascinating because, again, he's so entrenched in WWF at the moment, right? And then what we know— He's feuding with Dusty! Yeah, exactly! <laughs> like, that, that's what makes—again, talking to Dusty. I get them talking to Dusty. That makes sense because it's Dusty, but the DiBiase thing is wild. And in retrospect— do you think DiBiase would have made a good booker because he was not a very good manager and probably an even worse color commentator? It doesn't seem like he – and from what they said behind the scenes as an agent, not great either. It doesn't seem like he ever excelled in these you know, non-performer roles. It's interesting. Who knows? I mean you, you would think that he would have the pedigree considering who he was around his whole career you know, and who his mentors were, who his friends were. You would think that he could, but he never did it, you know? So who knows what he could have done? I wish somebody would ask him, you know? I mean, who, both, you know, these senior interviewers, they they probably don't know this story, but, you know, somebody sees him along the way, ask him, say, hey, did you ever consider maybe booking, you know, something like that? You know, I mean, who knows what he could have done? He could have been successful at it. Hmm. We don't know. It's like in Peter said. You know, somebody has to start out somewhere, but not a national wrestling promotion. I don't think that's the right, you know, breeding ground for a brand new booker. Although we've seen it, you know, over the years, but I don't think so. But uh, interesting stuff so far. Let's continue. At this time, as of May the 3rd, it appears a serious interest is focusing on Jerry Jarrett. The USWA owner, who Sid Vicious, Mark Callis, and Scott Steiner have become star performers for the NWA in last year. Also, at this time, Ole Anderson's name is not even on the list. And one source told Matt Watch that Bill Watts had been shown a list of people the NWA wanted axed, and Ole was reportedly one of them. Watts was non-committal on that list. So how about that? That we're at May 3rd, at this point in time, Ole Anderson's on a list of people they won't cut. Crazy. Let's continue. The following is an account given to Matt Watch on the days of May the 4th through the 5th. Jim Hurd flew to Dallas to meet with Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler. Lawler had been informed of the possibilities and was very interested. However, the meeting turned into a proposal for a merger of the NWA with the USWA and the AWA. A similar deal would be pitched to Vern Gagne the next night in St. Paul. Jarrett and Lawler would have been provided front office jobs. Matt Watch has been told in exchange for the NWA taking over the smaller groups and their TV time periods. Jarrett was not impressed. He counterproposed a $4.5 million asking price for his promotion. As a source close to Jarrett told us, Jarrett felt the deal was only going to benefit the NWA and he was going to get nothing out of it but an office job. And he wasn't going for that. In fact, Jarrett reportedly called Vern Gagne, with whom relations have been sour. This is a blow-up over payoffs from the ill-fated Superclass 3 pay-review of December 1988, 
in which Lawler won the unified AWA World Class World Title Belt, later stripped from him by Ganya in the AWA, but retained it in the Jarrett group. Jarrett was told a lot the NWA Red Ink came from expensive startup costs, including the actual purchase of Jim Clark Promotions, increased production expenses for Clash of the Champion specials, and buying of talent contracts. The USWA owner was given a figure of $4 million as an actual operating deficit. An initial press release at the time of the company's purchase in The Hollywood Reporter called the Turner Crockett Union an eight-figure deal. Crockett reportedly still holds 35% interest. So that's interesting. Here, what they're saying is that, allegedly, most of the losses at this point are Turner bullshit, where they basically did a, like, they kind of did what private equity firms do now, where they put all of the costs on the, of the acquisition on the books of what they were acquiring. Mm-hmm. And after everything we've learned about Turner Broadcasting Accounting, does this shock anyone? No. <laughs> this is right up their alley. Yeah, by the way, to be clear, when you hear people, because it, it's a little complicated if you haven't read up on it. If you hear people talking about private equity vampires and sucking the life out of companies and everything that happened with Toys R Us and all that, that's what they're talking about. That they will get these heavily leveraged buyouts and then put all the debt from the process on the company that they bought. Mm -hmm. Which is fucked up. Very fucked up. Why would they want to buy the NWA? Why would they want to buy the AWA and USWA? Television. Yes. television. The television? Absolutely. They wanted all those, they wanted all those uh, slots. Absolutely. Well, also remember, the same company is selling the syndicate, the ad slots for the syndication for both WCW and USWA. That's right. Action Media Group. And mm -hmm. we're even selling a package where you could buy across both syndicated ne syndication networks. You could buy mm -hmm. the Wrestling Network for the WCW shows. You could buy the USWA Network for the USWA shows and CW... Well, excuse me, no more CWA, all USWA. Or you could buy ads on TWN+, Plus, which was across everything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, how about this meeting, you know, where they're – I mean, Lawler's going in thinking it's going to – maybe he's going to be offered a, a job as the booker, and then they're like, well, we want to buy you. <laughs> you still have jobs. You'll have desk jobs, but we want to buy your company. Uh, no. <laughs> That's not what we was thinking about here. And how about Jerry Jarrett? And Jerry Jarrett being the smart businessman he is, okay, $4.5 million. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fuck you deal. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is. And um, I don't blame him. But no, 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 no. That's not what the $4 million was. No, 4.5. No, yeah, he asked for $4.5 Hold on. I missed that line then. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, okay. I had the I had the $4 million deficit line in front of me when I was scrolling. That's why I got confused. Okay, yeah, go he counterproposed the $4.5 And how about him calling Vern and giving him the Iggy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, speaking of, Matt Watch has not been able to learn the specifics of the Jared Ganya conversation. The next night on the AWA card in which Ric Flair defeated Brian Pillman in a 40-minute match, an AWA insider was telling people that the Ganyas are going to work for the NWA, and the return NWA-AWA combined show will be scheduled for June 23rd, which we'll have more on that show later on this show. 
right. In addition, a proposal had been discussed. Whether this was told to Hurd is uncertain, but it had to be in, apparently tossed around the AWA office for Larry and Sabisco to turn Babyface as AWA champion to prepare for a unification match against Flair, a scenario which could change if Luger won the NWA belt at Capital Combat. However, the evening of May the 6th, Matt Watts received a phone call indicating a majority of NWA wrestlers were under the impression that Dusty Rhodes was definitely returning as the booker. Several, the source said, was extremely nervous. Matt Watts told several different stories in the Rhodes situation. One, he felt he would get a, the call and stay by the phone until May the 8th when he learned it would not be him. Then suddenly recovered enough from his recent injury to return to WF action. We'll have more on that later. Rhodes, two, Rhodes would not take any phone calls from the NWA. And three, he was never seriously considered by Jack Petrick. So, this is Steve Beverling, as his wrestler sources, put two and two together. Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Gotta be. Wouldn't you think so, Bix? All right, let's, okay, let me look over this again. Okay, so specifically oh no it looks like it's dusty and everyone's real nervous yeah that sounds like eddie <laughs> even though wouldn't eddie gilbert be happy with that because dusty and dusty liked eddie dusty brought him in you know dusty kept under, him he, as booking the uwf shows yeah and then he brought him back in 88 you know he dusty's the booker when he comes yeah, back in. but I mean, remember, and, Eddie also would have his issues towards Crockett when he shouldn't have really had issues towards Crockett either. I mean, beyond just the UWF stuff. But it was never any wor- anything about D- Dusty and Eddie having problems. Sure, sure, sure. It was Flair and Eddie, you know, whatever. So, but yes, we'll talk about it in the WF section. During this time period where Dusty is being rumored to be the possibly the new booker of the NWA, he's injured. Quote, unquote. Missing shows. And then after only gets named as the booker, he magically returns. What a, what a coincidence. Very. All right. think, so do you think Go this ahead. was just Eddie Gilbert stirring the pot and there was nothing really to this? Or do you think this is just a lot of rumors that just got out of control? Because these three scenarios are all very different. It's, it's wrestlers. Yeah. Telephone, telegraph, tell wrestler. Exactly. It's wrestlers and their paranoia. In a lot of ways. Hmm. All right. The day of May the 8th, the wind shifted. And for unknown reasons, the deal with the AWA, if it ever was near certainty, fell apart. Then, NWA insiders below the executive level were being told that Bill Watts had settled his differences and would be coming in as the booker. A story Matt Watts had been assured three days earlier was a dead issue. Late in the afternoon of May the 9th, a memo was published in the NWA office announcing Ole Anderson as the selection. Vern Gagne was called and told the June 23rd date was off and the proposed union was unproposed. Meaning it's done. Ole's choice totally stunned the promotion and the wrestling hardcores. Since returning to the NWA last fall, Ole has been openly critical of TBS and heard as non-wrestling entities. Earlier this year, he dropped off the booking committee to which he was appointed by Ric Flair. The promotion was insistent he leave the ring at the Russell Ward 90. When quizzed as to why Ole was picked, one insider close to the NWA, but not employed by the promotion, offered an independent view. It's getting so bad, the fact is nobody wants to take the job. Would you? Considering the fact that it's been less than the most secure place to work? Okay. Let, let me... Joe let me... Thank you, Joe Pettacino. 
See, that's not who I was thinking. I was thinking Terry Funk. Either or. Hmm. <laughs> Either or. But it's Matt Watch in 1990. It can be either and it sounds like it could it, it's a quote that sounds like it could kind of be either of them but it's is it crazy to think that th- that six days earlier he was on a list of people shown to bill watts to be fired and now he's the booker what changed and, you know and it's the same and he's uh, like the, like steve says here the same guy that's been highly critical of them and her in particular do you think that's why he might have gotten it though? Because he wouldn't come off as a yes man? You think that's how it could have been sold to them? Because I was trying to figure this whole thing is baffling. Like, why would you hire this guy who himself hasn't been a booker in a long time, like close to what seventy years? Like, why? And he's he's Ole Anderson. Like, the man. Like, why? Why did this happen? And all I could think is maybe he sold it as I'm not going to be a yes man. I'm going to tell you what it is. I. I think that Ole probably used his connections at TBS to get the deal done. That's what I'm thinking. Hmm. I, I I think that somebody at TBS may have – well, either that or somebody at TBS is like, this is going nowhere. We know we know Ole. We know he can – we know he can do a job. We'll put him in charge. I also wonder since – Heard was listening to him in the acrimony there. Where did Jim Barnett fit into this? Exactly. Because mm. there's a long time heat there. Exactly. Yeah, and you would think Jim Barnett, being the power player he is, would not have, uh, you know, gone to bat for Ole either. So it kind of makes you wonder if Ole may have pulled a card, you know, going up higher than Petrick and Heard. You know, because Ole... Oh, you know, he knew Ted, you know, he knew Ted very well. He knew those people that was, was, was in that power, power structure of of TBS at that time period, because hell, I mean, he had his own promotion on TBS, you know, six years earlier. So, and some of those folks are still around at this point in time. Not all of them, but some of them are. So... We we really don't know who made that decision to hire him, you know? Which kind of makes me wonder, was it, instead of Ole trying to get the job, was it offered to him? Did they say, will you just take this? Because when Ole does take the job, it's not like there's a great rush of creativity that comes from him after this. Like, what happens after is not like, it's not good. Like, we're dealt, we're dealt with like months of the Black Scorpion and all that garbage, which had no plan. So was this just a case of we don't want to hire anybody else? Will you please do this? Well, the thing is, is that it's the day after supposedly there was more optimism that Watts was going to take the job. Yeah, but they don't want – like it seemed like they didn't want Watts to begin with, right? They were afraid of what Watts would do, what Watts eventually did do, right? Well, here's, here's, another th- here's another thing too is that you know we have Dave's reporting before – this is all this is going on is that they were going to announce it later in the month why are they making this rush decision then i mean the pay-per-view is coming up so why are you rushing this decision of hiring a new new booker before your pay-per-view you know yeah it's weird man very weird i I mean i wish i wish we had a clear story on this one this is why we need a nitro book before nitro Mm mm-hmm 
of WCW from 89 to 95. We need that type of book to let us know what the hell was going on. Yeah, we need you know? whoever was the, uh, unless it was the same guy, the, the Dick Cheatham of that era. Well, we just need the people that, you know, that that's what I mean, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that level of granularity in terms of who who the author talks to at Turner, or that was at Turner, I should say. Yeah. All right, so Ole Anderson now has to address the key problem. Bring a lot of hot angles, some of which will work. We're back to Dave now. Increase attendance and give a false enthusiasm that the corner's being turned, just as the post-preview gates for Flair and Luger were a false high, based on the fact the promotion was turning around, but instead because the finish of the Greensboro match got people to buy tickets for house shows, figuring the title was going to change hands. That doesn't hurt, but that doesn't address or solve the real problem. The biggest problem is still the company has to decide on a long-term course. It has to be realistic and not panic when the bumpy roads come. The company has to decide if it's major league or not. They have a base of talent good enough for a major league promotion. They have cable exposure more than good enough. Syndicated is still weak in a lot of major markets. Wrestlers are on a salary structure that's major league. But the promotion execution of house shows isn't major league. Major League means something means competing with Vince McMahon. That requires getting his stars over celebrities to more than just hardcore wrestling fans. It requires television that not only has decent product, but more important, visually looks like a product superior to the competition. WF already has two huge advantages, both being the incumbent major league promotion with a fan base and reputation built over the past few years, and also being based and having a strongholds in the largest media markets. Getting to be a new stronger local promotion for his house shows including localized interviews on television that are better than those of the competition getting over the top matches specific to the market. It requires letting the fans not only know who is wrestling, but why they are wrestling and getting over the stipulations, which they do a poor job of, and those advertised have to appear. These are very legit reasons for most of the no-shows, but the frequency of them somehow has to be under control and something done about them. Maybe giving guys more days off, but being stricter when they miss bookings. One or two no-shows, especially in prelims, is acceptable to most fans. Three and four or more are not, no matter what the reason. It makes promotion appear disorganized or untruthful. Right now, the company is, not, is too big to be small and makes too many mistakes without correcting them, nor has the staff to be too big. The middle position is a losing position. And yeah. they do none of these things. They do none of these things. It's so unstable. The stability, stability is the most important thing to, in all this to me, even more than, than the promoting of house shows. If you're not stable, then you can't do anything. That's the most important thing. You have to show stability. And, you know, they put the title on Sting, and that, that should have been right there, the, t- the corner turn, right there. You finally put the belt on him. He goes over Flair. You have his Bayface champion. And then they just fucking, you know, tr- you know, just book like shit after that black scorpion bullshit and everything like that. Just a total clusterfuck and, and really hurt his first reign as champion when he should have been riding high as champion. Well, well that's I always hear from people. Sting never drew as the champion. I'm like, will you draw? with? Ball. Yeah. Like, will you draw with what they were giving him, especially in that first run? They had, I mean, it was absolutely nothing. Like they plant is, you know, Bash '90s awesome. You get this great moment where Sting finally beats Flair. Then what? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you do? I mean, you go, you go with him around the horn in rematches. 
you know, and all the ma- and all the major arenas. So you have that. But as you're doing that, you have somebody that you're building up to be the next challenger. And they don't do that. No. And they had guys they could have done it with. Like they tried it kind of with Sid, could have done it with Luger, which we get to that eventually kind of anyway. Like they had the pieces in place, but they did the black scorpion thing and didn't know what to do with it. Like they just, they created this mystery that they didn't matter what it was in the end. Right. Which is the worst yeah. way to create. It's the worst way creatively is to just come up with this, you know, a uh, big MacGuffin and then have no solution to it. Right. And, so and, when you get there, it's, it's a flat fart for everybody. And a gimmick that wasn't supposed to really work anyway. Right. It was supposed it was like some joke. And that yep. all and, and that falls on herd. Oh yeah. I mean Oli was booking, but that falls on herd. If if somebody else is in charge, you know, who knows how different it is. It, that falls on herd, absolutely. So Bix, what are your thoughts on uh Dave's uh forecast here of what should happen? Uh, none, none, of, none of what Dave thinks is going to happen or should happen is going to happen as long as Herd's running the company. Exactly. Exactly. He was entrenched in his job at this time. Yes. Because Jack Petrick. Yes. He's Jack Petrick's boy. Yes. Also, as everyone forgets, Herd had a three-year contract and was fired at the three-year mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Jack Petrick wasn't running the show no more either. No. So... Yeah, I mean, it was I, a fait accompli. Yeah, I, I like, though, how we don't actually have any more answers as to how Oli got the job, though. No, nothing. He just announced as the booker. Should I? Okay, let me, you know what? Let me pull up his book or something. I mean, let's, it'll take a few minutes for me to find it, but let me let me grab this and keep moving for now. But I've never read his book for whatever reason, even though it seems like the type of book I'd like, but... It, there's got to be something in there that at least has his version, right? Yeah. All right. So while Bix does that, we'll talk about some updates on NWA personnel. Road Warrior Hall is supposed to start wrestling before you read this. Because he had his heart issue. This is the Meadowlands heart issue, Bix. That, uh, that wasn't was, this at uh, least the second time that happened, though? I think so. Because wasn't there a Pro Wrestling USA uh, incident, too? <laughs> mm-hmm. Scott Steiner's already back in action after missing about five days with a staph infection in his eye. <laughs> yeah. Not a good spot for that. Sting has a tentative start date of June 30th in Chicago, while Arn Anderson is June the 1st and Sid's July the 1st. Obviously, depending upon how well the injuries progress, all those dates can be changed. Barry Wendell's first house show matches goes from May 20th at the Omni in a six-man team with Rick and, and Arn, who may be replaced if not ready by then, Against the Road Warriors and Rick Steiner. And of course, Sting doesn't come back until the bash. So that's his first match back. But he's ready at June 30th. Well, it seemed like a major scare, which would be the ultimate shot of bad luck. Turned out to be not so bad. Lex Luger apparently got a staph infection in his knee, which is interesting because Scott Steiner had one in his eye. It makes you wonder. Some believe it was caught from Steiner, who's still working with a contagious eye infection. Luger's out of action at the present time, which is why he'll be missing his house show match with Flair this week. The word Dave got, the pay-per-view match isn't any jeopardy, although he may not start back until just a few days for the pay-per-view show. Man, staff as a, you know, I coach high school wrestling, and I've caught in staff quite a few times, not quite a few, twice. I've had it. Just some kids. It's not, it's not fun, depending on where you get it, and it's incredibly, incredibly contagious, and 
I've always wondered how often they clean those mats because you look at, especially in the old, old day, you know, you look at the videos and those mats look absolutely disgusting. So, I mean, like it doesn't, I'm always amazed you don't hear more about staff well, and being spread. At least in the major promotions, especially even more so since COVID. Well, now, I mean, sometimes yeah, WWE, yeah. I mean, WWE at this time, I haven't been to a taping in years. I mean, WWE at this point changes the mats almost every match, right? Right. Yeah, they do. I meant like in this era specifically, when you I look at those mats, you can know. clearly see that they look filthy. Yeah, for the major, for the national promotions, I don't know. Okay, so I, I pulled up Oli's book. So this is chapter 42, Corporate Duh America. <laughs> when I began working as an agent for WCW in the fall of 1989, agent being the code word for a low-paid stooge, the first person from Turner's organization that I remember meeting was Jim Hurd. As far as I know, Hurd had no background in wrestling. In my opinion, he knew nothing about the wrestling business. Didn't take long to confirm my opinion. After a few months of working as an agent, I was asked to take over the book. It was funny how that all came about. In May 1990, I was asked to do interviews in Canton, Ohio. I refused to do several interviews because I was told to threaten the kids. Number one, that could get me involved in a lawsuit. Number two, threatening to beat up young kids is called what we call cheap heat. I told the people conducting the interviews, I won't do it. Well, everyone thought I was going to be fired, including me. Okay. So someone, okay, if we're going by what Oli said and combining it with what was in the newsletters... Someone put Oli on a list of people to consider firing because someone asked, producing his promos, asked him to threaten children? Yeah. What it sounds like. WCW, everybody? It makes you wonder who's the producer that's doing that. Yeah, who was producing their promos and stuff back then? I don't know. All right. Well, okay, so everyone thought I was going to be fired, including me. Next morning, I received a phone. Okay, so when is the Canton taping? Uh, I think that that happened in April. That's March twenty. Okay, uh, March twenty seventh. Yeah. Okay. That's when, her, that's when Cornette quit the booting committee. Uh, yes. And when the plan for the Midnight's and the Horsemen got vetoed, right? Okay. Yeah. So as to do uh, okay. So blah 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 blah. Into Reason Can Ohio. Um. Hold on. Give me one second. I accidentally clicked search again. And okay, there we go. Accidentally went to the wrong place. Uh, okay, the next morning I received a phone call at my hotel from Jim Hurd's secretary. She said Jim Hurd wanted to see me in Atlanta. I thought, that's it. They're going to give me my walking papers. I was surprised that she didn't tell me outright I was fired, but she insisted that I fly back for a personal meeting with Hurd. I thought that was odd, but I booked a flight and went back to Atlanta. I missed the rest of the tour. When I sat down in front of Hurd's desk, he got right down to business. Will you be loyal to me? What do you mean, I asked. Well, I want to make you the booker, he explained, but I need your assurance that you're going to be loyal to me. He needed more information before making a decision. Well, if you're going to ask if I'm going to do what you tell me to do, that brings up a few questions. Am I going to make the decisions? Or, or, excuse me, are you going to make the decisions, or will I be allowed to make the decisions? If I decide to do something, are you going to overrule me? And if you make a decision, am I allowed to argue the point? He said, well, you'll make some, and I'll make some. I said, well, if you make a decision, and I disagree with the decision, but you insist on it, then you have to take responsibility for making that decision. If you'll do, de- but if you'll do that, then we won't have any problems. He agreed, but that turned out to be a lie, and he made decisions that were so stupid. And, of course, when those decisions failed, he blamed me. He told his boss, well, 
you know, I'm not the wrestling expert. Oli's the guy who Oli's the guy who knows everything about wrestling. I should have known that would happen because Heard once told me, always make sure you have somebody between you and the door. In other words, keep someone close to you so you can blame them when things fall apart. I'm being charitable when I say that Heard was an absolute idiot. He wanted me to fire Bobby Eaton one time. I asked him why. Well, he hasn't wanted a match on TV in the last three weeks, he explained. I was thinking, you stupid son of a bitch. What I said was, damn, Jim, we told him to lose. Yeah, I know, but he hasn't won a match. Get rid of him. Uh, <laughs> I can believe that. Later on, he wanted me to fire Wahoo McDaniel. I refused to do it, but they fired him anyway. Wahoo always thought I instigated that action as a retaliation for the swerve he pulled on me in Charlotte when Jimmy Crockett brought, brought, Dor brought Dory Funk in as the booker, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Okay, and that's the end of that, I guess. So what I'm gathering this is Heard wants a patsy. So he hires the guy that he knows everybody hates. So then when it is time to fire him, everybody's happy. That's a great reason, isn't it? Yep. Great reason. I never thought of it like that. So that got illustrated that way. Yes. Um, $250,000 for it to be the booker. And I accidentally lost my place there. Uh, this, this, PDF app is killing me. All right. Uh, there was no control like there was when I had the book in the past. I thought there would be, but there wasn't. Years before, nobody disobeyed or went against anything I said, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then, okay, that then he gets more into his philosophy and stuff. Um, you know, he does also talk about salaries more broadly, but go ahead. Yeah. And that's him at Oli is that... Oli had been a very successful booker in the past, but the, when he got more involved in the business side of things is when his booking went downhill, mm -hmm. you know, in this situation here at this point in time at WCW, NWA, he doesn't have to worry about the business. He's just creative. So it kind of yeah. makes you wonder as well, how much, how much is heard affecting his booking by being Jim Hurd. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Jim Ross Jim Ross on this podcast was talking about the Scorpion situation saying only didn't have a clue, but it's what Hurd wanted. Yeah, Hurd wanted said this, that. Yeah, Hurd wanted this big mystery thing and they had no like I said, they had no plan for it, but they thought it would be a draw. So they started doing, you know, the basically warrior hints, trying to get people excited that way, which is terrible, but I don't know. It just, it seems, it, I guess the real question is how did this company stay open as long as it did? I have no idea. I have no idea how they did it, but they did. It's crazy. All right. Sting is tentatively slated to start back in six man tags toward the end of June. Hopefully they aren't rushing things and he's ready. Well, they don't. He comes back at the bash. The NWA baby faces, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner, Roller Animal, Sting and Lex Luger appear on Family Feud this week. Dan thinks they beat the Glow Girls four out of five shows. Now, Matt Watch chimes in. Overall, some of the funniest moments of Family Feud sequences were between host Ray Combs and Road Warrior Animal. Particularly when in Fast Money, Ray asked Animal to name a word that rhymes with rush. And Animal said, Cush. <laughs> <laughs> that was the day they fell $4 short of $5,000. Ruse. The pair of ruse the NWA guys gave Combs was one more than Steve's ever found in the store. But if you've ever asked, what's it a name? The confusion over this whole NWA WCW bit, 
was never more evident than when Gene Wood would introduce them as the grapplers from the National Wrestling Alliance. Then Combs would call them from World Championship Wrestling. And you have to give Combs multiple blooper awards for this. He referred to the NWA guys as being from the World Federation, the National Wrestling Association, and the National Wrestling Federation. That three, one could have assumed either the NWF or, or WF was represented. The sad part about this is, this is the only family feud with WCW stuff that's not on YouTube. <laughs> Every other I'm one is. checking the ones I got a torrent of right now. Okay, so our WCW team is on this one. Okay, no, this is... Oh, wait. Or, no, I checked. I might have checked the wrong one twice. Hold on. Because I'm looking here... Oh, it doesn't have, like, an NFO file to tell me which is which. Because they're just going by years, and not all of the years are right. So I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah, because the, the famous one is the one where Jim Ross is on there with Sting, Brad Armstrong, Pillman, and that. Well, also, there was, like, somewhere on the nighttime syndication version, somewhere on the morning syndication version. It varied. I, I thought this torrent had... Had some of these in them. Let me make sure. Maybe I grabbed the open the wrong folder earlier. Um, okay, I found it. Yeah, but this. Well, we don't have I mean, easy clipping here, but I have. Yeah, I have exactly. These. Yeah. Um, I mean, should I should I queue up a fast money just for the heck of it? I mean, I guess. All right, hold on. VLC just froze. So. Yeah, and this is the this is the first ever WCW versus Glow Family Feud. Is this one right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was probably taped late '89 or something, right? I think early '90. All right, let's see. All right, I remember I have to switch my uh, what you call it to get this to be able to play this. So give me one second. Uh, all right, instead of Firefox, we are going now to VLC. All right, so we, we're going to skip to Fast Money, I guess, which, let's see. All right, here we go. Okay. This, okay, yeah, we're coming back from break. Oh, here we go. So Scott Steiner is going to do Fast Money. All right. He's the first one. up. Scott, good luck. We asked 100 people these five questions. Name one of the costs of owning a car. Insurance. Something you drink through straws. Pop. How long a long shot uh, lasts? Uh, 15 minutes. A meat you get from a pig. Uh, uh, pork chops. Something that moves easily over snow. Snowmobile. Turn around. That's five. Right here. Scott. Name one of the cost of... What a mullet. Are you oh, there's a lot of gray hair here. Insurance. Our survey said... Bam! 15 Oh, I think I remember which one this is. Something you drink through straws. You said... You drink pop. Our survey set. Thirty-eight. Almost halfway there already. Shower last. You said fifteen minutes. Survey said. Bam. Twenty-eight. If you're gonna do it all by yourself, a meat you get from a pig. You said pork chops. Survey said. Forty-eight. I don't know if we have the time, but if we do, if there's any way you get this by yourself, I'll be happy, happy, happy as everyone will. We'll dance, but then we'll bring your brother out, and I will make up five of the okay. dumbest questions he's ever seen. 
and see what he does. Here's the question. Something that moves easily over snow, you said? Snowmobile. If 29 people said it, you've got $5,000 all by yourself. Our survey said... 21! Oh, so, so this is... I think there is one more that, where he makes it in one shot. Rick! Rick and Keep clapping. Rick, my friend. Look straight ahead. Put 20 seconds on the clock. Reveal your partner's answers. I want you to know, Rick... And only once on the show, in all my years, have I ever seen a person not get the eight points once the partner got the other 190. I'm not, I'm not trying to hex you. I wish you a lot of luck. Five questions, eight answers. That's a point and a half each, something like that. Here we go. Good luck. We ask 100 people, name one of the costs of owning a car. One of the costs of owning a car. One of the costs, uh, 9,000. One? <laughs> <laughs> Drink straw. Soda. Drink uh, uh, milkshake. How long a long shower lasts? Five minutes. A meat you get from a pig? A pork. Pork chops. Some, try again. Uh, bacon. Something that moves easily over snow? Snowmobile. Try again. Uh, skis. Hey, turn around. You didn't do... Come here. Come right here, Rick. Come here, Rick. He's going to get eight points with those. He has good enough points. Enough good enough points. Yeah, bacon is alone. I was just teasing about nobody getting eight points. I hope you did it. One of the costs of owning a car, you said the cost of... $9,000. Rick, I think it's a good answer. I really do. And I don't think you've ever been slammed on your head in a ring. The survey said... Not there. Insurance number one. $8,500. I asked something you drink through straws. You said... Milkshake. Milkshake. That could be it. 5000 Our survey said... Give him... $51,000. Wow. <laughs> They're mugging Ray Combs. Ray Combs, we hope you enjoyed the show today. We'll see you next time. Have a great day on CBS. Oh, so this is the network version. Yes, a network. Yes, okay, yeah. So, okay, so that reminds me. Oh, so they did have the network version this early. So were there oh, yeah. three different versions? Network. I watched the network, network version when I was a kid. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what I'm thinking. So because it, it, it aired before Price is Right. Right, right, right. Okay. So with, Price is Right was at 11. I think Family Feud was at 10. So the reason we have so many different versions and weird permutations of WCW teams is that at this point, Family Feud has to fill five episodes a week each on CBS, morning or well, daytime syndication and nighttime syndication. It's the WCW of game shows. How <laughs> 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 apropos. So who are our other teams on the Family Feuds? We got Jim Ross, Brian Pillman, Brad Armstrong, Sting, Z-Man. That's the famous one. Then, of course, Coffee with, with uh, Kevin Nash. Master Tony Black. Schiavone, uh, yeah. Dutch Mantel. Kevin, was Kevin Sullivan part of that? Hold on. Oh, wait. I got the torn, uh, torn from some, somewhere different than I remembered, so I'm trying to pull it up to – But still, there's multiple – and, and well, there's WCW Family Feud in latter eras too. You yes. know, uh, and then in like, what, 2000? 99. Okay. 99, yeah. Uh, oh, no. This, okay, this tour yeah, is it's gone. Members of the Playboy Playmates, yep. where that, that team was Brian Knobs, Scotty Riggs, Jimmy Hart, Jim Duggan, and Hugh Morris. Oh, wait. I found it. Here we go. All right. Let's see. Do we have a list of each? That was the Louis Anderson family feud. Oh, Sid, Dutch, 
Master Blaster Steel, Tony Schiavone, Kevin Sullivan. I thought it did. And Sid's the captain of that team. Okay, no, yes, this does not. Sid. This does not have a list. I mean, I could pull up each of them to see. Well, they're on YouTube. I mean, I'm, I'm reading them off YouTube right mm-hmm. now. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just meant in something resembling some kind of order. So this. It doesn't matter. I know, but the, okay, so the second one is, uh, let's see, who is it? Of course, team? WWF had their, ver- had their family feud in 93. Okay. Where they were, they, Sean was on there, and Tatanka, and Savage. Yeah, okay, so this one, at least the one they list as second, is Sting, Ross, Pillman, Z-Man, Candyman, Barrett Armstrong. And then the third one, let's see... Oh, wait, did I leave the VLC sound on in there? And TNA did a version with Steve Harvey. <laughs> Where it was TNA against TNA. Oh. All right. Yeah. Okay. It was the men against the women. So our WCW oh, yeah. team in this third one is Sid Vicious, Dutch Mantel, Master Blaster Steel. Right yeah, Tony Giovanni, Kevin Sullivan. And then... You have photo that on YouTube. Okay, and that's the last one of that batch, at least. And there's yeah. also WCW versus Playboy in 99. As well. Yeah, which we'll talk about that, yeah. Yeah. All right, Ole Anderson. About Ole Anderson again. And again, this is this is out. This is in the Observer before Ole's name is the Booker. Ole Anderson has already replaced Teddy Long as Tony Schiavone's sidekick on Worldwide Wrestling. That didn't last very long, because he's when he comes Booker, he's rem- he's not announcing anymore. Paulie Dangerously finally started this past week on the Power Hour, and his first show airs tonight for the pay-per-view card. Dangerously managed Mean Mark after all. The angle will be that Teddy Long sells Mean Mark to Paul Lee, which will make a lot of sense if you've been watching the TV. And I like that act, J.D. I thought that Paul Lee and Mean Mark could have done something, but obviously Ole didn't. Didn't, <laughs> didn't last long enough, but it makes sense on paper, and especially knowing where these guys are headed. Like, if I were to tell you that that Paul, he dangerously managed the, or Paul Heyman managed the Undertaker, you go, yeah, okay, I can see that. So, yeah, could have could have been great, but, you know, hey, WCW, everybody. Which, yeah, exactly. Which uh, Undertaker definitely uh, made sure everybody knew at the Hall of Fame, didn't he? Yep. <laughs> you know, talk about that. How, about that. <laughs> Man. The Southern Boys beat the Midnight Express at a TV taping in Rainsville, Alabama on May the 1st, and the two teams may be feeding over the summer, but all bets on everything are off until a new booker is named. Well, they have the match at the bash, but man, the, the memorable feud is uh, Southern Boys and Freebirds. Mm-hmm. That's the feud that they, that they really go with. All right, May the 4th in Boston, 1500 at Brown College Gym. Oof. As Stan Lampin, Dutch Mantel, Bam Bam Bigelow, Mike Rotunda, Johnny Ace over Bobby Eaton, very good. Steiners over Doom by DQ, very good. Luger over Flair by DQ, good. Highlight or low light is that many of the wrestlers had a hard time finding the building. Luger in particular had the hardest time as he didn't get to the place until 10 o'clock at night. Now, fact, wait they already, <laughs> Let me finish. Yeah. In fact, they already announced to the crowd that he wasn't going to be there. <laughs> and that Flair was going to finish against Rick Steiner. And Rick was in the ring when Luger finally made it to the building. They called for a secondary mission to get Luger time to get dressed and did their 18-minute main event. <laughs> okay, do we know if this is like hoity-toity Brown University or is this Sanford Brown College? It's not Brown University. Okay, so it's probably Sanford Brown College. Yes. Okay. You can see how that would be confusing. 
Well, they, I'm the only thing confusing. <laughs> Guys can get to the building. Oh, God. Wrestlers came into Boston were just asking for directions to Brown. Brown. Yeah. Or whatever. It was the Walter, Walter Brown Arena. Okay, so that's where? Boston University. Oh, okay. So Dave was completely wrong there. Yes, Boston University. Okay. B. So that makes it even trickier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm looking. It is a fairly small hockey arena, it looks like. Uh... 30, it's 3,806. 30, 30, yeah, fixed seat. So. So, so, they yeah, 1,500 in that size building. It's still not good. No. All right. Uh, May the 8th, they were in Halifax, Nova Scotia at the Scotia Bank Center in front of 1,200 fans. As they might, we got some locals on this card. Mike Rotunda over Bruce Martin. Bam Bam Bigelow over Joe Hogan. <laughs> not to be confused with... Uh... What Rick Hogan of where were those videos and stuff we saw on Twitter the last week or so? Peru or whatever ever it was. Yes. Um Might return a Norman the Lunatic over Dutch at Kevin Sullivan. Animal over Bobby Eaton. And then Rick Flair retained the world title beating Hawk by DQ in twelve minutes. Then Syracuse on May the ninth, in front of four hundred, Pillman <sighs> over the Cuban Assassin, one star. Midnight's over Johnny Stewart and Johnny Ace, two and a half stars. That's a team. The illustrious Johnny Stewart. Yes, uh, who is a regular at this point, even though he's barely on TV, just like Ace. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Mike Rotunda over Bam Bam Bigelow cleaning the middles. This is in Syracuse, two stars. Pillman and Zink over the Samoans, three stars. And then Steiners over Dune, three stars. So there's your house shows of the week, your main ones. All right, so let's go to some TV. All right, so World Championship Wrestling on May the 5th. Baron Windham's back. So the horsemen are almost at full strength. So let's go to Ric Flair during one of his hair periods and the rest of the horsemen. Great timing there. <laughs> so wait, is this is from... Wrong clip. There you go. Well, no, I, I knew I had the wrong tab up first, but... So this is... Is this going to show what happened on Worldwide, though? Or... Because isn't the Windham return on Worldwide? That weekend? No, it's not. Okay, why did I why did I think that? Anyway. Gentlemen, quite obviously the horsemen are back at full strength and they have just left a lasting impression on Lex Luger and on Sting. Can you imagine? Look at it. The greatest group assembled in the world right here. And I'll tell you what, you haven't seen everything, Luger. You haven't seen everything, Sting. We still got one more surprise. Barry Windham, you're back in the NWA. I tell you what, we are at full just, force again, and Luger... And pause that. I'm just distracted by George Washington Flair. <laughs> Do you got a better name for that? Nope. That's what he looks like. Steve's nightmare is a reality right here. We are going to dominate the NWA once again. And, of course, woman, I know you have something very important to say on behalf of the nature. Yes, I do, Jim Ross. It just so happens that I always get my man. I've told you that before, and I'm telling it to you now. And here he is, Barry Windham. In the Boy, is Kevin's accent rubbing off on her in this era. I never noticed that before. Had either of you? No, not until you just pointed it out right now. She sounded super Boston-y there. Yeah. Especially for someone from Florida. So. Florida, yeah. 
stage two weeks from tonight. We know what it is. It's Capital Combat 90. It's the horseman here. It's Sting, Luger, and Robocop here. It's the cage. It is everything that violence is in this world. It is competition at its best. And Luger, when you walked out here on national television and you promised the wrestling world the heavyweight title, which meant you had to beat me in the cage, you just retired because, pal, as God is my witness, you will bleed and you will sweat and you will learn the word respect for me and the horseman. Tell him, Double A. If we are oozing with confidence, it's because our mathematics are right. It's a 10-man RoboCup, one hurt guy, Sting, and Luger against four well-old, well-groomed, in-shape horsemen. And I like those odds anytime. Right. It looks very bad for our Sting and Lex Luger, and we'll be back. Six-man action is coming up next. <laughs> Got flared at time periods. So odd to watch when he has his hair pulled back. And then there's also <laughs> just... the, there's a match or two where he like the ponytail is like tied at the bottom of the ponytail instead of like a normal ponytail, and his hair falls apart. It's really weird. It's just so unlike him. But he's going through his midlife crisis at this time, so he's <laughs> Gordon Gecko phase. I kind of call it too from Can Wall Street. You kind of get why uh, Heard told him to cut the hair eventually, because it had gotten a tad ridiculous for Ric Flair. <laughs> it had kind of gotten too long. Well, I wouldn't say too long. It was too big. Yeah, it was big. That's that's a good way to describe it. Like I'm laughing at Bix calling him George Washington because it's, it's pretty appropriate. <laughs> I can't see anything else now when I look at that. Yeah, it had gotten big and um, at that point, 1990. Yeah. When he first gets with woman, it's like really big. And he gets it down. I mean... It, it, towards the end of ni- late late ninety, when mm-hmm. he's in the in the Doom feud, he's cut his hair. Right. It's not the short shortcut, but it, it's cut it down. You know. It's reasonable. Like here, yeah. it doesn't even it doesn't even look like Ric Flair at parts. You know. He, he had he had that he had kind of like the uh, the look he would have in WWF. Yeah. WF Flair, hair hair hairstyle going, but. Yeah, this this nineteen ninety run here, George Washington Flair. <laughs> Very confusing. I don't know. He's going through some things. All right. Uh, so also on TV, we have the Louisville Slugger with Jim Cornette, and uh, the, he's interviewing the Freeburns with the Rock and Roll Express gets involved as well. So let's go to that. Well, we're back here on World Championship Wrestling on TBS. Without further ado, let's bring to the ring the. Rock and roll band, Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Jam Garvin, the fabulous Freebirds. Yeah. 
you say time to sing along with Bad Street USA? It's just, hey, it's my song. What can I say? Yeah, but I mean, there's the delay and the Skype. And the... I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think When the Love Comes Down is actually a better Michael Hayes song. It is, well, that's a great song. I want to see that piece of videotape about when you whip those dirty cowards, the Rock and Roll Express. Let's go to the tape. Whoa. And then move, and that's it. The fans oh, love it. Your winners. Your winners. The Rock and Roll. Jim Cornette, every arena we go into, it seems that all the fans say rock and roll. And it seems to me that there's not one thing that's rock and roll about the Rock and Roll Express. You're nothing but a bunch of incorrigible hoodlums, snotty-nosed brats that won't listen when you're told what to do. Shut up. So listen to this. Whipping match, but there's about two weeks until Capital Combat 90, and you know we're going to meet up somewhere sometime before then. Because I don't need you. I'll tell you what, I couldn't think of. Wait, guys, wait. What the? Ah! Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
said what's gonna happen. You're gonna, you're gonna whip the Freebirds, aren't you? Okay, you're gonna tell about what we're gonna do to them, how we're gonna whip them, Jimmy? You're gonna whip them in the Corporal Punishment match, you're gonna whip them. I think you sure got that right, but you know all these fans out here come to see us whip somebody, and the Freebirds are not here. Contender for the A&W Cream Soda King of the Slam is the awesome Bam Bam Bigelow. With a hard body slam, he can drive his opponents to the mat or with a high vertical suplex. It doesn't matter to Bam Bam. To vote for Bam Bam Bigelow as the Cream Soda King of the Slam. To vote yes, 1-900-720-6051. To vote no, 1-900-720-6052. A&W Cream Soda, there's just more to it. I wonder if people were voting no in those things. Kids get your parents' permission before calling 50 cents per call just at the very end, like, on and only on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Mm. What a nonsense campaign. So does the money go to WCW or to AMW or who, what? <laughs> I don't know, but look how Jack Sting is here. Looks great. Well, no, no, no. That's in the, in the whatchamacallit ad, in the Capital Combat ad. I don't think that's really his body. Really? Okay, let's play it. Horseman, you said you were going to take me out. It looks kind of superimposed. But you made a big mistake when you started messing with the little stingers. I don't know. So before you make your next move... No. Take it over, Creed. Saturday, May 19th. May 19th. Pause. Yeah, but he could... But they, even with his workout, I mean, even with his knee, like it was, he could still work out on his upper body. Well, yeah, so he's probably... That's what he focused, so that's yeah. what he focused on. So, mm. yeah. And there's, yeah, Return of Robocop. Where'd he go? Yeah, I thought that was weird. Is, is he returning yeah, return from of Robocop, Robocop 2? <laughs> where'd he go? I, I must have missed where, where he went off to. Weird. Detroit. <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in 1990, Detroit. Every, all, sorry, my Detroit people. People, everybody's trying to leave Detroit. Then <laughs> they've made a return. Now they've had a renaissance in recent years, so they made a comeback. But anyway, all right. Abdul the Butcher quit since he starts in Japan next week. Abby had told the NWL alone that his Japan tour was in June, so they ran all this stuff and all this TV and did nothing with it. Because he's part of the might return to Norman angle with Sullivan. <clears throat> Larry Cameron hasn't been signed yet, but the promotion liked how well he got over at his tryout. Why they sign the motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> he should have been there. Well, uh, one of my 1990 favorites. If I had a 1990 wrestling draft, Larry Cameron would be uh, a high-ranking man on the, on my draft board. I thought he was cool as shit. In 1990, little did I know how old he was, but uh, I love Larry Cameron. So, mm. and don't expect any new hirings as far as wrestlers go until the new Booker arrives. Oh yeah, so then we'll have all kinds of great hirings after that. <laughs> oh yeah, just wait and see who he brings in. A lot of dudes Ooh. past their prime. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Ooh. what a segment, folks. NWA, everybody. Well, technically, WCW featuring the stars of the NWA, everybody. All right, let's go international now as we go to the land of the rising sun, All Japan Pro Wrestling. The loss of Tenuganichiro 
Well, apparently we'll put Giant Baba back into the main events. It'll be interesting to see how fans accept Baba as a consistent main eventer. They love him as a comedy figure in mid-card matches and get into him on rare main events. But on a consistent basis on top, he'll drag down the quality of the top matches. Well, that doesn't really put Baba back into the main events. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, he may he may do more than he had been doing, but what Dave doesn't know was what's you know what's going to come with the quote unquote youth movement. You know, is is Dave just making an assumption based on what other bookers would do? Is well, he said, guys, he said so. apparently, so yeah. that's probably what he's doing. Yeah, they'll go back to Baba because they need to go back to him instead of figuring he would just do the right thing, which is what he did and yeah. made a whole new generation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because who would have saw? I mean, who really would have saw that coming? What they did, right? Well, so, when when is the Masawa unmasking match? It hasn't happened yet. Okay, so that's clo- that's closer to the jumbo match than we even really think of it being. Because the jumbo uh, match is June. Let me see. Masawa, Masawa unmasking. unmasking was May. Is it May? It's May fourteenth. May fourteenth. So next. we're right there, close to it. Yeah, it's the next week, right? And yeah, the then week. jumbo matches when June eighth, June fifth. Okay, or June eighth, June eighth. Yeah. yeah. So it is. Yeah, like three weeks. Yeah. Interesting. Tenru's yep. <clears throat> five-year contract with Megami Supers for five hundred million yen, which works out to be three point one six million U.S. based on the current exchange rate, or six hundred thirty-two thousand dollars a year. That's probably more than double his pay with all Japan. And we'll also we'll probably make him the second highest paid wrestler in the world, only behind Hulk Hogan. Since Tenru just turned 40 at this stage of his career, it's a deal simply too good to turn down. So are we assuming that Sting is not making seven hundred fifty grand a year yet? Uh, probably not yet. But that's a, I mean, if I'm Tenru, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know? How can you, how can you turn that down? You can't. And he did. So, yeah, you're 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 going to a startup promotion, but you seeing that the, that Megami Super is throwing this money around. You're thinking, oh, they're they're putting this money out there. They're going to be a success. It's not too different than Chris Jericho three years ago. <laughs> In a way, yeah. Although that's a that's well. A, as far as getting, he said it's his biggest contract. No, but know. also I was going to say. Even though it wasn't official yet, they knew that TNT was the likely destination for the TV, whereas SWS didn't have major TV close to locked up. Well, that doesn't matter in Japan. We'll look at the FMW. Right. I just met with Bob's contract. I'm not with the uh, with the Tenu contract situation. Like, sure. can't turn it down that much money. No, absolutely not. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They ran their three day war series. At Cork and Hall during our week, the series of cards on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon all sold out to the tune of 2,200 tickets per show. The shows were about any foreign talent, but were combined shows using wrestlers from the independent Pioneer Group. However, problems developed between the two groups, and no word on whether the Pioneer Boys were future New Japan days. New Japan ran three combined shows with Pioneer Senshi? Let's go down the list. May 4th, saw Ryuma Go. And Masiko Takasugi from Pioneer worked the main event against Ricky Choshu and Kensuke Sasaki. Pioneer guys went over when Rumago pinned Kensuke in 1526. 
early in the card, and Angle's run with Paul Sugawara, a pioneer, having a breakup with Go to set up a match on May the 6th. Takasugi gained his most pro wrestling success, and even as a pre-lit wrestler, under the hood, it's Ultra 7. Defeated with Onita for All Japan back in 1983. Go was a frequent rival at Tatsumi Fujinami about 10 years ago, and has bounced around one group to another since then. Also on the card in a non-title match, Shiro Koshinaka and Roshi Hase down new IWGP Tag Champions, Masahiro Chono and Keiji Muto in 1540, when Muto was counted out of the ring. Muto's knee isn't recovering well at all. A week earlier in the match when Muto and Chono won the belts, even though Muto got over like crazy, he was plagued with his bad knee. And in this match, his knee hurt so badly he was forced to cancel scheduled matches the rest of the series. <laughs> well, I'm I'm also thrown by a count out not being a title change at this point. Well, I don't know. Former champions Masahino Shinashimoto defeated Super Strong Masini Tashoshigoto. Jushin Riger pinned Kitaro Hoshino. Osamu Kido made Apollo Shigawara submit. Kunio Kobayashi pinned Hiro Saito. Naruto Naga pinned Black Cat. And Kengo Gamera pinned Osama Matsuda, the future El Samurai. Now, May 5th was the first afternoon live television show for this promotion in a long time. The main event was scheduled to be Choshu and Masaida wrestling Chono Muto for the tag titles. But with Muto out of action, the match came non title match with Hashimoto replacing Muto. The match went off television, but finished with Saito pinning Chono. Koshinaka pinned Riger in 1652 at a Dragon Suplex, and what said to be an excellent match. Kensuke pit. Beat Takasugi with a sleeper in 804. Sugawara and Hase beat Machine and Hirosaido by DQ. Kango over Hoshino. Kido over Tetsushikoto. Kobayashi over Noyonaga. And Black Cat over Son Matsuda. And in May 6, saw a 2 out of 3 fall 10 man tag match headline with the main item being that Adam Hamaguchi came out of retirement for this. Hamaguchi formed a legendary tag team with Riki Toshi in the early 80s and retired back in 1987 and later became a past 40 competition bodybuilder winning mini titles in Japan. The match was advertised as an eight-man tag with Hamaguchi teaming up with Hanaga, Hiroseido, Tashishigoto Super Strong Machine against Choshu, Kuyamakobayashi, Shiroko Shinaka, and Kensuke Sasaki. Hamaguchi has been managing of late and feuding with Choshu. Choshu challenged Hamaguchi to get in the ring for the match and Hamaguchi agreed. And to make the sides even, Choshu brought out Hiroshi Hase to join his team after the team split the falls, Hamaguchi used his famous blockbuster suplex on Kensuke in 21 minutes to win the match for the heels. Also, Masa Chono beat Masa Saito, Shiyashimoto over Osama Kido, Riger over Osama Matsuda, Ryumago over Paul Shigawara, Kiyokamura over Hase, and Kataro Hoshin over Black Cat. So some interesting results here in 1990 New Japan. So, get three days of corking, that's what they would do. There was stuff like that before we just had the May Dome shows and stuff yeah. like that. Well, I was going to say, what's the deal with Golden Week not being a big wrestling thing at this point? Well, there's not a lot of wrestling promotions at this time either, Bix. Yeah, but we have it's just, it's, it's just At this point in time, it's just New Japan, All Japan, uh, All Japan Women, and FMW is really just and UWF. going. And, well, we're about to talk about them, so... Yeah, and I mean, they they actually one. ran the biggest show of the week. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah, so let's get to that. Budokan on May the fourth drew another sellout of fourteen thousand one thirty, headlined by Kira Maeda defeating Masahiro Funaki in submission in eighteen oh two. The other results of the show saw Yoshiki Fujiwara make Fred Hamaker 
a Sambo wrestler from the Netherlands submit to a cross knee lock at 1536. Nobuka Takata made Minoru Suzuki submit to an Achilles tendon hole in 1258. Kazuo Yamazaki over Tatsuo Nakano in 1335. And Dirk Verge, a kickboxer from the Netherlands, knocked out Yoji Anjo in 1430 of a mixed match. Now, the show drew a legit sellout. And in fact, all tickets sold out in less than one week for Mayan Infinaki. Match itself wasn't that good. All mat working would be boring unless you're in the submissions. But when they finally got up, they went right to the finish. The semi with Takata and Minoru Suzuki had a mixed response. Casual fans thought the match was boring and there were a chance of it, but the hardcore fans would chat back, it's real wrestling, but it was boring. The casual UWF fans, huh? I thought there wasn't such a thing as a casual fan, Biggs. Well, anyway. <laughs> This is a a time when the UWF is, you know, they're they're trying to get the the younger guys, you know, more involved in the main scene, like Takata, Takata, Funaki, and uh, Suzuki, and those guys, you can tell, you know, they're trained in this way, that they have maybe their own slant on what they want to do that they want to do something maybe a little bit different than what the uwf is offering here which is you know when they break off we see what happened with those two guys they go with fujiwara and they become big stars but yeah it just seems like there's there's like a generational thing going on here with uwf at this point in time so it's caused us some style clashes a little bit and some interesting matches but still doing a hell of a business. Yeah. Now, the biggest story involved in this group was Shinji Jin, the president of DWF, denying reports in the Japanese press that he or any of the DWF wrestlers would be leaving to join the new group headed by Tenugurichiro. It had been reported that Jin had entertained, entertained offers from the new promotion run by Megami Super, a leading optical chain, and that Suzuki and Funaki might join him and go into the new group. Jen said these stories were unfounded and that he and the wrestlers are with the UWF forever. <laughs> Which adds credence to what I was saying. Who's the two guys named here? Suzuki and Funaki. So t- that, that, that tells me something right there, you know? Yes, because <laughs> there's the whole thing where Fujiwaragumi starts kind of as part of the Megami Super Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does. For a little bit, so uh, there, yeah, there, and, and Shinji Jin—that's the whole power structure later in the year, where they have the issue where you know Maeda, you know the big falling out, where he was him and Maeda with the war with each other. So a lot going on politically behind the scenes there. All right, let's go to Canada. Stampede Wrestling is close to a cable, U.S. cable TV contract, huh? <laughs> Do what now? Also, what is this an observer from 1988? That's what I'm saying. This is a this is a story that has been circling the observers for probably two years by now. Yeah, well, get to the next item first, so we can even talk about what Stampede is at this point. Stampede is running two to three shows per week, drawing between 50 and 200 fans. Stu Hart isn't involved, but Bruce Hart's running things. Top matches on most cards is Chris Benoit and Bruce Hart against Angel of Death. Bruce is also using Biff Wellington, Skull Mason, Roy Red Crow, Champagne Jerry Morrow, and women Casey Houston and Ronda Singh. 
Singh should be gone by the time you read this, as she's due back in Mexico. So, Bruce is running shows. Why would they be getting TV when they're in the U.S. when there hasn't been a real territory or Canadian TV show since the end of the year? <laughs> yeah, how are they, how are they going to do something with TV? Do we think this is Bruce or Ross just talking to Dave and being like, yeah, we're talking to ESPN? Yeah. It's possible. Trying to create a buzz where there is no buzz. Mm-hmm. The CNWA still around with Bulldog Bob Brown's the booker, but it's pretty pathetic. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> May the 4th at the Silver Dollar Action Center in Calgary. Super Bat beat Lenny St. Clair. A.K.A. the original death dealer, Japanese deathmatch legend Luther. Yes. Goldie Rogers defeated Randy Rudd. Occam Singh over Duke Myers by disqualification. Mike Lazansky and the Canadian Giant defeated Timothy Flowers and Drago Shivago. And a coconut Willie beat Little Hot Stuff. Canadian Giant, Bix, of course, being... Canadian Giant. (laughs) Who is? Who? In that in that uh, Carolette? No, Canadian Giant's a different guy. Oh, okay. Thought they were one of the same. There's so many Canadian Giants at this point in time. No, the Canadian Giant is the guy who was in Global. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, 91. Yeah, so we've got Canadian Giant in this era. We have the future Kurgan as Acadian Giant. Acadian Giant, yes. And we also have... Uh, Daryl Carolette, Tyler Maine, uh, as Nitron, as another mm-hmm. seven-foot-tall Canadian. <laughs> Confusing. Yes. Now, do we think little, the name Little Hot Stuff, do we think that was this uh, uh, quote-unquote midget wrestler? Which, by the way, someone please come up with a new term we can use. Because, like, I try to get around it by saying quote-unquote midget, midget wrestler, but, like... But that's what they were called. I know, but I'm saying if we're going to try, I don't even know, like... I don't know. But anyway, do we think that it was this wrestler's actual usual working name? Or do you, we think this is Bruce Hart, jealous of which uh, diminutive uh, second-generation wrestler is getting more praise for his booking in this era? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? All right, Mexico. We only have one set of results from Mexico. Uh Claudio made a fourth. Aguilar Solitaria and Rambo Banda. Who would become Volador, Super Parka, over and Volador Jr.'s father, over Commando Russo and Leon Chino, El Dandi, Emilio Chavez Jr., and Satanico, what up against Angel Azteca, Elantis, and Javier Cruz. Mm-hmm. Then we have a, uh, a match here. We have a Supremo Umbrebala against Los Solars, one and two. Then we have a Caballero Coach Caballero match, Bestia Savaje over Cachorro Mendoza. And then Fuerza Guerrero retained his NWA welterweight title over Pantera in a four and a quarter star match, which I'm sure it was. Whose star <laughs> ratings would this be? That they would be Dave. Were they airing Coliseo on Galavision at all at this That's point? The, it's the Friday night show. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Why are they running Coliseo on this week, on Friday? There's a lot of times where Mexico is not always run, Bix, in, 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 the, in the... In the 80s and 90s, yeah. I mean, mm. it's not an every Friday thing. They have other stuff going on. So, now, yeah. Is this famous Pantera or is this? It's the, Pan- it's the Pantera. 
Yes. So, okay, what is the deal with the famous Pantera also being Pantera 2, though? I don't know. But this is the famous Pan- this is the famous Pantera this in is WWF the and stuff. Okay. Um, okay, here's... Uh, I missed this. Maybe this wasn't there the last time I looked. At the top of the Lucha Wiki bio. This is the most well-known El Pantera wrestler, sometimes called El Internacional Pantera. The, his original tag partner is listed under Pantera 1, and a younger, uh, unrelated wrestler is also listed under the name El America, and other wrestlers use the, have used the name Tritone like he did. Okay. So, okay, so that also explains the confusion back in the day that this guy was America when he was not. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 he was America. Oh, okay, no, 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 they were listing... The, the, oh, okay, it's the confusing thing with Lucha Wiki sometimes. They don't always make it clear. They're, that they're also talking about the secondary names. So he's talking about it in the intro. It's about a different El America. So he is the famous America from the early 90s. But that that does sound like an absolutely spectacular match on paper. Mm-hmm. Is this out there on tape? It's on YouTube. Okay, good. And then WWC in Puerto Rico. Cagua submitted it fifth. We have uh, Carritos Colon go to double count out with Akim Malumba, Kamala 2. Ben Peacock. TNT, Sayo Vega over the Dragon Master, Keno Nagasaki. Sumeticos, Jose Estrada, and Jose Jr. over the Mercenaries in a cage match. That would be Angela Acevedo and Ron Starr. I'm not mistaken at this point in time. Then we had the Invaders, one and three, over Leo Burke and Chiki Starr by disqualification. Scott Hall over Supermedico number four. Oracan Castillo Jr. over Eddie Watts. And Rick Valentine, Gary Brown over Miguelito Perez. Hmm. So uh, there's Double Double C in 1990, which uh, I have the TV from this era. Good stuff. Fun times. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, Dragon Master hops around a lot of different places in 1990, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. WCW. Well, he Puerto Rico in the past. No, but still. Yeah, he was there. Yeah. All in, he was there's Kendo. But I'm saying just in 1990. He's in WCW. And as a regular, to be clear, Double Double C, uh, FMW as a regular. Is he based out, does he end up basing out of Dallas at any point in 90 or is that not till 91? I think he's there in 90. Okay, so yeah, yeah. so he works for Gary Hart some in 90. He's definitely, you know, seeing more places than you'd expect for someone at that stage of his career, I guess. In such a short period yeah. of time. Yep. Alright, well, that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So it's some great 1990 commercials. We'll come back. We'll talk about Patreon again. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back. JD will join us as we go back to the United States where we have some ICW television to play clips of. And uh, we got some other indie news, including Memphis and Dallas, where Chris Von Eric has quite the uh, week on television. And uh, Tessa, folks, always a fun time to hear Mark Lawrence talk about Tessa. All that more next, after the break, excuse me, on Between the Sheets. The Apple Sweet Crunch that'll shake you up is part of this complete breakfast. Mm-hmm. 
There's something about ice cream. Picture ten five-year-olds at my son Billy's birthday party. The games are a flop. Kids are crying. Billy's hiding. Then I serve ice cream. Suddenly everyone's having a ball. There's just something about ice cream. Hello, Blue Jay. How are you, Blue Jay? Hello, Sparrow. What's new? Howdy, Robin. Nice day, isn't it? The McDonald's Happy Meal uh -huh. guys. What are you doing? Practicing our bird calls. <laughs> yep, I hear you only as good as your gear. But Cat McDonald and Happy Meal, you get gear like this nut kit or canteen, stuff you can depend on in the wilderness. Cool it, George. One toy with every McDonald's Happy Meal you buy. Sun ripened raisins, Nestle milk chocolate. Friday on Small Talk, it's Elvis, the early years. Get ready for big laughs on Small Talk. Then there's no limit to what people will go through to get physically fit. You'll crack up at Candid Camera getting physical. Ah, uh, you people. It's an hour of fun, naturally. Friday. If fear and prejudice are allowed to prevail in our battle against AIDS, we're losing the battle. We can only win it with education, compassion, and love. Get the facts. I can help. What can you do? Tempt his tummy. Tempt your tummy? With the taste of nuts and honey? Honey Nut Cheerios combines golden honey with crunching nuts. Part of this complete breakfast. Try him. He loves them. He's going home. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Our Honey Nut Cheerios. This summer at the Magic Kingdom, Mickey's Starland. At Epcot Center. It's Captain EO in 3D. The exciting Body Wars ride. The fury of the Maelstrom. And now, the Disney MGM Studios theme park with Star Tours. The Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. And the Muppets. The Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. What a year to be here. birthday, it's nice to know we've made a lot of friends by spreading a lot of fun. Go ahead, make a wish. Excuse me! Excuse me! It's an all-new special, the Designing Women, their finest hour. These things are power. Tonight, after taking the fat man. A broken peace treaty has to stop sometime. Sends a renegade chief on the warpath and Ethan into hostile territory. You must die. Paradise, Saturday. This is CBS. All right, we're back. I've been drawing all those great 1990 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets, where, of course, the latest show up is part one of our multi-part series on Titan Gate 92. A look into the scandals that rocked the World Wrestling Federation and Titan Sports throughout the year. 
whether it be steroids, whether it be any other kind of illegal drugs, whether it be uh, sexual stuff involving Ring Boys and Murray Hodgson and whatever. I think we should and just use the umbrella term of sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct, yes. Because it's going to be – umbrella is the word because this part that we just did you know, mainly talks about that. But we'll be going to other things in future parts, so uh, especially involving Vince McMahon. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a series of all kind of things rife of salacious nature. And um, it's definitely quite the series that needs to be done for people in 30 years later in uh, 2022. So um, it's stuff that, you know, People can go back and read about and stuff like that, but not a lot of people are doing it in podcast form, and we are, and it's very thorough, and everything is being done with care, and believe me, I think this is going to be one of the best series we've ever done, if not the best series we've ever done, and uh, it's just stuff that needs to be talked about, you know, and uh, we're going to have clips of stuff, like on the first show where we had clips of Vincent Mano, Larry King, and of course Donahue, where uh, Vince was being grilled by Murray Hodgson, of course, Tom Hankins and Barry Orton, among others. And it is a lot going on. And uh, it's well worth that $5 a month that you can pay to get access to that. Plus all the other shows in the archive. If you haven't done it yet, what is your problem? You need to do it. It's well worth it. If you listen to this show every week, you need to listen to the patreon shows because they're better than these shows so because everything is more of a centralized topic and we're going in order of a timeline and yeah it, it, it's it, it's great stuff well and it's well yeah. you know what i'll give an example because this is something where if we were doing a regular show we might not have picked up on and it's not i mean it's something that shocked both of us but it's not a huge revelation so i don't think there's a problem in spoiling it something that we picked up on that i don't think we would have necessarily on a regular show because i'm not sure it was all in the same week um plus also pulling from more sources and stuff we find out going through the notes and i didn't even notice it when i was putting it together only while we were recording the show they still had underage ring boys after Jeff Savage had reached out to them about his article in the San Diego Union Tribune. Yeah. So that's the type of thing, just to give an example, that, you know, plus, plus all the stuff on, you know, on the WCW sales shows and the ECW on TNN shows and all that. There's a lot of stuff that when you see all this week to week, you know, and you go over it week to week in order, there are things you pick up on that you do not pick up on otherwise. Exactly. So, yeah, you need to get, be part of this if you haven't been part of it already. Find all of us at patreon.com slash twin sheets. Dollar gets you access to the Discord and the thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a minute. $25 gets you an opportunity to pick a show for the week. Now, make sure you have two shows in your mind, though, if you want to do this, because you never know if someone may have picked your week already because we have a calendar of shows already lined up for the future or it could be something that we have talked about already on the previous show because we've done this for a while now and things happen and the way the timelines work when we do these shows you it could be some earlier show that you may have missed and you may have thought we didn't do it but we did 
So always have two shows in your mind. And if there's any questions on that, then uh, talk to one of us and uh, let us know why you're doing the show. So that'll help us out too and all that stuff. And uh, we should be able to make it work for you. Of course, you follow the protocol on the Patreon website. Get this information in 30 days prior to uh, – at least 30 days in prior to your show. And um, 10, day, 10 year rules in effect. Then we got the uh, Wednesday to Tuesday timeline of, of the year that we're doing the show, which is either this year or next year if you want something for next year, not the year that you're picking. So follow that, and you should be good to go. $50 gets you a chance to sit in for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who we have to this week as our new and or returning patrons? Well, it's the beginning of the month, so we got a bunch. We've got... Oh, jo- always good. Yep. Jordan Snow. Great name. Thanks, Jordan. Yes. Uh, Angel Aramboles, who uh, is... One of the people behind WrestlingNews.co. A, a quality wrestling news website. Thank you, Angel. Yes. Maybe one of the more underrated ones, I think, at this point. I I follow them on Twitter, and I click on their links quite a bit, yes. Yes, yes. I would, say, I would say of the ones that people may be less familiar with at this point, I would say it's WrestlingNews.co and Bodyslam.net would be the main ones to really keep an eye on, right? Yeah, I mean, they're up there, absolutely, yes. Um, yes. You know, to go along with your Fightful, Wrestling, WrestleZone, Observer, PW Insider, SE Scoops, etc. 411 Mania. Yeah. So, thank you. Uh, I'd also like mm-hmm. to thank K.L. Harris. I don't think any relation to K.J. Harris, our dear friend. <laughs> Thanks, K.L. Yes. Uh, Nathan Truman. Thanks, Nathan. Okay, so, well, now we have, I think, the biggest podcast personality ever to be a patron on this show, Kirk Minahan. Thanks, Kirk Minahan. Yes, a uh, longtime Boston uh, radio host and also works with Barstool these days. Uh, yes, I'd like to thank Kirk. Yes. Uh, Jason D. Thanks, Jason. The returning Sean Harden. Thanks, Sean. I believe the also returning Will Hofer. Thanks, Will. This name looks a little familiar, but I'm not sure. Maybe also returning uh, John Hanatin. Thanks, John. We got Adam Young. Thanks, Adam. Greg Kowalek. Thanks, Greg. Brandon Lockwich. Thanks, Brandon. Paul Siegel, who converted to a year, but it says it's forty-seven eighty-three a year, so I'm guessing that's hybrid billing, but thank you. Well, maybe got a discount, but thank you, Paul. <laughs> we got d- who knows? James, yes, James Kujawa. Thanks, James. We got another uh, annual uh, conversion from David Clatterbuck. Thanks, David. That's a wonderful name. Clatterbuck. That's, uh, that's a fun d- last name to say, Clatterbuck. Yes. Joel Switzer. Thanks, Joel. I'm going to have you guess the next one. Okay. So we're guessing the next one. All right. So I got one in mind, but I think that's too obvious. No, it's that one. Thanks, Danny. (laughs) Daniel Cookler. Yes. (laughs) You know, 
this one, he's just doing it often enough. I don't get why he doesn't just do the annual and pay the same price, but whatever. Oh, hey, <laughs> you know, hey, to each their own. I know. Maybe I know. maybe just let's hear his name uh, in this Perhaps, section. yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, Andrew Reidner, or I guess Thanks. Reidner. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, believe an old message board name we used to know. There's someone on Twitter I think he may be, but I'm not sure. Michael Stocks. Thanks, Michael. Bo Browder. Thanks, Boo. We've got a five fifty two a month pledge from Randy K. I don't know if that's an exchange rate thing. <laughs> hey, uh, any sense counts. Thanks, Randy. And we've got a new annual subscription from... I'm going to give both potential pronunciations just so I don't mess it up. Mar- it's either Mark LaBelle or Libel. Well, thanks, Mark. Whatever yes. your last name is. Yes. For uh, being with us. And thank all you old patrons, ones that's been there from the beginning, new patrons that's joined up lately, and the patrons that have come and gone and came back again and come along the way. We thank all of you for your support at patreon.com slash between the sheets, and we hope that we make it worth your while. All right. Next on the agenda, IWTV, Bix. So what's going on in the wonderful world of IWTV? There's a lot going on. There's an I'm edge. shocked. I mean, more than usual, it seems like, uh, you know, as we're recording this on Thursday night, this coming weekend slash this past weekend as this comes out and then the following weekend. So this coming weekend, as people are listening to this, seems like there's even more than usual. There's an AIW show at the Winchester that's going on right now as we're recording. Uh on the Friday of the weekend coming into what we're doing, there's a oh, there, a new action wrestling show that will have been live streamed from our dear friend Matt Yes. Uh, what's this one called? Jawbreakers featuring uh, – oh, yeah, we did talk about this last time a little bit, didn't we? I think there's more stuff announced, though. Yeah, because we talked – Well, we you, talk- got, uh, well you got Valances Forever versus The Skull for the tag titles. Yes, That's that great. I think we mentioned last time. Air, Air Royal against Merck. Which I don't uh, think was announced last time when we did talk about it last time. No. Uh, AC Mack defending IWTV title against Anthony Green. That should be an interesting match. Different yeah. name, you know, in the action action building. Alex Shelley and Anthony Henry. That should be a hell of a fucking That's match. That's a hell of a match on paper. Yeah, Kevin Koo defending the action title against Ashton Starr. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, qu- quite a list of matches there. So a, a, a pack card, a Airbnb against Suplex Science. I mean, this is this is quite the uh, quite the list of matches here. So uh, yeah, everybody uh, checked out Action Wrestling on the uh, on demand now as uh, you listen to this on IWTV. Yes, also having taken place on, uh, I believe on Friday night. By the time people hear this, is for the would have been the first time live streamed, and now now they're part of IWTV in general. I think some of the back catalog is going up. Uh, one of Ultramantis's Ultramantis Blacks, uh, LVAC shows Bash at the Brewery, which uh, at least as advertised right now includes Willow Nightingale versus Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, Avery Good professional wrestler versus Abby Jane, uh, and two other matches, and I believe should feature at least Joe Sposto on commentary, and maybe also Adam Van. Maybe words will show up, too. Oh, I had some interesting conversations about words this past weekend. <laughs> I, I, definitely some people who told me maybe to slow my roll on thinking that, wor- that words is either Mantis or just Mantis. 
at least. Well, the, we, we, I've always thought Words was a multi-person account, so there yes. you go. So, yes, there's that. Uh, what else do we have here? There are so many, like, I'm not even saying anything. It's even to crap on it. It's just there's so much now that it's hard to keep track of, like, super crazy pro wrestling with a live stream. Uh, it's super crazy part of it? No, it's super K-R-A-Z-E-E pro wrestling. Okay, I'm just curious because I know he's wrestling uh, our friend Joey Janela in the future on yes. the show. Yes, that's Vegas Memorial Day weekend, I believe. Yeah. That sounds interesting and super crazy. I mean, he's older, but he's he ain't bad. You know, so I am looking forward to see how that goes. Uh, Blitzkrieg Pro Show that's uh, coming up, you know, this weekend as we're recording this, including... Uh, Main event. Well, well, you know, we're missing the big one because the day this drops is the first well, I'm day of Uncharted there. Territory, season yes. four, season South- four yeah. in Chattanooga. Yes, Southeast first Uncharted t- Territory. Yeah, well, I was just yes. going to mention that this show does have Alec Price versus Ethan Page, which is, I think, is one of Ethan Page's first indie matches or one of very few indie matches he's had in a while, right? Yeah. But yeah, we I mean we can't miss Uncharted Territory with AC Mack defending the IWTV Championship if he still is the champion after Action Wrestling against Slade, which that should that should always be put on there. You know, I mean, you always need to make sure that, that he might not be the champion <laughs> on this day. We need to have that in let's 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 go back to some old days of wrestling and and try to make it you know look. Hey, he might not be able to. Well, in, this championship. in fairness, I believe when the Independent Wrestling Championship has changed hands with other matches advertised, they do sub in the new champion. Well, that, that's what it's supposed to be. When the NWA champion lost his belt, the new champion would take over his bookings. Yeah. Even Terry Von Erich did a bit of a touring champion thing for a couple weeks. In Florida, yes. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. So uh, yes, everybody that's... check out IWTV. Well, I was going to say, I mean, we didn't even talk about coming up now this coming weekend as this comes out, uh, you know, next weekend as we record this, that, you know, West Coast Pro's got another show with Tim Thatcher, Kevin Blackwood, Biff Busick, Vinny Massaro, Lost by Titus Alexander, and much more. Uh, what else did we have on here? On Point is back with another show, including, uh, oh, isn't it? There's some interesting ones here. Uh, Kid Osborne, Matt Tremont, Robert Martyr, David Richards, Isaiah Broner, Akira. Uh, what was the other thing I saw on here? Oh, Brandon Kirk, Mike Law, and more. So, so much right now on IWTV. And if you are not already a subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD, and as long as you stay a paid subscriber, we will get a referral fee from your uh, monthly $9.99 subscription. So, independentwrestling.tv could bts pod yes jump on that there's so much wrestling on there for your monthly feed that that they ask from you it's well worth it and that's not even talking about the archives that are still being added to (laughs) oh god yeah there's more older ccw and aiw and iwa mid-south that just went up yeah, all the yeah, wild side yes, stuff. Yes, 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 yes. A lot. Nice. A lot. When did the first All, all Japan, Japan women? Well, I was just going to say, when was the first All Japan women drop? We're closing in on a month, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so you just more never to know. Come you soon. never know. Yeah. You never know what might pop up on IWTV. Yes. All right. Well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access. 
America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. That's bastards. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. Don't get better than that, folks. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for BTS listeners. Let's talk about that, shall we? The best deal you can get. It's a three-year deal plus four free months at $1.98 a month. Can't beat that, folks. I mean, that's amazing. Monthly at $11.95 per month and a yearly plan of $3.33 a month. With those uh, – well, I just wanted to remind everyone, those, those, the, uh, the non-monthly are the – that's what it comes out to after you pay the full amount in advance. So 80 bucks for the three-year plus four months, and since you have it in front of you, what is it for the uh, – $39.95 year? a year for one year. But still, Which is, I mean that three – yeah, that three-year deal is a hell of a deal. Even that one-year deal is a pretty damn good price, though. <laughs> yes. I mean, because you think about it, all right, so you get unbreakable VPN security. There's a no a strict no-law policy, ton of customizable privacy features. You can trust your data is protected by the most transparent and privacy-focused VPN ever created. You can access up to 10 devices at no extra cost and with dedicated PIA apps for every platform, every browser, and every operating system. Thousands of servers in undefined countries. You can easily access all your favorite content, shows, music, apps, and more, regardless of where you live. I mean, there's so much there. 24-7 customer support, built-in ad blocking. I mean, millions of satisfied customers. You just can't beat it. So how do you get this, you might ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. Because the deals that we're offering you right now are so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get with it right now and you get this uh, deal, you can take advantage of their 30-day risk-free challenge. You can try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return for a full refund. So, yes, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. Go there and try out the best damn VPN on the planet, completely risk-free. All right. So... It's plug time. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go to 1999, and we'll be talking about a very interesting week because the way the week is set up, it's a six-day week, and the seventh day, we've already done years ago, covered Raw and Nitro for our week. So, yeah, it'll be a rare late 90s show without a raw and nitro to talk about. But there's a lot to talk about regardless. Yeah, how many pages are we at regardless? Still 30. 30. <laughs> because, I mean, there's a WCW, there's a lot of crap going on. Goldberg's unhappy. We'll talk about that. Kevin Nash is on a Tonight Show. We're him and Bret Hart are doing an angle there. We'll talk about that. We got all kinds of indie stuff, including Vic Grimes running wild in Memphis on a Saturday morning. So we got that. We got, of course, Lucha. We got uh, Japan to talk about. A big, big week in Japan. I just news. 
a big state of Japan meeting among uh, the various promote major promotions as the the ice is thawing, so to speak, between All Japan and New Japan. So we'll have news on that, plus major indie shows in the country. And, of course, WF, we got a WF UK pay-per-view, No Mercy UK to talk about. So we may not have Raw, but we got that. So there's that. And a big weekend with Philadelphia Wrestling Promotions, as we have ECW running Hardcore Heaven 99 on pay-per-view. And we have Break the Barrier at the ECW Arena, a show promoted by Al Isaacs, Scoops, with Shane Douglas showing up and cutting a Shane Douglas shoot-style promo and all kinds of other stuff. So a lot of controversy in, in, regarding all that. So we'll talk about that and other ECW stuff regarding uh, money and TV deals and this and the other. So a great ECW section. And Break the Barrier, of course, it's a interesting show to talk about and we'll have a first time guest we can actually announce a guest now we weren't able to announce a guest when we did the uh, end of the show but yes we have a first time guest next week and someone that's making a name for herself on the indie scene lately as we're joined by an independent wrestler and podcast uh, host of a podcast uh, including one with uh, my friend uh, Kevin McAvaney of PWI and it's the Purposely Illustrated podcast so uh yeah it's gonna be great to have her on and uh should be a hell of a show next week on between the sheets everybody listen to that yes so there's that all right you can follow me on twitter at chris zellner k-r-i-s-z-e-l-l-n-e-r show proper at bt she's pod bix at david bix and bix what's going on in your world this week all right i'm not sure yet if when it's going to be up probably sometime this week uh have a new article at Fanbyte. It's something I was going to work on anyway, and then it kind of got, based on the news cycle, kind of retrofitted also into something that's going on. So with, with there being more uh, wrestlers asking for their WWE release drama and not getting it, I want to look at some of the historical context of that, including uh, some documents I picked up recently. I'm trying to figure out if I should even explain yet where they came from. But I have the letters to and from Rick Rude between him and the WWF from his uh, contract dispute 30 plus years ago. So that'll be mixed into that article looking at uh, the Roderick Strong thing, the recent history of all this, but also how it goes back and deep into the past as well. Yeah, this ain't nothing new. (laughs) This stuff has happened for years. Yes. Actually, you know what? Screw it. I'll say where I got it. It's this is why sometimes this stuff's just a shot in the dark. So I had learned that eventually, okay, if I want to try to get stuff from the uh, office of the U.S. attorney, well, excuse me, executive office of the U.S. attorney to get stuff from, you know, the WWF investigation, there's so much that they basically told me, like, because technically I still have like one or two requests trying to ask for everything from like five years ago. They said just send in narrow down requests about specific dead people and stuff so i was like okay you know rick rude was a witness in the steroid trial blah 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 among the stuff that was in there it was various correspondence including those letters so you never know what you're gonna get and so i always say on twitter with freedom of information act and all that stuff it's just about doing it as much as possible because sometimes you have a good idea what you might get but a lot of the time you have no idea and it will surprise you a lot yeah, you never know. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So should be a very interesting uh, article to read there from Bix on that. All right. Well, that is it for us on this section. It's time to get back to the rest of the show. All right, JD's back with us as we go to the indie scene here in 1990. And we start with ICW, the Savoldies. And there is no news for this, but we have TV clips for the week. We very rarely ever play ICW television, so it's the only right to play some TV. So we may not have news, but Brian Bristol has news. Oh, no. Let's go to the ICW (laughs) news for the week. On their May the 5th TV show. How do we even know, though, that it was intended as the May the 5th TV show, though? It's ICW. Well, it's the air date that it, this show aired on, so that's all I know. How do you know it's the first date this show aired on? It's what it says on here. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, at this point, they were airing a decent amount of first-run stuff, so... Yeah, 1990 they were. Yeah, so let's go to ICW News with Brian Bristol and his amazing hair. Welcome back, everyone. This is Brian Bristol with the RCW News. Another impressive victory by Roadblock today as he defeated Joe Cruel. Another detour on the road for Mr. USA Tony. The champion right now, I feel, has got a lot to worry about with the Roadblock on his tail. The Texas Terminator in the big hoss today, victorious in single competition, one half of the Wild Bunch. This tag team, I feel, are the ones to watch. Also today, a very impressive debut by Primetime, getting a submission out of his opponent. Seems stars from all over the world are coming here to the ICW. None better anywhere. Also today, we saw the Hawaiian Hurricane and his upset defeat over Al Cornbread Phillips, who, as you know, is one half of Ebony and Ivory. It seems we haven't seen too many pineapples as of late from the Hawaiian Hurricane, but as you know, Vic Steamboat remembers what happened to him just a few short weeks ago, and it seems this feud is coming to a boil. Pretty soon we will see the final matchup between these two. Speaking of Vic Steamboat, let's go hear what he has to say. Yeah, less. Hurricane, brother, it's far from over. Let me tell you something. I don't care if it's in the mainlands, back in the islands, or overseas. I'm going to get my chance at you. It's going to come quick. Dick Steamboat and the Hawaiian Hurricane, this match is coming to a boil soon here in the ICW. Up next, wrestling fans, the match we have waited for for a long, long time. The final match in the long ICW Tag Team Championship Tournament as we see two-time champions, the dynamic duo, Irresistible Eric Sprasher and Fabulous Phil Apollo as they take on Duke's Undertakers. Tune in next week for up-to-the-minute happenings around the world of professional wrestling. This is Brian Bristol. See you next week. Look, let's be honest. Where do most of the other wrestling hotlines get their news? From the Wrestling Fans Hotline. And so can you. All you've got to do is call every day, 1-900-230-1133. You'll hear the most up-to-date news on the world of wrestling possible. And not only that, it is the only hotline that allows you, the fan, to participate. Call from a touchtone phone, and you can leave a message for your favorite wrestler. That's right. Talk back to the wrestlers right here on the Wrestling Fans Hotline. Every Monday night, it's the Wrestling News Wire uh, with Joe Pettacino on two. Tuesday night, go behind the scenes with the Locker Room Confidential and Bonnie Blackstone. On Wednesday, you get to vote on Wrestling Point Counterpoint with Rich Mancuso. On Thursday night, it's the Rumble Seat, starring Tony Rumble. Friday night, you'll hear the lighter side of the ring with Adam Smash. On Saturday, it's Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Bill After and the PWI Report. And on Sunday, hear yourself on Voice of the Fans. It's $2 a minute, and kids, make sure your parents know you're calling. Find out what's going on in the world of wrestling on the Wrestling Fans Hotline. 
shopping sponge at the uh, elite indoor slot. Yeah, Joe Pettacino and the wrestling fans hotline. Funny that his every, everywhere Joe Pettacino's at, there's a hotline that starts up, just like Jim Ross in in the '90s. But uh, Brian Bristol, because this is this is your heroes right here, your Northeast heroes, your childhood wrestling. So uh, always a hoot to go back to this era. Sure. <laughs> um, I guess the most noteworthy thing here is that we are about to see the end of the. Uh, months-long international uh, tag team tournament for the vacant tag team titles, which... Uh, okay, yes, I see the match actually is on the show. It's listed as Undertaker it versus Dynamic Duo, so it threw me for a second. It's the Puccios, yes. Yes. Um, shall I describe what this tournament actually looked like, Chris? Yes, go ahead. And what made it international? Yes. They just aired random matches they had tapes of from different places. <laughs> and claim they were part of a tournament, including matches from the Win Lucha Libre TV tapings that they claimed they were getting on the satellite from Mexico. In this case, though, because it's Win Mexico means San Bernardino, California. Well, close enough, I guess. It's closer to Mexico than New York. <laughs> yes, and of course, one of the highlights of that is a match where you have the Guerreros and... Uh, I believe it's Bob Dow is on commentary with Tony Rumble and keeps talking about the uh, the great action provided by the Gueros. <laughs> Gueros! <laughs> and I see Bob Dow is our host on uh, this edition of International Championship Wrestling. Of course. Well, we have another clip to play, and then we'll talk more about this, as Super Duper Mario shows up. Four quarters of this big... Uh I opened the. I actually queued it up by mistake in a different tab from where you had your timestamp. So yes, it's kept up. Hello, everybody out there in the television <laughs> land. This is a super duper Mario. I got a few of the little messages for my bambinos. With you all know that the school is going to be getting out soon, and we want you all to be careful so you have a safe and, and a pleasant summer vacation. I also got a message for my mama. She wanted me to say hello to Baba Dow, and she also wanted me to say to the Boston Cream Puff. Ab Is that Heyman on commentary? That's not like Tony Rumble. Okay. But I don't think it's shared by the millions of youngsters around here right now. Shared by the millions of youngsters in my neighborhood, child. Okay, it is tough. Super duper Mario. I don't see any super or duper about Mario. Well, I tell you the kids. All I see is a big, fat geek. He's a spaghetti fender from, uh, what, Naples or something? I don't know where he's from. I'll tell you, he is always with a smile on his face, always with good advice. All right. Um, go ahead. That's Bob Down play by player, right? Yes. Sounds like Scott Farrell. <laughs> 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 
Um, you know, I I remember seeing that because Pedicino played on his block late. This was what was like the the end of the block around the two a.m. slot. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing this and like, what in the hell? (laughs) We have a Super Mario gimmick, and it it was years later before I found out it was Rusty Brooks. We didn't realize it was Rusty Brooks until like a year or two ago. Well, yeah, yeah, there you go, long time. Well, because that's amazing to me. It makes sense. Like once you hear it's Rusty Brooks, of course it's Rusty Brooks. But with his hair and mustache dyed, it camouflages it a surprising bit. A surprising amount, I should say. In a promotion run by Italians. I mean, <laughs> that is like the worst stereotypical Italian accent right there. Oh, my oh God. All the little the bambinos and bambinos. <laughs> Oh, oh, and my favorite Northeast independent wrestler is Gino Caruso. Oh, I mean, it's terrible. No, but I mean, uh, I mean, I've Mr. Italy, Gino Caruso, not to be confused with the man who called himself the original Gino Caruso, the fake Super Calo. (laughs) Gino, did did, did you ever have ICW? Did you just call JD Gino? Gino, I'll take it. You got Gino on my mind, but JD. <laughs> we would get some IWCCW that would play um, occasionally. We would get Close it. Close enough. Later <laughs> on, <laughs> yes. It would play after Windy City Wrestling occasionally. So I would catch old episodes. Like, I remember oh. watching it in, like, 93 in, like, uh, Mondo Clean and Tasmaniac oh, yeah. down there. And I just remember thinking, what? What? <laughs> God, is this? But it entertained me. Like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It is an Italian-American. I'm... Both offended and can't stop laughing. So <laughs> it's awesomely terrible. Yeah, we got credits too. Yeah, uh, I like how the talent coordinator, it, how in the credits, Mario Savoldi actually uses his real name. It's Mario Fornini. Uh, yes. How about that, huh? Yeah. Um, Tyson Derry in the Florida right there sounds like NXT 2.0 name. Video <laughs> services in Lewiston, Maine. There you go, of course. Yes. What a what a show. What yes. a show this. And don't forget that we're only a month or two away from them beginning the five year anniversary celebration for ICW, which <laughs> meant yeah, let's just stop taping TV and air your old old shit for the second half of the year. <laughs> well, we're celebrating our anniversary, so let's play old stuff. Yes, which is also not even their actual anniversary, it's just when they started calling it ICW because they had been running shows <laughs> in TV for like a year before that. Yeah. As international world wrestling. Yes. Which, Lord have mercy. Is ICW <laughs> the smallest promotion with the biggest syndication footprint? It would have to be, or at In least this close, era, right? At least. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah. Because I can't think of anything else that... Uh, there's other groups, but they didn't... They didn't... You know, Russin and... You know, Eddie Mansfield, they were on they Fourth were, Channel. And they were running bigger schedules on... Well, they had some syndication, too, but they were running on a bigger scale and all that, you know? Like, or or they, or they other shows that what had some decent distribution, they at least were trying to run territories, too. Does LPWA count? That's also mainly just a TV promotion, though. Yeah, they're too. just a TV promotion, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I guess it's them. And this is really just an indie that's 
for some reason, which may or may not have to do with other Italian stereotypes, happens to have very <laughs> wide syndication distribution. Yeah. Um, well, it was starting in this it. era, really. Yeah. Yeah, this is when it gets a lot more widespread around ninety ninety one, as opposed to before when, I guess, their biggest exposure previously would have been, um, when they were on Tempo in like eighty seven, right, on cable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and of course, one I, of remember, the I remember the NWF being syndicated here. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Regular syndication, not Petasino Block. Yeah, it was on in uh, the station that didn't have Petasino at the time, sixty nine. Mm hmm. Where he would go there later on, but yeah, but yeah, they, they would air NWF as part of their wrestling deal. So yeah, and what was the <laughs> other thing I was going to say? Of course, first time, I saw, first time I saw DC Drake and Damian Kane and those characters. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, Tivoli stories comes not long after this, about six, seven months later, when after they announce that they have merged with world-class champion Jabrasling, mm -hmm. and their syndicator sends out letters to every USWA Challenge TV station claiming that the time slots were in Kevin Von Erich's name as world-class and that they would start cold mailing them icw tapes that they excuse me iwccw tapes they should be running instead and if they don't start doing that that they'll sue them <laughs> God, i love wrestling steve beverly explained at the time wait a second how is this supposed to be a bluff given how much it would cost just to mail out the tapes not knowing if they'd be used <laughs> exactly <sighs> don't you love wrestling yeah, it's the best. Speaking of uh, North DC Indie Wrestling, Larry Sharp and Dennis Corluzzo's WWA ran two television tapings last weekend. On May the 5th in Woodbury, New Jersey, they drew 600 fans used, using most of the Monster Factory crew with Chief Thunder Mountain and Big Hoss when the tag titles from Mike Moore and Al the Sledgehammer manager Dr. Mark Curtis. Brian Hildebrand debuted for the group as well on that taping. Hmm. And then the next. When where would they have used? Would this just be the public access stuff we've seen? I guess. Well, let me continue. So the next night they co-promoted with Rob Russin for a TV taping on uh, on May the sixth in Mount Holly, New Jersey, for Sports Channel America, where the new Samoan SWAT team, Coquina and Samu, managed by Alpha, faced Larry Sharp's Pitbull Express. We know that is. Yes, Anthony Durante and Gary Wolf in their original guise as British Bulldogs knockoffs. With the Samoans being the baby faces, JYD took his best bump in years. Unfortunately, it was because the top rope broke as he was coming off the ropes and tumbled to the floor. Crowd was about a thousand, and others on the show included Ivan Koloff, Kerry Von Erich, Larry Cameron, Derek Dukes, David Isley, and Cousin Luke. And, okay, in, in knowing that this had a wwa yes wwa component to it is interesting but this is this is a taping i think a lot of people have seen i think some of this ended up on one of those iwa uh, commercial dvds right yes iwa basically but it's, co it's got wwa co-promotion it's yeah. an iwa tv taping with larry and dennis promoting the town basically yes 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 but i had not known that though about that taping so that's kind of interesting but the, the night before I, I had tapes where there was a public access WWA show from a little later on, like 91, 92. So I guess that's what the first night is. Maybe. 
Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, though. And Carrie, of course, appearing on TV here shortly before he was first supposed to go to WCW and then goes to WWF. But also, um, I forget if Carrie's get cited. Kevin's WWA appearances get cited. Excuse me, IWA appearances get cited when um, Jerry Jarrett counters Kevin's lawsuit later in the year by pointing out that both Carrie and Kevin had breached the terms of the deal they made when Jarrett bought into Dallas by working for uh, competitors. Mm-hmm. Of on air not reading the five print, I'm shocked. So, there you go. All right, let's go to Florida in Florida Championship Wrestling. Sportatorium in Dallas on May 3rd. We have Dennis Knight over Joe Padero. Dennis Knight, of course, being Midian. Joe Gomez over the Coconut Kid. Hurricane Walker over Hollywood Rob. Jimmy Backlund over Tim Powerhouse Parker. And Mike Graham and Steve Kern over Robert Fuller and Kendall Windham by disqualification. Then the TV tape is on May 9th. Mike Graham and Joe Gomez won the Florida Tag Titles from Robert Fuller and Kendall Wyndham when Fuller turned on Wyndham. And Kendall's now a babyface again. The results here, Mike Graham over Sergeant Rock. Steve Kern over Joe Padero. Hurricane Walker over Dennis Knight. Jimmy Backlund over Coconut Kid. Kendall Wyndham over Fuller over Bodyguard Mike and Wild Thing. And then Graham and Gomez win the tag titles. Joe Gomez, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm sure he had yes. a good time with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is May 1990. This is before we had that article about Ric Flair at the uh, what the Florida Alabama game where he was with his good friend Joe Gomez. Yes, that we read on the show. Yes, and he's about to go to WCW too at this time as well. Alan Iron Eagle, that's correct. Yes, 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 yes. I'm sure he had a lot of fun with everyone there. <laughs> Where if Joe Gomez was around, there was a party, a party favors, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. there you go. I, I hear he was big in the import export business. <laughs> I'm sure he knew about the Tampa pipeline real well. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of Tampa, Dick Slater's in line to work as a stunt double in the fight scenes of Sylvester Stallone's movie Rocky Six. Well, too bad wait a there's while. no Rocky Six yet. <laughs> But he was a stunt double in Rocky Five. Yeah, he is uh, <laughs> Tommy he's, Morrison. He's Tommy Morrison's stunt double in the closing fight scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. and once you know it, and you sl- and you freeze frame in the right spots, it is also very obvious that it's Dick Slater. Yes, yes, it is. I mean, they had the same type of hair style at the so time. It's, yes, yeah, it's easy to to do that one. But yeah, it, it was. Yes, it looks it, similar it, enough. Well, yeah. Yeah. Although, also, wasn't Tommy Morrison a bit taller than both Slater and Sly? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Tommy Morrison was like six foot three or four. He was a tall, dude. Yeah. And Stallone definitely ain't tall, and uh, Slater's not the tallest of guys. So yeah. Mm. But anyway, yeah. Oh, Dick Slater getting stunned up at work. All right, now let's go to the USWA, and we'll start with Memphis. A couple more title changes over the weekend. First off, Jerry Lawler regained the USWA title, which he had defended the previous night in Dallas. You know how that goes. <laughs> Beating Jimmy Valiant in Memphis on May the 4th, while John Tatum won the Southern title from Bill Dundee on May the 3rd in Dallas. We need a Texas title clarification. 
Last week in Dallas, Gary Vardier gave the Texas title to Matt Bourne in order to save their friendship. So Bourne had the belt, but officially the USWA still recognizes Kerry as a champion. Well, more on that when we get to Dallas. On Memphis TV, they showed all the clips to tell the story on how Jeff Jarrett and Billy Travis are back together as a tag team. Yeah, Billy Joe had turned babyface again in Dallas, and they're bringing it to Memphis this time. Yes, but so the WMC TV at this point is not online, I don't believe. No, no, no nothing from Memphis TV is on YouTube for this week. Yeah, just now, the uh, Evansville TV, which is mostly Dallas TV at this point. Yes, well, it's yes, just different, a, ho- a, a hodgepodge. Yeah. Uh, the title changed on television. Valiant came out, asked Lawler to come out. Valiant said he lo- still liked Lawler and couldn't understand why they weren't friends anymore. And as for a scientific match... Dave says, think about that one for a while. <laughs> Lawler accepted the match, and it was scientific all the way. And Dave was told it was a better match than their TV match the previous Saturday. Let's have Reggie be fine through a chain in, and Lawler used it on Valiant to regain the title. After it was over, Valiant challenged Lawler to a title match on May the 7th, in which the loser had to be carried out on a stretcher. More on that in a minute. Also on TV, Mike Awesome and Chris Champion have a pull-apart brawl with Ronnie P. Gossett managing Mike Awesome. Now, that's a sentence. <laughs> all right let's go to the mid-south coliseum on may 7th in front of 1800 fans we had the inhuman over ben jordan bill dundee over lou winston the uptown posse a sweet daddy falcon and brickhouse brown retained the usda tag titles beating the southern rockers steve Dahl and ritz king mike awesome over chris champion jeff jarrett and billy travis over the dirty white boys by disqualification and then Lawler won the stretcher match from Jimmy Vane for the USWA title by using Ether to put Vane away. Now, J.D. McKay told Matt Watch that there just wasn't the same feeling as in those old Mid-South shows of the past. It seemed like only the hardcores were there, and they just didn't have the fire in them like they did in the early 80s. Let's well, just J.D. hope well, that's, that's all J.D. McKay told them. <laughs> well, that's all that it was in this. But from that J.D. to this J.D. and some of us, I mean... Memphis had gone through the decline and, you know, throughout the 80s, as the 80s went on, the attendances declined. And you would have your little blips, like the Rich Idol and Lawler feud and stuff like that. But it just, as time went on, it declined and it just keeps on and on and on as the promotion goes further. And oh, there's, it's, var- there's various reasons for that. What, do, what are your thoughts on, on how Memphis was going here? Well, it's just evolving into an indie at this point, right? Like, like the national promotions have stretched out and guys are making more money and Memphis is kind of what it is. Right. And this is kind of what they would be until the USWA dies in the mid nineties, but six, seven years later, like it just, it's not surprising. Like you watch those shows from the early eighties and it's hot. You have all this talent. And now with just the economics of everything, I mean, you got to credit them more for keeping the ship afloat while everybody else is going under more than anything, you know, but just, it's not, it's just ways what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a mom-and-pop business trying to survive in a box store world, you know, in wrestling at this point in time. Where, I mean, hell, we just talked about earlier with the NWA. I mean, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, WWF's the only real, real, you know, major profit-making wrestling promotion around at this time, really. Right, you know? Mm-hmm. You think a lot of it, so everything was so overexposed in the 1980s that this is just the backlash of it, of it wrestling really not kind of being cool anymore? I mean, I think that there's possible that, that that there's that. And I mean, you've got to the point where 
you've got to your fan base and that's what you got. Mm-hmm. You know, you need something to hook in those extra fans that would come out and they never could really find that on a regular basis. They had their moments, but they, they just, I mean, look, they brought all those WWF talent in, in 1993 and they did okay. But then when you do something like that, that, that pretty much kills your home attendance because now the fans aren't going to go until there's WWF talent on that show. That's and what Cornette says. That's yeah. what kills Cornette. Yeah, yep. exactly. We should mention, yep. too, though, that at the time we're covering, Memphis and the Memphis Loop towns are kind of an afterthought. They're, yeah, but they're still going. They're still going, you know? but Jarrett had considered moving them to once a month and all that and was clearly focusing on Dallas at the time. Yeah, but that's only one night a week and Saturday morning. So you yes. have you have Louisville, you have Memphis on Monday. But, the, you have, but, the, but you're taping your TV, but the TV for both promotions was taped at the same time. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, but we're all well, yeah, but we're also getting into to that era though where they're about to go back to Tape it in Memphis on Saturday morning. Yeah. How thin uh, is Jared spread at this time between running the two territories, basically? Because that's based, you think about it, that's a lot more on his plate than it was a decade earlier. I mean, he's just he's just running it. He's not. But the business creative. aspect of it. No, not he's creative. Not, he, yeah, he's not a creative anymore. I'm, I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know when the last time Jared actually was the booker of record. Maybe 89. I don't even know if it is. Maybe 88. You know, when's the last time he was officially the booker on record? You know, because we know Fuller booked in 88 and then into 89. And then Lawler books in 89. Maybe Jared books in 89. That, that, that day, Jared may have a hand in booking if the Fuller leaves. And then Lawler takes over from him because you know when Lawler's booking. Because of who's, I mean, who's on top and all the stuff going on. So it's pretty obvious when he's in charge, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, yeah. I wonder, I wonder when Jarrett's last run as a booker was, because I don't think he has any more runs after, uh, in the nineties. So I don't know. I, well, depending on when he comes into WWF, like depending on how much you believe on who was doing what creatively. Well, I'm talking about like, I'm talking, well, yeah. I'm talking about just Memphis proper. Yeah. Yeah. I you get know? you. Yeah. Memphis proper. I mean, I'm not, you know, counting WWF or anything I else. You. But um, but yeah, it's a uh, interesting to watch the territory just you know decline as time went along. You know, it's a lot of, fun, of great TV and fun stuff. It just it didn't hit that you know spot with the Memphis fans like it used to. This group lost another dirty white boy this week. Jimmy, Jimmy Powell from Georgia was brought in to replace Alice Porto, who quit. Powell left his few weeks and went back home since his wife was expecting and also because he couldn't afford to stay because of the pay. <laughs> this what was is that? that? What I'm, well, this is what I meant about how much about how much Jared is spread thin because he's running these two territories now and it sounds like the stories of the era are the money is really bad. Like, isn't this the time where Dutch is like, well, you know, we can't be on, we're not on food. Isn't that how the joke went? Like they're talking about steroids and they can't eat like that's what well, I'm wondering about. Is like you're not running two territories that really aren't drawing well. Well, what was that that Bo was saying the other show, Bix, about the you know the the guys that come in and leave early. 
you know, and about when they talk about the pay. What was it? You stay here for six for six weeks. You start to get a push in some money. You stay here six months. You're here for life. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the guys that come around and, and they're like, "Well, I ain't making nothing here," and then leave quickly. You know, those are the ones that would be out there being kind of vocal about it. But then the ones that tough it out, you know, they they actually start making some money. So yeah, I mean. I get it. I mean, Jimmy Powell's wife is having a baby and stuff like that, and he lives in North Georgia. I mean, that's a and between uh, he's either in the Georgia line, Alabama line. He's right there in that area. I mean, that's a you know driving to Memphis, you know, staying in, in that territory. You know, it's not it's not a long way, but it's a nice little piece. So, well, also yeah, wasn't that Dallas? That wasn't Georgia, I don't think. No, Dirty White Boys are in Dallas. That's what I'm saying. Memphis. No, Memphis. We just brought them off in Memphis. They may have been working both, though. Yeah, because the angle where po- I, the angle where Porto is written off TV is Dallas. Yeah, but they're working here in Memphis too on the Monday Night Show, so it could have been both. Yeah, yeah, he did. But Jim Powell did work Dallas. Now I remember that. Yeah, so that's the yeah that's a nice long ride. So it was Tom Burton Powell's replacement, or was Porto Burton's replacement? Burton replaced Powell. Okay, so Tom Burton's coming in next. Powell replaced Porto. Yes. So right. And speaking of and speaking of Dirty White Boys, Memphis, I mean Dallas on May the fourth. In front of five twenty five, Gary Young beat Chico Torres. Chris Adams over Steve Austin with Jeannie. Chris's ex wife tried to interfere but it backfired. Dirty White Boys over Jarrett and Travis when Tony Anthony hit Travis with his own guitar at ringside with the pin. John Tatum beat Bill Dundee that won the Southern title. Kevin Von Eric and Sheep Braddock never took place because one of the two never made it to the building. Take a guess which one. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Bourne over Eric Gamber using the trunks, which led up to Lawler and Kerry in the main event. Lawler was supposed to be searched for the match, but before the bout started, Kerry told the crowd that he was going to give one last try to save his friendship with Matt Bourne, and he was giving Bourne a title shot at Lawler. Lawler did cradle Bourne in 30 seconds to keep the title. Because Lawler won so quickly, he didn't challenge Kerry, and Kerry pinned Lawler. In 30 seconds, but Lawler made it clear that since he already defended his title, it was a non-title match. All right, so on the Saturday show, Mark Lawrence had his final TV broadcast in Dallas. You know, I didn't even notice this was part of this thing, so we'll have to bring that up, I guess, at the end, Bex. Uh, they brought out John Brazil and Ed Watt out of the office, along with Kerry and Jeff Jarrett to honor him. Watt called Lawrence the finest announcer in the business today. That ranks right up there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I love Martin Rats, Dave. <laughs> I mean, he, he's especially fun in this era. Yeah, I think Dave and the others were projecting their dislike of later era world class on his announcing. I mean, he's he's not Bill. He's not Bill Mercer, for God's sakes. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that that too, they kind of projected on that. Yeah. Yeah, he is he is definitely not Bill Mercer. You never want to be the guy who replaces the guy. No. But but yeah, but the thing is Bill Bill Mercer though was so bad that uh <laughs> I mean you, that's what made Martin Lawrence even look better. It's a cause that's of true. that. You know? So um so yeah. I'm looking for it now on this video. I meant to find the other one because I think the other one is a little bit longer. 
So let me see. Oh, there's here. a separate upload of it. Yeah, because the one you had does not yeah. have the end of the show. Yeah, the, the yeah. Here's one that's a longer one. Uh, so I'm looking for it now. Uh, yeah, it's a start. It's a start of the show too. Okay, so I'm getting uh, it right now. I thought it was the end of the show. No, it's actually at the start. Okay. So let me. Uh... Oh no, the other one is much longer. Okay, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that's on classic yeah. wrestling stuff. Okay, I see. The one that was uploaded from the set we already had. You know that we have burnt DVDs of is the uh, one that's on classic wrestling stuff. The one that Roy uploaded was from a separate collection he was converting. Uh, hold on, I, I didn't give you the right timestamp. Hold on. Well, I can pull it up myself. Uh, this has got a, uh, a, a, a the timestamp I gave you has a commercial for Supersonic Texas Wrestling. Yeah, uh, I see that. <laughs> is it one the of the competitors? Of Okay, yeah, yeah, I see with the plaque and stuff. Okay, I got it, I got it. I'm queuing it up. Do you want me to play the Supersonic Texas Wrestling commercial? No, 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 no. Or the commercial for, uh, what is this, Optical Clinic? No, that's okay. Okay. So, let me unmute. To break, that we had new World Tag Team Champions. I want to first show you the title change that took place... Martin, no, this is coming, by the way. Following Clearly. that, I'll be back to intro a couple of tapes that will help us see the Southern Rockers and also the team of Brickhouse Brown and Sweet Daddy Falcone, whose manager, of course, is Reggie B. Fine. Right now, let's go back and see exactly how the title changed in that situation. Well, before we do the tape, I think we're going to have to move over here to the set. Just, just stay there, John. Let me come over. I think I suspect a little bit what's going on. Hello, Edwin. I... <laughs> I didn't expect to see you, John Brazell. Yeah, Mark, well, we, uh, you know, we're awful sad about you leaving us and everything. We're awful excited about your career in the ministry and everything. And we wanted to bring some guys down that you worked with in the last 10 years and uh, offer you this plaque that we had made up for you. I'd like to read it to the people. It's from the USWA presented to Mark Lawrence for 10 years of dedicated service to the sport of professional wrestling and the United States Wrestling Association from the fan staff and management of the USWA. All right, that is beautiful, John. I'll shake your hand. Thank you. Let me hold that up for the television camera. And then hold it up for the fans here to see a beautiful tribute. So, thanks to everyone, fans and management both. That is beautiful, and that will go in the parsonage wall down at Maypearl. Thank you, John. Ed Watt would like to say a few words to you. To you. Uh, brought Kerry Von Erich down and Jeff Jarrett representing the, the new USWA. The new USWA. We've got, we've got history here and, and the new things. Edwin? Okay, Mark. For the past 37 years, I've been here at the Sportatorium. I've had the good fortune to know a lot of extremely talented MCs and announcers. Johnny Hicks and Horace Logan were two of the greatest in the country music field with Big D Jamboree. In wrestling... The longtime favorite here was the late George Preston. However, of all the announcers, I consider you to be the finest wrestling announcer in the wrestling profession today. We all consider ourselves very fortunate to have had you We're here with us at USWA. The 10 years have flown by, and we will deeply miss you. May God bless you when you leave us to enter the ministry. Hey, thank you, Edmund. I appreciate that. Ed Watt. All right, Kerry Von Erich now. Now, I want to say right here that last night was probably the most exciting and the most touching night I've ever had here at the Sportatorium with everyone here to say goodbye. 
But of course, Carrie, you were right in the middle of that, and you don't need to say or do anything else because you came through last night. Mark, first of all, on today, on today, nothing we can say and nothing we could ever give you could show our appreciation enough for what you've done for us and the USWA. I'm going to miss you. Ed's going to miss you. John, we're going to, my brother Kevin, and uh, on behalf of the whole Von Eric family, Mark, man, hang in there, brother. Good luck in the ministry, and you're always welcome in the Sportatorium. All right. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate those great words. And best of luck to you in your title situation. Don't run away. I want to talk to you in a minute. Jeff. Well, Mark, I, I, there's not really much more I can say, but uh, I, I feel sort of cheated myself personally because I've only been around you a little over a year, and you've helped me out and helped everybody out, not only myself and Carrie, but all the fans. You've been great to all of us, and I just wish you the best of luck and uh, come back and see us. All right, Jeff. Appreciate that very much, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your thoughtfulness. Now, Carrie, now may not be the time, but I want you to stay with us. And, and from time to time during the two hours, I want to talk to you about this unprecedented situation. Here we are commemorating friendship and good years together. At the same time, we've got a tragedy on our hands with another situation falling apart. Well, that's right, Mark. Um, what's happened has been a tragedy, but this is your moment right now. I'll just tell the people we're on a roll. We're going to take the world title. We're going better than we've ever felt. And we're, this is your moment, brother. We'll talk later. All right, we'll talk later. Thank you, Kerry. All right. You know, it hasn't been until the last couple of years that I have really realized how much the fans have meant to me. And in case I had uh, let that slip the past few weeks, it certainly was brought home last night and I'm sure will happen again today. You all, whether on television, in person, or both, have occupied and will continue to occupy a very special place in my heart. So we may not be seeing each other on television on a regular basis, but we'll be thinking of one another, and that's what counts anyway. So thanks to all the great fans who have made my 10 years here so very special. Now then, I don't want this to be a sad or somber occasion. I want it to be a night of fun, a night of excitement here on Channel 11. For those of us here this morning, a morning of fun and excitement. And we've got a lot of stuff, so let's all have fun for the next couple of hours and start out, if I can remember what I was doing a minute ago, and that is show you the <laughs> World Tag Team title change that took place in Memphis just the other day involving... Okay. Yeah. I know Dave hadn't seen this yet. But it's really shitty to wrote what he wrote when you see what a genuine segment this is. Yes, I mean, and this is this is something that only works in places like this, where the guy has you know been one of the voices of the promotion for ten years. Well, and especially know, he, on this show, he had been the voice of KTV, the KTVD show, pretty much the whole time he was there. Pretty much, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean. It's this is a this is a guy who's it's, it's like you're when you're you know a sports fan, and you have your announcer. I mean, they're as important to you as the players are because they represent the team. You know, um, JD. I mean, good lord, Chicago has had some legendary announcers over the years. Oh yeah, Harry Carey, of course, Jack Brickhouse. Brickhouse. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Johnny Red <laughs> with the Bulls. I mean. Hawk 
Hawk Harrelson. The Hawk Harrelson. Guy. Tom, yeah. Tom, yep. And uh, Tom Pachorek. Pachorek. Yep. Steve Stone. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and of course, Atlanta. Good Lord. Skip Carey and Ernie Johnson and Pete Van Weeren and of course, Larry Munson, University of Georgia, stuff like that. Wrestling announcers that same way. Gordon, look at Gordon Soley and the connection that people have with him here and in Florida. And, you know, in Dallas, Bill Mercer, you know, he'd like him or not, he still had that connection. He announced the Cowboys, for God's sakes. I mean, it's an important connection you have that it's just not there anymore with national wrestling promotions. Ross was like the last one to probably have that connection with people. But I mean, this is, you know, this is a big deal when your longtime announcer is leaving. You know, that's the voice of your promotion that's going away. I kind of get Dave being jaded, right? That's just kind of his deal. And especially when it comes to anything world class in Texas. So, but it's hard to watch this and not just really feel like this is a genuine moment. Right. And it and you can tell with Lawrence, he he kind of tries to steer away from it and go back into the into wrestling and they're not letting him have it. And I appreciated that. Like it's very rare you get these like realistic moments where you're feeling something. And it was a cool thing to see. And it's in reading that, I, I disappointed, but at the same time, I get it. You cover this stuff. It's hard not to be jaded sometimes, but I think it's a misfire, man. I really do. Well, I, I think the thing that puts it over the top is Mark's little speech at yeah. you know to the fans mm-hmm. you know that's the thing i mean that's the genuine thing about it when anything else is that little speechy yes but and craig johnson comes in and he does a good really good job in his role he wasn't he was the thing about craig johnson that made him so good was he wasn't martin Lawrence. yes he wasn't trying to be you know the guy he replaced and see that's a problem you'll get sometimes with announcers is they try to be the guy they replace you don't over well <laughs> well, Corey's different. <laughs> well, he grew up on but, this, uh, yeah. Yeah, but he's different, though. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I love Martin Lawrence. I thought it was great. So did I. I like, again, I watched all this stuff way after the fact, so I don't have like the negative the negative biases that other guys do. I think he's entertaining. I've always loved watching this stuff in world class and here in USWA. So. Yeah. All right, well, let's continue on as um, Chris Von Erich comes out to do color commentary with Mark for a Matt Bourne squash match, which ended up with uh, Matt and Chris getting into it. So uh, let's go to that, shall we? Chris Von Erich, who's about to have a new uh, main host and announcer who is over a foot taller than him interviewing him starting <laughs> in a few weeks. Poor Chris. So... Well, Bill Dundee already had to deal, is going to have to deal with it, too, so he's not the only one. Yeah. Maniac point over and, and chat about the current state of affairs, which matter on the minds of everyone. It started with the Texas belt. Now it's gone on to the world belt. The Lawler situation where you got pinned very quickly. Where do we go from here? How has this come about? Well, back up a little bit. It started as a perfectly normal situation, Mark. There was a... There was a tournament, and the winner of the tournament got to face Kerry for the Texas title. Well, I won the tournament. I walked right through the tournament. And all of a sudden, I face modern day, and he doesn't want to get in the ring with me. It's plain as that. Now, I took you people wrong. All you people out there, I had you wrong. Because I thought you respected me for standing up for what I believe. And I, you see, I believe that that Texas title should be around my waist. So how do I do it? I gotta wrestle him. He will not wrestle me. He's, he is showing his true colors, Mark. And you people all showed your true colors too by standing behind a man that's a coward. That's right, he's a coward. 
He knows it. How many times, how many opportunities has he had? Chris, be careful. What's wrong with you, man? What's happening to you? Chris Von Erich. The Von Erich family gimmick. Everybody should have one. Hey, you look nice. Oh, you get your hair from? Oh. Uh, gentlemen, please. I bet your mama likes that, doesn't she? Hey, hey, tell me, why do they call your brother the modern-day warrior when he will not fight? Hey, why? Hey, oh, hey, I, hey, my hey, brother. Pack hey. out your tongue. That's okay, buddy. Hey, Let me ask you. My brother. Maybe you can answer this for me. What exactly? Look in the camera when you talk to him. I'm going to make it simple for you. What exactly is it going to take for your brother to get in the ring and have to lay his cards on the table and fight me? What's it gonna do? Hey, listen, my brother gave you a shot. He gave you the world, he gave you the Texas title, gave you a shot at the world title, and I might add, you were beaten in record. Hey! Hey, Matt, please. Wait a minute. <laughs> Matt! <laughs> Matt! <laughs> Matt! Maybe that'll make a Well, this is a terrible situation with Matt Moore doing this to Chris Von Erich. Obviously, the first priority for Kerry is to check on his brother. Matt is out of here, and we've got a real mess on our hands. Let's get out of here and take a break, and we'll be back. All right. So, later on the show... Oh, wait. I want to to comment on that slap first. Jesus. Okay, go ahead. That might be the hardest backhand slap I've ever seen anyone throw in my life. Slap the piss out of him. He looked like he might have legit rocked him with it. Yeah, I mean, Matt Bourne was that type of guy. You know, he he would stiff you. Yeah, I, I, what, I'm not really surprised that someone who apparently uh, kidnapped a young girl uh, from her mother, uh, who was standing outside a motel room, would... Take liberties in the ring, but <laughs> good heel. He learned from Portland. I mean, mm. yeah, <laughs> that's it's weird. Training, training ground. It's weird training hearing ground. him cut a non Roddy Piper promo though in this era. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, yes, later in the show, Terrence Garvin was having a squash match, and Kerry had enough. His his uh, anger had got to him. So let's go to the clip. Oh, is this what I'm thinking it is? Just watch. Involving Matt Boyd, involving the Von Erics, Adams, Tatum, girls. Who's our job guy here? Certainly makes for wild excitement. I'm not sure. Well, here's Kerry Von Erich down. Kerry Von Erich has come out and has nailed Terrence Garvin. Kerry spins with an Iskis ride on, on Terrence I don't know if it's that he's in no condition to perform, since that was not uncommon in this era. This clip so far is the most obvious it's ever been for me watching him. The carry has a prosthetic foot. Okay. <laughs> See, while, look at how stiff he is on that left on that one side. The left side is the prosthetic, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. I think Garvin it is. Throws him out of the ring. Let me try to hand well, let me go back a little, because he was... Get up the ring too. It's more when he was getting physical. Okay, so watch. Down. Watch. Gary Von Erich has come out and has nailed Terrence Garvin. Just watch his footwork. Gary spins with an Iskis right Yeah, it's not, it's not natural. Yeah. On Terrence Garvin and throws him out of the ring. 
thing. Um, did I just see the prosthetic twist? <laughs> I didn't see it. Anyway. Let me try to hand carry the mic, then I'm gonna get up the ring too. I was blinded by friendship. Because I was blinded, my baby brother's been hurt. When you hurt him, you hurt me. And when I hurt, I hurt other people. Matt Bourne, whatever it takes, Friday nights are mine. John Brazil, get down here right now. Bourne, you want to fight? We'll fight. All right, Kerry Von Erich obviously in a rage after what has taken place, and he's called for John Brazell, the matchmaker and promoter. John Brazell, if you can hear this announcement, Kerry has asked that you come to the ring. Here comes John Brazell now. Giving up a world title shot. You think I care about a world title hey, shot after just what happened to my brother? That's fine. If you want Bring to take it down care, now. If you want Friday to take care of the Matt Bourne situation, we'll take care of it next Friday night. I'll get the match inside. I'll take care of it. Friday night. Friday night. You promised me. I promise you. I'll Friday night. Up. Matt Bourne started it, and I'll finish it. All right, all right. Thank you for coming down, John. Kerry Von Eric wanting to face Bourne. John Brazell consenting to that. Another opponent for Lawler. Let me check into this situation via the headset or go to the back, whatever's necessary. And you watch this on television, and we'll be back for more in a minute. All right. That's a very Memphis angle and presentation and everything, where uh, John Brazil's playing the role of Eddie Marlin. And, like, Carrie is your baby face who's trying to do, you know, uh, you know, avenge his family's issue. So, uh, yeah, it's very memphis here on this one. Which makes sense, considering they're all together now. But yeah. this, is one, this is one of those angles that you wouldn't see in the old world class. Well, I mean, the formatting of the KTVT show, once they move it to the Sportatorium, is basically Channel 5 in the Sportatorium. Exactly, it is. Mm-hmm. Which, Which is why it's so enjoyable. Well, yeah, it's such a cool show. All the all the stuff we have of championship sports from that era, because you're basically getting Memphis TV in front of a couple thousand people. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, something else, and it's sad, but I feel like I have to point it out. Ever since I found that clip of Carrie at the, you know, the fitness expo at the second WBF championship weekend where he is fresh out of rehab and looks and sounds completely different. It becomes a lot more clear that he was pretty much never on TV straight. In the latter years, for sure. Because he is better here than he is a lot of other times in this era. Mm -hmm. But he's still also clearly under the influence of something 
And think about it, it's a Saturday morning coming off a Friday night that they worked. So Yeah. <laughs> a little bit extra for that. Yeah. Which but it's you know, it's it's sad. Like you said I think I forget exactly your words when I tweeted that clip last year whenever it was like it all it gives you mixed emotions because it's like the first time we're ever seeing the real guy. But it's also sad because then you realize A, what he had potential to be if he had cleaned up sooner. B this means that we pretty much never saw him sober. If he was able to get out of Dallas and go and go other places when he was younger, there's no telling how different Carrie Carrie's life is. Yeah. He needed to get out of Dallas. I mean, especially after, if David. The the first thing is David dying, and yes. then after that is you gotta get out of Dallas. That's when they go from being wrestlers who are partying to people who have. That's when you start hearing about them no showing and all that. Yeah. Definitely, bro. They definitely needed help, all of them. And it's a shame, you know, because this is a really good angle. Like, I really enjoyed watching this and I'd kind of forgotten about everything for a moment and really got caught up in it. And like, even the shame with Chris that happens later. And this was, this was really effective in showing what, what they could be a little bit if we were a little bit more straight, maybe could have gotten even more. Well, see, that's the thing in this era is the Von Eris. You see a different version of Von Eris because they're kind of more vulnerable mm-hmm. in the Eric Embry years and then post Eric Embry in this era because yeah. they were always treated as superheroes in the Fritz era. You know, they they weren't vulnerable and now they're vulnerable here. You know, it's, it's a totally different presentation of the Von Erics and it was fresh. Well, it's so hard when you're creating a story and creating a narrative with a character, right? If they don't ever have, if they're never down they can never really get those the big triumphant moments. And so I think that hurts a lot of wrestling sometimes. Like, oh, God, a guy's got to be strong when it's through the, that failure that you really can achieve something. Like just in just when you're working with fiction and you see it right here is this this moment of uh, – I don't not weakness so much, but this moment of failure. Like, like Harry says, I failed, and he has to overcome this. And it really – it's such an easy thing for an audience to like latch on to, and it works here. It's it's really a good – it's really a good angle, man. Yeah, it's Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. The basic idea of he let the friendship blind him, Mm -hmm. but obviously he couldn't do that anymore once Chris was attacked. That's a perfectly good angle idea on paper. Absolutely. And see, the thing is, is that that's the problem with the Von Erics, you know, because, I mean, Mike, Mike has his thing. But we can't show him being weak. We have to bring him out of Texas State at not at the Cotton Bowl, you know. That he's, you know, looking like death warmed over, but we have to bring him out. You know, he's he's the miracle, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't have him show that vulnerability. Carrie with a motorcycle wreck, you know, trying to bring always they're trying to bring him back way earlier than he should have come back. And it backfired on him twice. So yeah, you need that to build that sympathy up for him and stuff like that. But anyway. Oh, let's get to the lighter side. Another angle saw Hollywood John Tatum in a squash match. Bill Dundee came out with handcuffs and handcuffed Tatum to the ropes. Tatum in an interview earlier told Dundee that he would never get a title rematch. With Tatum handcuffed, Bill Dundee kissed Tessa, Tatum's valet, but Tatum still refused to give him a title shot. After he kissed Tessa a second time, Tatum agreed to give Dundee the shot. 
A funny thing afterwards, Tatum simply left, but Tatum was still handcuffed to the ring. Dundee had to come back and throw out and throw Tatum the key, but then Tatum dropped the key and had to get the key from security guard to unlock himself. Well, let's watch this, shall we? As John Tatum comes up for his interview, and yes, this is the end. The last time Mark Lawrence interacted with Tessa. So let's go to that. How thirsty is he? <laughs> we'll see. Dundee is looking for an immediate return to try to get the belt back fair and square without Miss Tessa being involved. All right, here they come now. Tessa's all dressed up today in her glittering top, her tight black breeches, and here comes the new Southern heavyweight. Hollywood, you've got the belt and you've got the girl. Bill Dundee, there's three things you'll never have in your life. First of all, you'll never have another shot at this title as long as you live. Second of all, you'll never get any taller. And third of all, <laughs> you will never, ever kiss Tessa again. What I want to do right now is, Mark Lawrence, I told you I was going to win this title for Tessa. Come here, honey. This is for you, just like I told you. Bill Dundee, the scenario's been made. I promise you, you'll never, ever get another shot at this title. Come here. Come here. That is the last thing you will ever do is kiss Tessa. All right. Hollywood John Tatum refusing to ever give Bill Dundee a title shot again. So you know we're going to play this whole thing. Heavyweight champion. Oh, boy. Which is not exactly you know, well, a reflection of great sportsmanship. You know why. Tessa, either way, is holding on to the belt while Hollywood John Lawrence? Tatum tries to make friends yeah. in the ring with Frogman LeBlanc. But the Frogman's been around long enough now that he's not well. I said that, and he did. Hard to say he wouldn't fall for it, but he walked into the trap. And Hollywood John Tatum has got Frogman LeBlanc hung in the ropes and is giving him a very arrogant Jesus. slapping session up against the body. Hollywood John Tatum, new Southern heavyweight champion. He's got the belt and the girl, and he's a happy man. And when he's happy, he is even more arrogant than always. <laughs> the laugh you heard just now was because uh, Hollywood John Tatum did his kata, uh, although we did <laughs> not get the acknowledgement on commentary that he is, in fact, a 52nd-degree black belt. That's right. That, that would, <laughs> yes, that, yes. Hollywood John Tatum says that Bill Dundee will never get a title shot, and I guess we'll have to rest on matchmaker John Brazell as if though he weren't busy enough to someday in the future give Dundee that title situation. Dog man the block in the midst of the reverse gym lock as you see the great camera shot of the excitement. And there's the camera shot of Tessa holding the belt. Give it up. Give it up. He's better give it up. Tatum is trying to win by submission is what he's trying to do. I keep hearing him yell, give it up, give it up. But so far, Frogman LeBlanc has not done so. Looks like he's trying to get the arms outstretched in order to perhaps reach for a rope or throw Hollywood John Tatum off. Not a whole lot he can do, though, in this situation outside of that. Wait, now, wait a minute. Bill Dundee has come down very quietly. He's told the crowd to be very quiet. He's got a pair of handcuffs. And he has just nailed John Tatum with the handcuffs. And he is 
He is putting John Tatum, who can't see, in the handcuffs. What is Bill Dundee doing? What is Bill Referee Dundee Tony Falk has not called for DQ yet for some reason. There we go. Are we picking this up on TV all right? We're going to treat her like a lady. Come on in here, darling. Come here. I like Lorenz noticing he's not hearing the promo on his headset. Let me ask you something. Let me ask. No, no. Just stand right here. He can't can't get away. Now, Hollywood, are you going to give me a title shot or not? <laughs> no. Hey, Tony Falk, come in. Hold the microphone. Hey, Hollywood. Just hang it. I'm going to ask you one more time. You going to give me a title shot or not? Never. Never, Dizzy. Assault. Because I'm enjoying this. Are you going to give me a title shot or not? Hollywood? I'm going to kill you. No! You will not have a title shot. Still no title shot. You're going to kill me. You ain't going to do nothing, Jack, because you can't get off. Oh, well, watch this, big boy. Uh-oh. Okay, okay, you can have it. You can have it. Don't get that. Don't get that. Don't get that. Hollywood, take it easy. I'll give him a title shot. Come here, Tessa. Don't kiss him anymore. Please don't USWA promoters, you heard that? It's signed, brother. One title shot, me against you. All right. Hey, some persuasion and even a parting kiss. Let me go back to the TV box. Well, Hollywood John Tatum is absolutely in a rage. And I think Bill Dundee indeed has his title shot, but he may also have some real problems on his hand in the future with Hollywood John. Tatum can't get free. And now Dundee has tossed Hollywood John Tatum the key to the handcuffs so that he can unlock himself. But Hollywood is fumbling and has dropped the key on the floor and is having a heck of a time getting out of this. Boy, Hollywood John Tatum is absolutely enraged. There he goes, bolting up the aisle. Chasing Bill Dundee away. I don't know where Miss Tessa went. I think she got lost in a hurt. Hey, that was neat. And if you'll stay with us, we'll have a lot more neat stuff coming up. We're going to have to sit down and take a whole complete look now at what's going on Friday night. Those changes are happening quicker than I can keep up with them. Uh, Pro wrestling where you used to be able to force yourself on a woman and get a pop for it. And she would go, and then she turns on Tatum and goes with him because she enjoyed his kissing. Well, she <laughs> likes it, Tony. She likes it. Uh, oh man! Yeah, nineteen ninety, everybody. 
it's funny. We talked about in the last sequence how you have this like foundational building block of of narrative fiction where the hero's loved one is put in danger and it puts them into the action and how they can pretty much do that anywhere, anytime, thrust in any situation. It's always going to work. And then you go into something that's aged absolutely terribly. Yeah. I mean, it's different times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, different times. Well, especially that they did the handcuffing bit because in more recent years, at least before the point where it became you wouldn't even want to have a heel do that anymore. We've seen this angle completely flipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But USWA and the whole in Memphis and Dallas was, uh, they were always on the cutting edge of, <laughs> of angles. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. But anyway. All right, so that's that was Mark Lawrence's swan song. So we didn't get any uh, swing sets from uh, Mark on that one, but still, uh, he, he well, did, well, he we did, did hear about her tight her black, black britches. britches. <laughs> huh? I, that's what I was saying. Her tight black britches. Yes. Said it before. I say it again. If I had a swing set like that, I'd never leave my own backyard. <laughs> Yes, the, 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 when, when she made her debut, that's still the best one. She is wearing is so the sh- distracted, <laughs> and this this woman may be wearing the shortest skirt I've ever seen, or was it the tightest skirt I've ever? No, it was the tightest skirt I've ever seen. And he's in the seminary. <laughs> she she was about to make him lose his religion. <laughs> well, he's not Catholic, so yeah. All right, so. Um, Ken Massey and Thomas Parker ran shows from May the 3rd to the 5th in three Mississippi towns, drawn 250 to 400 fans using Dr. Def Steve Williams as their headliner. The first night before 250 saw Dot beat Lou Fabiano, while Dot worked the second night with Iceman Keen Parsons before 316 fans in Vicksburg. In the final night in Fayette, they drew 400 for Doc against Ken Massey. Doc is trimmed down to about 260 pounds on a tuna fish diet, and claimed he'd be down to 250 for the All Japan, New Japan tour at this time, which starts this week. He's still working in New Japan. Um, yeah, Doc had gotten tremendous physical condition in this era. Maybe the best best of his career at this point in time. You know, because he kind of he 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 got in great shape and then kind of bolted back up a little bit. And then he dropped it back down again. And yeah, he got really, really good shape for the next couple of years or so. Yeah. You watch like the bulk of his Herb Abram stuff, and that's the leanest he ever was. Yeah. So. It's that low carb diet. Tuna. Tuna fish. All right. Well, let's go to the AWA. The most talked about show of the weekend was Twin Wars 90 in St. Paul. In which NWA champion Ric Flair and AWA champion Larry Zabisco appeared on the same card. Largely for the appearance of Flair, the AWA had its best gate in recent memory, a $22,000 house. 2000 paid, although with freebies, there were 44 in the building. As we have these results. In a match bill as part of a tournament for the AWA lightweight title, Tony Danucci pinned Todd Becker, negative two stars. Grades based on averaging six different sets of grades called in over the weekend. Negative two stars. That's a great way to start the show. Then we get DJ Peterson pinning the illustrious Johnny Stewart in 1401. Stewart's antics were embarrassingly bad, 
but his work rate was decent, and he carried Peterson, who blew up early, two stars. Wait. Well, wait, this is not Dave's own report. Maybe he shouldn't be phrasing that that way if it's not a show he was at. Because I was going to say, until I remembered he wasn't there, like, well, Dave liked those antics a couple of years later when Chris Candido was doing them. Well, yeah. Which, but by the way, that, oh, go ahead. This is, this is dying AWA. No, I know. But I was going to say. And that's Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, Chris Candido. It's it's a, you know, uh, beloved promotion. Right. What I was going to say, though, was um, since we don't get to talk about the illustrious Johnny Stewart much, seriously, if anyone listening has never seen him wrestle or not seen him in a very long time, you watch him and it is very obvious that Chris Candido was a fan. Oh, God. It's it's, it's almost like a total ripoff. The hair, the facial expressions, the tan. Yeah, he definitely cribbed a lot from the illustrious Johnny Stewart. Absolutely. Even even like the gimmick and the promos and stuff the like same that. Same style of the robe early on, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, a lot a lot of similarities there. Fuck it. I I'm calling an all but here. I'm gonna I'm gonna reweight. Wade's report. Yeah, why didn't you do this in the first place? Well, I didn't want to... I didn't you didn't want to have notes. to... Yeah, yeah, I get it. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's the difference we have. This is Wade's report and Dr. Lucha's star ratings with him. So Dr. Lucha was there and Wade was there, and they both have star ratings. So let's compare and contrast, and then we'll compare with Dave's then. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Danucci over top backer, Bill's elimination match for the AWA World Lightweight title. That's what it said when he aired the program, but... Wade thought it meant light heavyweight. A really bad match. Whole host of messed up moves, especially on Danucci's part. Danucci, no relation to Dominic, tried three Muda handspring elbows and at one part did a full gainer off the top rope, missing Becker by several feet. Um, St- Dr. Lucha, negative two stars. Wade, one star. So here's a negative two stars here, Bix. On, on Dave, so that's Dr. Lucha, obviously, mm-hmm. on that one. All right. Match oh, and two. the cover of the torch has uh, the illustrious Johnny Stewart. I see. Yes. Uh, DJ Peterson over the illustrious Johnny Stewart, a crucifix in 1401. Second best match of the evening. It was easy to tell that these guys wanted to work stiff and realistic as they had to overcome the bad taste left by the first match. Very tight throughout. The highlight was a spot involving referee of distinction Gary Juice Darusha. After Peterson had snapmared Stewart a few times, and Stewart had complained of hair pulling. Peterson, out of nowhere, gave a snapmare to Darusha. Supposedly, this proved to the ref that Peterson could execute the move without pulling the hair. Well, there you go. That's that's, that's different. Darusha thought about it a while, went over to Stewart and gave Stewart a clean snapmare out of nowhere. <laughs> the spot was executed perfectly, as was most of this match. Stewart was awe-inspiring at getting hate from the crowd. Now, here's the difference in ratings. Dr. Lucha, two and a half stars. Wade, three and a quarter stars. <laughs> So Wade loved him some illustrious Johnny Stewart picks. As he should. Yeah. Match number three, the Lumberjacks. UConn, John Norton, Scott Flash Norton defeated the Texas Hangman. No, no, Chris. Scott, what Norton did you say? Flash. No, Chris. It's the Lumberjacks. I know. He's wrong because this is Scott Flapjack Norton. Yeah. Well, I'm just reading what Wade has wrote down. Okay. Defeated Texas Hayman Killer and Psycho by pinfall 11-4, or did they? Norton gave Killer a clean body slam and pinned him. 
Darusha ordered the match restarted, maybe because the wrong Heyman was pinned. They immediately went to a brawl outside the ring. The bell rang, and Donna announced a double disqualification. Wade supposes this maintains the undefeated record of the Heyman in the AWA, but those of us watching the match consider this a victory for the Lumberjacks as a match not good. Both agreed, three-quarters of a star. Uh, Dave has a quarter of a star in his notes, so there you go. All right, match number four. Brad Rangans, the trooper Del Wilkes, and benchwarmer Bob Lertzma beat Tully Blanchard in the Destruction Crew, managed by Christopher Love, Burt Prentice. By pinfall in 1735, the finish saw Bloom bringing the benchwarmer's bench to the ring, clobber Rangans with it. Tully covered Rangans. Rangans kicked out at two and seven eighths. Rangans hurled Blanchard into the roads where Blanchard collided with Lertzman in his football helmet. And then Ring is covered to knock that Blanchard for the three count. Sets up a return for June 23rd in St. Paul between Tully and Lertzman, the football helmet match. One of the straightest matches I have ever seen. There was no flow to it, but a lot of individual good moments. It was like boiling soup, then letting it cool, then reboiling it. You have clear soup underneath, filmy, coagulated soup on top, and boiling soup bubbling every so often. <laughs> Every so often, there was a clearing wrestling match, then murky confusion with all eight people in the melee, then a great bowling high spot, but no flow. The fans still don't like Lurts. And Wade noted, please excuse Steve's soup, soup analogy every once in a while. His desire for the perfect analogy takes him a bit too far. <laughs> star and a half uh, from Dr. Lucha, two stars from Wade. And Dave had a star and a half on his end. So, bench warmer Bob. All right, uh, next we have uh, Nikita Koloff facing off with Larry Zabisco for the AWA World Heavyweight title. Where Nikita won by disqualification in 1138. Larry was DQ'd by special referee Nick Botwinkle after Larry punched Nick and knocked him out. Botwinkle returned the KO punch of his own on Zabisco. It seems the powers that be mostly set up Zabisco for program with Botwinkle. Nothing special, but just a lot of choking hair. What star? And uh, half a star on a day's report. And then the main event. Nature Boy Rick Flair retained the NWA World Heavyweight title, pinning Brian Pillman in 2219. Flair juiced heavily and was cheered and booed about equally. Judging from the crowd reaction, this was the match the fans came for. Interested in this match came on last. Virtually the entire crowd loved this match and Flair's wrestling and ring presence. Wade has seen it all before. The same Flair heel spots at least 20 times. 3,499 people there gave this match four stars or so, one save or two. Take your pick. How did they know that? Flair pimpilling with help from the trunks. The finish in the series was not smooth. Wade said this is only Pillman's second match against his mentor, the other being the World Championship Wrestling match. But Pillman told some he thought it was the best match of his career. Flair was bleeding heavily, both from the forehead and from his shoulder. As soon as he shot by Pillman, the fans turned to Pillman's side about halfway through the bout. Incredible amount of ringside action. Wade loved the bout. It did not have the flow of Flair Steamboat or the lethal brutality of Flair Funk, but was better than Flair Luger was this year. Considering the crowd was so in the both wrestlers and brutality display, Wade could have helped to give it four stars plus. The fans are very satisfied. Dr. Lucha gave it two stars. Wade gave it four and a quarter stars. Wow. Um... So this is about 3500 which 2500 was paid. So the gate would have been between twenty dollars and $25,000. Fans, Wade talked to about the show, as did he. Calling up to Wrestling Radio, praised the show heavily, saying WF shows have not come close lately. 
a letter to the tour suggested maybe we'll, some, some will stop saying PWA drew more fans than AWA, and they put on more entertaining cards. Flair was highlighted the show according to Wade Ass. Botwinkle refereed both world title matches and did a credible job. Lurse was debut gained extensive coverage on the 10 o'clock news on all the news stations, which is why he wrestled. It was one of the top three house shows Wade has seen in the past two years, right up there with the NWA Chicago at 89 with Flair and Funk and WF at 89 with the Rockers and the Brain Busters. Again, JD, that, that I mean, that's why somebody like Bob Lurtzma, who is a local celebrity, is on this show, is to get that local buzz from the news stations. Always works. Right, like when they would run in Chicago, they'd bring somebody out. Like, I remember uh, SummerSlam 94, Walter Payton. Oh, right? well, yeah, exactly, exactly. You always, know? always works, always gets the local crowd excited. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Observer had four and a half stars for the uh, Flair Pillman match. All right, so the Destruction Crew will have a chickening contest with the Nigerian Brothers in Minneapolis as part of the Team Challenge Series. The Nigerians were uh, football players at the University of Minnesota. Pete Nigerian went on to play in the NFL some. Um, but yeah, local celebrities, just like Bench Warmer Bob. So uh, that's the hook. And, yeah. And then, oh, was, uh, go ahead, do it, Jenny. No, I'll say I was Nigerians. We get a sweet NIL deal now to, to do that chicken contest. <laughs> well, they were out of college by this point in time. So it wouldn't have worked. Because Pete, Pete was on if i'm not mistaken was on the tampa bay bucks team the year before which was Vin, oh, okay. the year ventura ventura announced the tempe radio yeah. okay i i was not familiar with the nigerians brothers not being yeah. from minnesota yeah. so yeah yeah I, I had that nil joke i wanted to make though so <laughs> Put that in. yeah well uh, nil so that's that's a whole, a whole other story. Uh, Vern Gagne has sued Dale Gagner and Ray Webby over promoting a card using the AWA name. The end result of this is that Gagner and Webby probably won't be able to use AWA wrestlers on the contract to Vern on area independent shows as they have in the past. What a shock, Bix. What, that Dale Gagner would A, use the AWA name without permission, B, get sued for it, and then eventually C, lose the rights to the AWA name for the well, not lose, but be ruled against over it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this would be the first time, I guess. It's 1990. So, I don't know. Yeah, the eventually first happens multiple times. Suits of Dale yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what a character. Mm-hmm. For more on Dale Gagner, listen to the <laughs> uh, Death of the AWA shows on patreon.com slash between the sheets, where we talk about what was it where he was running with like a small amusement park or something? Yeah. That's... Yeah. We, we go into all that. Yeah. We talk about this show too. Twin Wars. Mm-hmm. As well. All right. Portland. They start up another valet feud with heel Taylor May Medina and Ginger. They started on mid the fourth in Portland during the match between New Bay face Scotty the body and the grappler. Medina interfered for the DQ and Ginger made a save for Scotty. Also on the show, Larry Oliver beat Billy Jack Haynes by disqualification I quit match. Early in the show, Rip Oliver showed up on crutches, claiming he had a lawnmower accident early in the week, and Haynes took away his crutches and beat on him with him. Other matches saw Curtis Thompson over the equalizer, Dave Sullivan, by DQ. Brian Adams of Ricky Santana by Countout. And then the juicers, Beetlejuice and Big Juicer, <laughs> J.W. Storm, who, yes, was a big juicer, <laughs> Over Moondaw Moretti and Alberto Madrill. 
Ah, uh, yes, Portland. Babyface got anybody in Portland, too. Tailor-made Medina. Which would, that would be uh, Tory in WF, correct? Terry Polk, yes. Yeah. Terry Power, yeah. So Previously uh, independent wrestler, uh, private dancer Terry Polk. Yes. Private dancer, dance for money, absolutely. Well, there are a lot of people in the wrestling business who have danced for money. <laughs> Come on, I want to lay you, of course. Well, that was atop the ECW arena, no, though. <laughs> and that actually wasn't wasn't for money, now that I think about it. No, she didn't get paid for that. All right, let's go to the World Wrestling Federation as we close out. And yeah, it's another a short section here for WF this week. Hulk Hogan is now on sabbatical, but he'll be working TV next week in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and Madison, Wisconsin, to shoot the angle to explain his vacation, most likely with Earthquake. And he'll probably return and work a program with Earthquake in late July, which is exactly what happens. So there's that. He's got to go film his movie. This is Suburban Commando, right? Yes. Or Urban Commando, as it was referred to at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, Hogan is doing a Gillette commercial, which Dave knows kind of ironic. A wrestler doing a Gillette commercial. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is that, that is something that you'd never really think about, a wrestler doing a commercial for Razors. <laughs> well, the other thing is he's not. He's doing a commercial for Rightguard, which is Rightguard. owned by Gillette. Yeah, he's not doing the Razors. You're right. It's, it's the, it's the Rightguard commercial. Yes, and for so. more on Gillette and how Gillette felt about... Uh, Hogan's various scandals, patreon.com slash between the sheets. That's right. On our latest episode. That is oh. correct. Now, Hogan, there's other things going on. Bugs Bunny had the 50th anniversary special on CBS on May the 9th. May and 9th? Oh, wrong one. Wrong one. And uh, Hulk Hogan made an appearance. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Yes got a lot of pretty confident Bugs Bunny fans out there who are sure that Bugs will be the victor in your big upcoming match with him. Bugs! I don't even have a match with Bugs! Well, you mean you're not aware that Bugs Bunny, confident in his drawing power, has challenged you to a match? Bugs Bunny and Hulk Hogan in the same ring? Bugs, you don't know the first thing about wrestling. I love this cartoon. Yes, it's the bunny hugged Bugs Bunny wrestling cartoon they're showing Bugs from. A classic. Yeah. And new world champion, Bob Terra! No hard feelings, guys. Classic. 
shirt and had a bug shirt on up under it and the promo was obviously take the wrestlemania five or six excuse me six yes so because they had the wrestlemania six back backdrop yes oops thought i muted that but yes uh so also shows where hogan's stature is at this time mm-hmm. oh yeah this is a pretty big year for hogan crossover stuff uh later that summer he shows up in gremlins too Right, he's all over yeah. the place. Exactly, Hogan. I mean, Hogan at this point in time is as big as he ever was, as far as probably a commercial figure. Because the Gillette commercial. I mean, this is the commercials, you know, starting up. So yeah, his Q rating has gone up. But there's another act in the WWF which is also starring in commercials. Demolition is doing a National Pizza Hut ad, which is kind of, kind of ironic as well. Says NWA head Jim Hurd was a Pizza Hut executive before wrestling. <laughs> well, we should actually note he was not a national level Pizza Hut executive. No, he, he was, was not. In, he was in charge of the uh, Midwest franchise group, I believe. Yes. So let's look at demolition. Mike on how to remind your parents that now Tuesday is Kids Night at Pizza Hut. Try serenading. Tuesday night. Kids night. Tuesday night. Try. Kids dressed up as Run DMC, to be clear. Now they're dressed up as fish. Yes. The old codfish trick. Hire professional help. Tuesday night, kids night! <laughs> Take them! You can't miss Kids Night at Pizza Hut. You get free Nickelodeon magazines and free personal pan pizzas when your folks order their pizza. And if they still won't take you, call Ninja Duck. Pizza Hut, make it great for kids. Okay, I, 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 I indulge in that once or twice. Yeah. So, there you go. The, the personal pan pizzas? Yeah. No, the kids not a pizza. Oh, both. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys did you guys have Book It where you grew up? No. No. Oh, see, we had this in, in Illinois where if you read specific number of books, like kids' books, they would give you would get like you read like ten books and you got a free pan pizza. Oh yes, we did. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um What I was gonna say though is this reminds me when did the more restauranty type Pizza Huts stop being a thing. 
in the late 90s. Yeah, I remember taking my wife because we've been together since late night, like 98. And I remember we went on one of our first dates at Pizza Hut back in high school. So it's late 90s. Sounds about right. Ours, ours here in my town basically quit doing the restaurant thing in the 2000s. But the new Pizza Hut you would see opening up in the late 90s was the end of that. Right. They were Domino's type places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Papa John's. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Either or. Um, I always liked Pizza Hut, though, because I felt like at least of the chain pizza places, they were trying to establish their own style with the deep dish and the pan pizzas and all that. Well, Pizza Hut used to be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was like fine dining, you know, <laughs> in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I mean, good you're, Lord. You're a kid in the 80s? That was like... You're begging mom and dad to go to Pizza Hut on yeah, Friday Yeah, the, the fancy, the fancy lamps and everything, mm-hmm. and the you know the dark, kind of a darkly lit deal. And yeah, man, I mean, Pizza Hut was yeah, I was like I said, fine dining. Yeah, did Table either of you, Pac-Man? <laughs> yeah, either of you ever partake in the? Uh, I never did it in person. I did get in the drive-through. The uh, well, eat in. I mean, uh, the Burger King dinner baskets. No. The, do you remember what this was, either of you? I, no. I know what you're talking about. It was a brief Burger King experiment with being, like, a regular sit-down restaurant, but, like, a cheap version, where they had other things you could get for dinner, like fried shrimp and what else was there? We, we, we never had that down here, but I know of it. I remember that. I thought that was a national thing, though. No. no oh, we never had no. Hold no, on, we okay, definitely never I'm had that out here. As I look this no. up, Burger King dinner baskets. Okay, it has its own Wikipedia. 1993. Looking for a higher class meal found in family style restaurants. Okay, so there was the Whopper dinner basket, the steak sandwich dinner basket, chicken dinner basket, shrimp dinner basket, flame broiled meatloaf dinner, uh, meatloaf sandwich dinner basket, and a fried clams option that was available in New England. Uh, plus choice of fries or baked potato, coleslaw or side salad, and complimentary popcorn was given for customers to eat while they were waiting for their meal to be brought to their table. Yeah, I, I never experienced it. I heard of it happening, but I never experienced it. No, me neither. Yes. Um. Oh, and of course, the ads did feature Dan Cortez, as well, they would in they, this era. Well, yes. But uh, there you go. All right, Dusty Rhodes, still out of action. <laughs> wonder why yeah this is I mean this is basically the, the, the thing that we were talking about in the NWA section is that as soon as his name comes up as talks of being the booker of the National Wrestling Alliance he's not wrestling on WF shows <laughs> and then when the booker gets announced he's back it's healthy it's a miracle crazy how that works I'm, I'm looking to see when his first official um, date missing was, which is funny because Dustin had just made his debut uh, a week earlier. All right, so Dusty, all right, so he, okay. He's on crutches at the TV tape in April. Um, his last match was April 4th. So the taping after Mania. And then he doesn't he doesn't wrestle again until because he's on book, but 
He's being subbed by Piper. Piper's taking his spots. He returns on May 11th at Nassau. That's his first match back. Two days after Charlie Anderson's name is the Booker. Now, it says he had a foot injury, so it's very possible that he may have been injured. But timing is interesting on that. Just very. saying. Two just days. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> ju- just saying. Vix, what do you think? What What is your uh, thoughts on this? I think he had the dusty flu. <laughs> That's the thing. He had done it in you know, 88 when he had his issues and decided to miss shows. So that get, I mean, that, that, that right there gives the, gives people like the newsletters to, uh, gives them the chance to question him, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can do something like that. You better be careful because it can come back to haunt you. So anyway, all right. That crew was at red rooster was called back by Pat Patterson and will stay with Titan until his contract expires in August. That's nice of them to, uh, Bring Terry back and let him do some jobs on his way out, huh? Sure. So there you go. Shane Douglas starts in June working openers. Um, yes, and boy, is he embracing the uh, the body image of the World Wrestling Federation when he shows up. He is huge. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. And he, st- he hangs around for a little bit, so... You know, he's there for a year plus, isn't he? Basically, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. After Mr. Perfect's IC title win airs on TV in a few weeks, we'll be working on a program with Bruce Beefcake and title matches. While Rick Rude will return for the Warrior Series. Warriors reception has been getting more and more lukewarm. In cities, he doesn't appear where they mention his name. As far as gimmicks, there are more boos and cheers. He's still cheered at the houses, but not like he used to be. And crowds are still only fair. But the real test is with Rude anyway, since Perfect isn't over as a contender. J.D., a question that, that I mean, you may be the first person I've ever asked this question to. Oh, I'm honored. Well, okay. <laughs> what do we got? Did Warrior, I mean, putting Warrior over Hogan hurt his popularity? You know, I've wondered that for a long time because um, he was really cool the year before, right? Two years before. And all of a sudden, because I was interested in reading this because it seems like it's immediate. This is a month into the title reign and they're saying he's getting lukewarm, right? And sometimes I wonder if, if it isn't about the chase with everybody. Well, not everybody. There's some guys like, it's oh, we want to see that big moment. And then they really don't know what to do after, right? Because, I mean, the stuff I think they did with Rude that we're going to see coming up is pretty cool. But I kind of get it. Like some guys – are it's not they're not as cool in in the big spot and it's not like they're really tinkering with him yet because remember they they start like messing with the makeup and they start trying to change the promo a little bit and start kind of softening him that hasn't happened yeah. yet. he's still he's still warriors so it's interesting to hear this early that it already wasn't working yeah but i think i think the crux of it is is that he beat hulk hogan you know i mean i think that 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 Hogan hadn't lost. You know, Andre Andre match don't count. But I mean, but the Hogan hadn't lost the whole time he's basically been there. And the guy that beat him is another baby face. So I mean it's not like a heel beating him. It's another right. baby face. You're not him. getting heat so, out of it. So it's like exactly. if he can beat Hulk Hogan clean, where do we go from here? What drama is there? Yeah. And it's now part of me wonders like, would they have been better if Hogan was gone? Like he's gone for a few months. But would it have been better if Hogan is just gone, gone? 
for like mm -hmm. a year. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when uh, Pedro takes over and Bruno's essentially doing his own thing for a while and he's out of the picture, like, would that have been better or would the, would the issue still have been the same? It, it may make a difference if, if Hogan goes away. But another thing too is they hadn't, they had not had any heels built up for, for Warrior, and Dave kind of alludes to that here, you know, because Perfect had just been through Hogan and mm -hmm. lost. Rude, we've been there, done that, and that's what they go with. But there's no heel. I mean, Earthquake, Warrior's been feeding with Earthquake as well, off and on, so it's not a fresh opponent. So. There's no fresh heel. The only fresh heel opponent would have been Savage, and he's married to his deals. With, with you know, at this time, I mean, there's no, there's no, other than Savage. There's no re real hot heel in the promotion. I mean, Earthquake's going to get there, but I mean, it's so weird to to do this, right? You you build this big babyface champion, and then you're not thinking about well, who's going to be who's the dragon that he slays, right? Because a, a hero is only as good as his monster. Mm-hmm. Except for Hogan. Hogan drew really well even when he didn't have a big program. He's like the exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just you know, been thinking about that with, the, with this is that uh, did beating Hogan affect Warrior's popularity as a dick? Because he just it he just it, it just changes after that. You know, he was the hot baby face going into that and then he wins and then he cools off. Do you think that Warrior gets it back after beating Savage a year later? Because that's a pretty epic reaction he gets at, at WrestleMania 7. So does he achieve, does he get a little bit of that back after? And is he a guy that just was better at, you know, the high mid card? He gets it back, but didn't they put him in that feud with Undertaker and do the yeah, Jake stuff? It was another story out to itself. But again, and it's it, like, and, it, and, it, yeah. and then he latches on the Hogan again as a tag partner mm -hmm. against Slaughter and, uh, Ad, and Adnan and uh, Mustafa. So, yeah, I don't know. All right, house shows. Miami drew $40,000 gate on May 3rd as Haku B. Hercules by count out, dud. Jacob or Bad News, two and three quarter stars. Barbarian of a Snooker, half a star. Rhythm and Blues over the Bushwhackers by DQ, one star. Paul Diamond over Jim Powers, two stars. Paul Smith over DiBiase, three stars. Sherry over Sapphire, dud. And Piper subbing for Dusty over Savage, three and a half stars. Then we go to Montreal. At the forum in front of 4,200 on May the 4th. Al Perez over Mark Young. Mark Scarpa. Ronnie Garvin goes to a 20-minute draw with Dino Bravo. There we go. Montreal, baby. Rhythm and Blues over the Bushwhackers by DQ when Luke hit Valentine with guitar. Boss Man over Ted DiBiase. Richard Chalon serving for Tugboat. Meet Black Bart with a small package. Coco Beware with the Brooklyn Brawl over the Missile Dropkick. And then Warrior retained the world title beating... Mr. Perfect with a shoulder block splash combo after kicking out the perfect plex. Then the Florida crew was in Orlando in front of 5,500, 4,000 paid. That's Jake beat Bad News, star in their quarter. Akeem over Jim Powers, negative one star. Black Bart over Rico Frederico. Oh, and a dud. Rockers over the Orient Express by count out. Four stars. Wow. Paul Diamond over Brady Boone, two and a half stars. Snuggle Barbarian by DQ of one star. Share of a Sapphire, negative three stars. And Piper of a Savage hit him with a loaded purse, negative two stars. Piper with Share and Savage's belt before the match starts. In Orlando, they did announce Piper at the beginning of the show and offered refunds for Dusty. Well, that's nice. Then they went to Tampa. 
to the Sun Dome for the 4,000 fans on May the 5th. Notice that these shows that Dusty's not attending is the Florida shows. Mm-hmm. Akeem over Jim Powers. Rockers over the Ordering Express by Kano. Frenchie Martin over Rico Frederico. Oh, Frenchie Martin here. Where had he been? You know, because Dino was with Jimmy Hart at this time. Wow. Jake is he still Vic. an announcer at this point at all? I don't know, but why is he working a Tampa House show? It's just weird when everybody else is up is north. In Montreal? Uh, <laughs> well, weird. in that general area, Jake over Bad News, Paul Diamond over Brady Boone, Barbarian over Snooker, Sheriff over Sapphire and Piper over Savage. Pittsburgh for the first WF show there in three years. Because uh-huh. NWA had the building. Oh, it was. I didn't realize it was exclusive. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or was it non-exclusive and WWF just pulled out because they had called the block? Yeah, probably bluff. one of those type of deals, yeah. yeah. They drew 6,800 fans on a $79,000 gate. That's Paul Roma pin Buddy Rose, two stars. Beefcake over the Genius, half a star. Hancouver Red Rooster, two stars. Demolition WQ with the Heart Foundation, four stars. Rip Martin over Hercules, one star. Hillbilly Jim over Bob Bradley, one star. And Earthquake over Jim Duggan, one star. And then the other crew, they've got the three three crews here. Portland, Maine. At the Cumberland County Civic Center. Well, no, this is the, this is the, or at least partially the crew that worked Montreal. And so. This is three. Yeah, but we just did Pittsburgh. Okay. We just did Orlando. Here's Portland, Maine. <laughs> it's three crews. Yeah. Uh, 3377. As Al Perez over Mark Young, Cook over Brooklyn Brawler, Garvin Bravo Draw, Warlord over Tito, Brutus over Genius by submission, Rhythm and Blues over the Bushwhackers by disqualification, and then Bossman over DiBiase, where Bossman fought off DiBiase and Virgil after the match. And then Dayton on May the 6th from 2,000 fans. We had Coco over the Brawler, Half Star, Haku over Red Rooster, Dud. Hibbley Jim of Bob Brownlee, negative half a star. Demolition Heart Foundation, WDQ, three and a quarter stars. Earthquake over Duggan, two stars. Martel over Hercules, two and a half stars. And Boston over DiBiase, three stars. Tugboat missed all of his dates. They don't want him appearing anymore as Tugboat, as they've given up on the gimmick. They believe he starts up at the next TV as Bronto and will feud with Dino Bravo. Matches of the year, to be sure. What? That the, that's not accurate. That may have been in the plans, though, because, I mean, they do they do the tough boat deal with Hogan. Let's see, they take, but he's mysteriously absent for SummerSlam, and Boss Man takes his place. Yeah, I thought it was because he that's because he wasn't getting over right because they're remember they're planning the big hug tugboat heel turn that's gonna go to slaughter. That's the Bruce Pritchard lore, which I. They have no reason to not believe that's real. So I can I guess it makes sense, but he's still tugboat for quite a while. Yeah. Um I'm trying, to what he, I'm trying to remember what he said in his shoot about that because he, he was kind of confused in a way as well. When I, I think we checked at one point and he didn't really have an answer. Yeah. So Yeah, Bronto. Same we didn't get that, I guess. All right, we got a couple of clips for TV from Superstars on May the 5th. Jake and Bad News Brown have a little deal here, so let's go to that, shall we? Buddy Rose.
somebody. There's plenty of room in this ring for you, for me, and for Damien, too. So come on down here, big boy. Wow. We're going to find out how bad, bad Let me tell you something, Jake. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of these big belly sharecroppers. And I'm sure I'm not afraid of that slimy, smelly, stinking snake. And to show you how I feel about you, I'm going to come right down there and I'm going to kick your butt. All right, we're going to have a match. Yeah. Bad news. Tell me how bad you are, this is going to be. This won't be a lot of wrestling, McMahon. This will be a fight. Senate Jake Bad News deal with the Sewer Rats, the Harlem Sewer Rats, soon to come. Were they possums that they actually used? Or were they... Yes. <laughs> well, they didn't. They never showed them. I think they were possums, though. But they never showed them. I seem to remember the tail. Yeah, I thought they did too. I forget. It's been I mean, a long time. You might see tail sticking out of the cage, but that might have been it. And I think it was a possum tail. Okay. So they're all gross. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Somebody, I've had to deal with possums a lot in my yard over the years. So yeah, I know about possums. Here Same. comes Peter yeah. Possum Tail. Oh, you a well, possum tail is definitely noticeable. Oh yeah. My grandfather one time he snuck up on one in the backyard, picked it up by the tail, swung it around, and threw it over the fence. Your grandpa's balls of steel, man. <laughs> and that thing we hit the ground, I, you can hear it go, oof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, also on Superstars, we have a Rick Rude training session with Bobby Heenan as he's getting ready for the Warrior. So let's go to the new Rick Rude with his funny haircut, as Arn Anderson would say. Rick Rude got a funny haircut. What the hell happened to you guys? <laughs> jab, jab, jab. Right, 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 right. Uppercut, uppercut. Come on, uppercut. Jab, jab, jab. Cross combination. Come on, cross combination. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, warrior. Come on. Come on, warrior. Give it to me. Come on, warrior. You're nothing. Warrior's face on the focus, man. Warrior, come out to play. (laughs) (laughs) He said it the exact way. He did. Yeah. You think of me day and night. 
Not just because I'm the one and only man who's ever beaten you for a title. But you hear the footsteps. You hear the footsteps, and you know who they belong to, don't you, warrior? And you know that as those footsteps come closer, your strength will turn to weakness. Your courage will turn to fear. And your title will belong to me. Come on, 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 come is the angle to go with in this whole situation, you know, because he beat him for a title. I love everything about this. Like yeah. it made the storyline wise. It makes sense. I've always thought rude look way cooler and way tougher with the short hair as opposed to the long hair. Like he looks like a badass here. Usually when they do these training sequences, it's always guys lifting weights and here rude's in a ring throwing punches and looking like he's actually training to kill somebody like this is, this is great. I thought this whole sequence was fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. And it just doesn't work. And it's also rude challenging for the, for, for the title, mm-hmm. which, he, you know, Hogan never gave him a real shot. So, you know, it which adds sh- that to him. Yeah, it's a shame because that you think that would have been – I know there's like bad their issues and stuff, but like on paper, Hogan and Rude should have been a pretty good feud actually. Yeah, it should have been. But it just didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this was good stuff though. All right, so let's close out. During the middle of this week, Dave got a call from a reporter with a McNeil Lear report, a PBS news show. They were wanting to do a story which related to pro wrestling, in particular how different forms of entertainment treat foreigners and portray foreigners. They were looking for some footage of some now-retired wrestlers, Professor Toru Tanaka, for instance. So Dave told them to contact the WWF. The guy told me he'd already been turned down by the WWF for any help on the story. Not surprising or anything, but the guy from Titan who turned him down gave him this classic quote. To tell you the truth, we don't want the WF exposed to something that would provoke thought. <laughs> so, so it once was then, same as it is now, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Pretty much. We, uh, we don't want our fans thinking, especially about the way we portray foreign talent. Well, oh, and especially what's about to happen, too, as mm. the year goes on and what they do. Yeah. Oh, so. yes. Now, granted, it is a, you know, it is a news broadcast. They could have, if they had it or knew where to get footage, in a news context, you can really fudge a lot with fair use law and stuff. It's just you need to have access to it. This is a call that probably doesn't even happen in a context like today because they know they can just go on YouTube and fair use that. Yeah. And as people, I mean, how does it, how's it different with PBS being part of this stuff? I don't think that I mean, matters. It's public, it's public broadcasting. Would that no. give them no. more leeway? No? Well, yes, in the sense that people don't want to sue T- PBS, probably. Because, like, fair use is a defense. You can't just magically fair use yourself out of copyright claim, per se. 
Like, it is a defense to being accused of copyright infringement. So yeah. it it would it would have that impact, I guess. That it's like uh, it's like when I did that article about how there's no real test cases behind the stuff of like, is the Internet Archive really a library? Because people don't like to sue and companies don't like to sue libraries because it's bad for business. So you're not going to have any case law establishing what a library is. Yeah. Well, on that note. That's the end of this week's Between the Sheets. JD, we're uh, glad to have you on, and uh, go ahead and plug away anything you want to plug, my man. Man, thanks for having me on. Um, as this show will, will hit, I will have just wrapped up a Kickstarter for a trilogy of novels I just put out. We're going to fund somewhere around 400% of the asking goal, so that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at JD underscore Oliva. I do some writing with Fikey Media and with WrestleJoy, so I have fun doing that little little hobby that, you know, is having a good time. And yeah, best place to find me, man. Thanks again for having me on, guys. I, I love the show, and it's fun just to talk with you guys. Awesome, awesome. Good times. And we'll have you back on in, in the future as well. So there you go. All right, next week on Between the Sheets. We go back to 1999. An interesting week for our time period because we won't have any Raw Nitro because the show we're doing is a six-day week show because we had already done the Raw Nitro the day the day after. So that was also the show of Over the Edge that we did a few years ago. So no Raw Nitro, but still a lot going on in the world of wrestling during our week as in wcw we have news on bill goldberg and his relationship with the company and it ain't good brother then we got uh kevin nash on the tonight show now um we talked about the bret hart thing on the show we did for with may 17th on there so we're gonna bring that back because it's all part of the whole discussion but, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that as the Tonight Show is being used as a place where WWE could advance storylines. Think about that, folks, in 1989. Plus, we have all kinds of other WCW wackiness, as always, so there's that. All right, we have um, Memphis Power Pro featuring Vic Grimes having a wild day on television and uh, other things going on in Power Pro Wrestling. We got all kinds of other indies to talk about including some of our favorites from this era to talk about, including a wild story in the North, in the Northeast involving one of the Northeast top indie talents and a practical joke that was played on him. We got Lucha to talk about as well as great Sasuke's in Mexico. So uh, good times there. We got Sushi Onita running uh, on Onita Pro Show at Cork and Hall. That's a newsworthy show. Battle Arts runs a big show during our week. New Japan's trying to talk WF. And we got news on All Japan and what's going on in the power structure there in the death after uh, Giant Baba's death. And the state of Japan. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too, as uh, some big meetings going on for possible future interpromotional matches. But we have also WWF, where we have No Mercy UK to talk about. Uh, yes, a, a UK-only pay-per-view show, so we'll have that. And uh, Vincent Mann is featured in U.S. News and World Report and oh, CNBC boy. during our week. Yes, and we so, should know, yeah. too, with the No Mercy UK, that that becomes its retroactive name later in the year when they start using the No Mercy name in the same year for an American pay-per-view. Yes. But the big 
news in our week, big show in our week. Hardcore Heaven 1999 in ECW. So we have that pay-per-view and stuff to talk about. But the controversy around that show, as Shane Douglas walks out on ECW and appears at Breaking the Barrier the night before the pay-per-view at the ECW Arena, a show promoted by Al Isaacs of Scoops. And we'll have all the stuff from that show as well. Quite the wild weekend in Pennsylvania independent wrestling that weekend. So uh, should be quite the show. And uh, guess-wise, we'll see. Yes, I'm, has, I am Bix has been put in charge. Yes. Bix has been put in charge of finding a guest for this show. So uh, we'll see what he comes up with. Oh, and it's a break the barrier. It is not breaking the barrier. We'll tell that to Dave Meltzer. <laughs> well, the, the Wikipedia is break the barrier. I'm putting know, up the lineup Dave, right now Dave, to see if I can get any good ideas as far as guests, but... But Dave, but Dave had it listed as breaking the barrier, so there you go. But anyway, we'll talk about that next week on Between the Sheets. There's another thing you didn't mention, though, because I was taking a peek at the notes, the, all the ECW uh, money stuff, too. Well, yeah, but anyway. All right, J.D., we appreciate you being on with us, and we'll have you back in the future. So thank Can't you. Wait. Thank you. Fix, thank you, as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 67. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time to tackle Titan Gate 1992. And as we said in the build-up to all this, this is definitely going to be more than one show. There's no set limit on how many shows we're going to do on this. But we know it's going to definitely be more than one, <laughs> and maybe more than two, before it's all said and done. So uh, the time has come, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of interesting to talk about on this show, isn't it? Yeah, and we know our goal is that the series will go through basically the Ultimate Warrior and British Bulldog firings. We're just not sure exactly how long that will take, pretty much. Yeah, well, there's going to be enough here, believe me, to... Uh, Make up for a, a lot of interesting audio that I don't think anybody's going to be upset. <laughs> so. As far as that, no. Um, and like we noted when we were setting all this up, you know, on the main shows, this is the whole set of Titan Gate scandals in 92 that we're covering. We're covering mm-hmm. how the drug and steroid scandals take further shape in 92, on top of the Ring Boy scandal and Murray Hodgson and all that other stuff, and... I guess we'll give the disclaimer up front. I mean, it starts off with more drug stuff, but takes a turn quickly. If you do not want to hear about the sexual harassment or abuse scandals, this is probably not a series you're going to want to listen to. Well, that's why. I mean, if you're listening to this, you know what you're getting into. Yes. You know, I, I know, I know why you want to give a disclaimer, but if you're listening to this show. Well, it'll be clear in the description, too, yes. You know what you're getting into. Extra from Wade Keller's A Few Met Clarifications feature in The Torch. Fire on the spot is what Vince said would happen if there was evidence of an employee involved in perpetrating sexual harassment. Phil Mushnick said on KFAN Radio in Minneapolis Monday night, two weeks ago, my man told me he fully suspected Mel Phillips years ago. He fired him four years ago because he felt he was spending too much time around kids. He hired him back out of sympathy in his heart. Then Friday, when Mel Phillips' name was brought up, he had to let the guy was a stranger. So that's Monday afternoon. Monday night into Tuesday, Phil's writing his column for Wednesday, which gets the front page of the sports section in the post. So here we go. Sex lies in the WF. WF's defense, just more lies by Phil Mustney for the New York Post. In a world where scandal within legitimate ranks has become an everyday reality, there are many who respond to the staggering tales being reported by men who once served the World Wrestling Federation as tales that are both easily explained and dismissed. After all, we're told pro wrestling is simply a rogue industry behaving as a rogue industry. And that's exactly the mindset WF owner Vincent Mann's banking on. And that's exactly what it's empowered the WF to do to people, children and adults, exactly as it wishes when it wishes, and all, all, as often as it wishes. The WF is power drunk in the knowledge that its autonomy fully enables it to violate every standard of human decency because right-headed humans possess neither the time nor inclination to do anything about any industry they've always viewed with bemused disregard. Hmm. Never will you encounter a human more cold-blooded, more devoid of honor and provided an investment man. America's foremost TV babysitter. In your wildest, most twisted dreams, you won't meet up with a licensed man, a miscreant so practiced in the art of deception, the half-truth and the bald-faced lie, as to make the artful Dodger appear clumsy. A George Steinbrenner or a Don King pale in comparison. So help us. 
Indeed. Hannibal Lecter is the only fictional character who comes close. Ding, 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 ding. So, as we've discussed before, and I'm sure we'll discuss again, holy shit did this stick in Vince McMahon's craw for decades. Yeah. (laughs) That, That Hannibal Lecter line specifically. It comes up in every lawsuit. It mysteriously comes up in Russo's first issue after having taken over the Pro Wrestling Spotlight newsletter completely from... In his split from Arezzi, he brings it up. Every time they talk about Mushnick, it comes up. In the 50, friggin' 50th anniversary WWF book from uh, almost a decade ago, in the section about the steroid trial and stuff, they bring it up. It's constantly brought up throughout all the Mushnick litigation and stuff. It, it, it Something about being compared to a fictional cannibal serial killer enraged Vince to a ridiculous degree. (laughs) Now, it is a bit of an exaggeration, especially since we don't know about Vince. We haven't heard about any of the Vince allegations yet. But, like... It, it, that and, is a bit and much. that's the thing with people reading this too, Bix. Is they read that and they're like, oh, come on. You know? Now, <laughs> I don't think he necessarily means Vince McMahon eats people. No, I, but I, the I think, Well, that's the thing, and I think this is where it could just be better written. If your point is to say that there is no better fictional presentation of a sociopath or whatever than Hannibal Lecter, and that you're saying Vince McMahon is a sociopath and that's your point— there are a zillion better ways to say that. Exactly. Comparing comparing him to Hannibal Lecter, which you know, Silence of the Lambs is very, very Reason. big at this time. I mean, it, it actually, best. when would the act? When would the Oscars have been, or would they have happened? Hey, a month earlier, in March. Well, we're in. No, the same month. We're in March. So it's March. Okay, the Oscars aren't until are until two weeks later on the thirtieth. So it's it's a nominated very topical yes yes. very topical movie to talk about and hannibal lecter is you know the how he's portraying that movie and everything i mean you could you could make your comparison better without making it come off as a cartoony comparison like he does here yes and and, and, and people and people read that and they're like oh look at this guy you know all of that said, both in general and under the circumstances, it's still completely ridiculous how much this bothered and stuck with Vince for so long. Well, Vince, Vince is Vince. What can you say? Yeah. All right. Um, after nine months of examining this man's ways and means, let's pick it up Friday night with my man spin control appearance on Larry King's CNN show. Following the conviction in, in June of Dr. Joe Zaharian, who for illegally dispensed steroids and other drugs to WWF stars, including Hulk Hogan, Ex-wrestlers, ex-ring announcers, and ex-ring boys have been crawling out of the woodwork to report on the record years of blatant sexual abuse, sexual harassment, pedophilia, and drug abuse engaged in and perpetrated by WF executives, stars, and administrators. So on Friday night, a man appeared on CNN in full knowledge of this steady stream of charges and fully expecting a lawsuit from a 21-year-old named Tom Cole whose corroborated claim is that he was sexually molested and harassed by WF execs and front office workers while serving WF as an underage ring-assisted gopher. McMahon met the accusations with 30 minutes' worth of indignation and unblinking lies. Mel Phillips, WF TV ring announcer, road boss named by Cole, and another youngster is the man who had recruited them and sexually abused them. Mel Phillips has never been an employee at WWF. McMahon told King what a strider resolve to this day. 
never been an employee. He's used as an occasional laborer. You know, on the occasions when WF is in business, Phillips is well known to the wrestling world as a WF regular for 10 years or more. Monday on the Phil Donahue show, seen among seven of WF's accusers, McMahon amended Phillips' history. Phillips said McMahon is not technically an employee, although he worked with us every day. Oh. McMahon also told King's national audience that he had no idea whatsoever about any sexual misconduct by employees, not even a hint. Yet two weeks ago, during his poor, his hard out phone calls, he told West Coast-based journalist Dave Meltzer, then me, that he had let Phyllis go four years ago because Phyllis's relationship with kids seemed peculiar and unnatural. McMahon said he rehired Phyllis with the caveat that Phyllis steered clear from kids. McMahon also said that no charges of sexual harassment had ever been before been level. Baloney. As far back as 1976, Jim Wilson, a former NFL lineman accused of National Wrestling Alliance, exec from, of blackballing him from the business after refusing the excess sexual advances. The WF was a member of the NWA at the time, and Wilson's story and fate is well known in the wrestling industry. Oh, okay. So... I, I I was gonna say I, I Vince is clearly talking about the WWF, so it's kind yes. of bullshit to bring up Wilson. But Vince would know. Vince would know about it. So I kind of get what he's going at. They were a member of the NWA. The NWA itself did get sued. I, I kinda get what he's going with here. I just well, don't know if I would have used that example to make that specific point. What much where Mushnet went wrong in all this to further illustrate his point, he should have said McMahon hired this same executive six years later. Yes. <laughs> that's that's where he should have, you know, put that in there to to add uh, gravitas to you know, this whole thing with this this line of uh, you know conversation he's having here. Yes. Now he that's hired it. Jim Barnett. That said, we've already talked about. I don't want to belabor too much. I get that Dave and the others are in a whirlwind of insanity at this time, and it's a complicated story to explain later. Regardless of what you think of how seriously the story is being taken, and that it should have been covered better, actually should have, it is still completely fucking insane that the part about what Vince told Phil and Dave just does not stick to this story at all. It's bizarre because, look, at this point, the main story is what Vince did or didn't know. That goes right to the heart of it. Why? Phil brings it up a couple more times in columns later in 92. Dave pretty much never brings it up again. Wade pretty much never brings it up again after this week. Even in the history pieces Dave does years later, this never comes up. And, you know, I asked him about it once, and he kind of agreed with my theory. It was just, there was so much going on. Like, he absolutely agreed with me when I asked Dave about it. He said, yeah, obviously it looks ridiculous now that this didn't really stick to the story. But just in the context of the time, just there was so much going on that it somehow slipped through the cracks to really reiterate it. Which, again, is insane. And the other insane part, outside of the questions in Phil Mushnick's deposition about this, as far as I can tell, and those questions are actually the most civil that McDevitt is in that whole deposition, WWF has never addressed or refuted, even 
excuse me, refuted or even addressed period this once. Their strategy, it appears, became ignore it. Pretend it never happened. If it comes up, do not say anything. As stupid as that sounds and as improbable as it was, holy shit, did that work? Yeah. Anyway, we still got a lot, so let's keep going. In 1985, Wilson repeated his charge on ABC's 2020. McMahon, dripping with sincerity, told King he had begun an internal investigation of all the charges. But later he said all the charges were a bunch of bunk. That's some way to begin the investigation. Yeah. McMahon also said that while he accepted resignations of his right-hand man, Pat Patterson, and his assistant, Terry Garvin, ex-wrestlers and WF execs publicly charged by at least 10 people as having made sexual advances on wrestlers, as having engaged in casting couch employment practices, McMahon had the colossal gall to suggest that these execs were victims of America's creeping homophobia. Real quick, before we get to Phil's rebuttal of that, this phrasing of charged, even though in context it's very clearly just made an allegation, McDevitt really tries to seize on that in the lawsuit against Phil and his deposition. Oh, they were yeah. charged? Which... I kind of get his legal strategy, but in context, it's very obvious what he means. Yeah. Good God. Is there anyone with a more complete track record of teaching kids to hate homosexuals than McMahon? All his employees who have accepted ring roles as effeminate wrestlers have been positioned by McMahon as the villains. Hate has always been a big kitty cell of McMahon's and hatred for homosexuals has been a steady angle pitched to children. In recent tag matches, the Bushwhackers have wrestled the effeminate Beverly Brothers. Each time the Bushwhackers encouraged the kids in the honest to chant faggots, quote-unquote, at the Beverly's, this scene, Mom and Dad, has appeared on WS nationally televised shows. No, it hasn't. That one hasn't. No, and <laughs> Phil Mushnick, uh, again, I mean, that's wrestling, brother. <laughs> but, 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 it is a fair point to be like, oh... Oh, you're saying this is all about homophobia, Vince? Like, oh, oh, who's responsible for more homophobia than you? Like, I get his—it's a fair point, though. Yeah, but he's far from the only one that has done it. Oh, and, of course. You know? I mean, the the Beverly's Bushwhackers thing was kind of a weird, unique kind of egregious, though, because outside of, like, of that— on those house shows, like, other than the fact that they wore purple and were managed by the genius, there was never any hint that they were supposed nope. to be effeminate or, or quote-unquote gay or whatever. They were brothers! <laughs> that would be saying that it would be incest. Well, if it was with each other, yes. So, yeah, that one's a tough one. Um, anyway. But anyway. Um... <laughs> Finally, Friday, McMahon flatly denied he was attempting to reach a financial settlement with Cole, an effort to prevent him from filing suit. He said he's trying to reach him solely in an attempt to get to the bottom of the charges. Monday, McMahon appeared on the Donahue show with another altered story. He said a possibility existed these ugly charges were true, but then as the show wore on, he fought the charges with the same practice indignation and heart-clutching outrage seen Friday night. What wasn't immediately apparent Monday was that Donahue's studio audience included Tom Cole. The kid in McMahon said on CNN Friday he was trying to meet with, but only to hear his charges and not to seek a financial settlement. Cole arrived at the show in the company of WF employees. Incredibly, Cole had reached an agreement with McMahon before Monday's Donahue show. The conditions of the Cole-McMahon agreement are that Cole will never again be confronted by Phillips, Garvin, or Patterson, 
that my man provide Cole with a multi-year contract to return his his position as a ring boy, a gopher with a long-term contract, and that Cole received two years back pay. And that's two years back pay for a teenage ring boy who used to make $100 a show, working no more than 30 shows a year. $70,000. Cole's attorney, Adam Allen Fuchsberg, 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 whatever, uh, said yesterday that the deal is not a payoff, but rather an agreement. Because Cole has returned to a job he once loved. Not a payoff, but an agreement. Semantic obfuscation. For 70000 plus, adding a highly paid ring boy to the payroll. The man gets away cheap if it means the preservation of his multi-billion dollar TV and toy empire. Certainly, my man bought himself out of what was promised to be a devastating lawsuit. They are still facing an unfair termination suit filed by former announcer Murray Hodgson, who claims he was fired after rejecting AWS execs' sexual advances. Fuchsberg said that McMahon, in an effort to save WF, will make a full and sincere admission that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Fuchsberg later in the day sends a letter saying he never said that. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure how much I trust Fuchsberg, but I... I I don't know what I make of that, though, because whatever you think of Phil Mushnick, and there are a lot of negative things that you can say about him that are actually absolutely true, I don't think he'd make that up. So, I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know what to make of it. Let me see real quick if I can find exactly what he said about that. Uh, I... Uh, I was misquote. Okay. Uh, at, okay. Uh, okay. First, at no time did Vince McMahon acknowledge having known of the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole. And I was misquoted by Mushnick as I did not say McMahon had offered to make an admission that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't say what he said though. That he says misquoted. But what could he have possibly said that could have been? quoted there i have no idea that's really weird and to, and also it's made clear that the the seventy thousand dollars was basically supposed to be two years of back pay for if he had continued with the warehouse job that he had just started when he got fired not the ring boy stuff this is this is when he would have originally become, first become an actual titan employee but anyway Fuchsburg. Fuchsburg. Uh, which, boy, I, I could tell you a lot of stories that Lee Coles told me about him, but I don't know if we have the time. I mean, man, it gets way cheap if it means the preservation of his multi-billion dollar TV and toy empire. Certainly, McMahon bought himself out of what was promised to be a devastating lawsuit. WF still faces an unfair termination suit filed by former announcer Murray Hodgson, who claims he was fired after rejecting WF sexual advances, exact sexual advances. Fuxburg said that McMahon, uh, in an effort to say WF, will uh, make a full and sincere admission that since the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true, or that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. I already read this. Fuxburg said he saw the only final minutes of Don. Yeah, you, you doubled back further than you meant to. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. He didn't know that McMahon, his agreement, he didn't know that McMahon, his agreement with Cole was already done, had the chance to come clean about Cole's claims. But instead, use the Donahue show to continue to try to discredit all the people who have come forward to support Cole's story. Hmm. And speaking of which, from the Torch cover story. 
Tom Cole and his older brother were with Basil DeVito backstage at the Donahue show Monday afternoon. DeVito, a vice president, refused to comment. We reached by Torch Weekly at his home Monday night. Chris Los, the other former Marine boy, went public with allegations has isolated himself from further media exposure. And basically just never appears or says anything in this context ever again. Um, Mike Sawyer, who was friends with him. And, you know, was doing his little leg drop newsletter at the time. Um, has said that all of a sudden, one day around this time, Chris Lewis had a very expensive new car. Funny how that worked out. Yeah, make of that what you'd like. Um, you know, we still have a lot to get through because there's a lot in the Torch and the Observer. Mainly the Observer. Um, but it'll probably go by quicker, at least. So as far as the calls, the way that Tom and, to an extent, Lee, who was not in the... No, excuse me, he was, like, nearby, but he wasn't able to, to see what was going on, and he was in the room because they kept him out of it. But based on what he's always said and what Tom had always said, Fuchsberg, whatever the hell was going on with him, kept... Taking breaks with the WWF lawyers and leaving Tom alone with the McMahons, or at least Vince, which I have no reason to doubt that story. And it sure makes you wonder what's going on with Felix Park, who was not the initial lawyer. The initial lawyer was Joseph Petura, who they just found in the yellow pages um, in, uh, in Utica. And they always said they regretted going away from him. Because he was the one who took those statements. He really seemed to know what he was doing. But, you know, we'll get more, we'll talk about now it can be told next time when Geraldo's producer got in touch with them and basically threatened to camp out on their lawn if they if Tom didn't agree to do an interview. Um, she ended up pushing on him that he needed a big city lawyer her boyfriend worked for a firm that had conflicts, so it couldn't be him. They directed him towards Fuchsburg, and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, and the other thing, though, is that Tom said basically he blurted out that it, you know, it wasn't about money. He just wanted to go back to work for WWF, which, you know, he would say later was the stupidest thing he ever said. It was not something that had even really been on his mind going back to work there. But he loved wrestling and et cetera. And yeah. So look, we're going to get a lot deeper into that as time goes on, especially once we get later in the spring and Lee and Tom have their split and Lee's going on all the radio shows. So we'll, we'll get to that then in part two or three or whatever. All right. Back to Dave. That's how Vince McMahon's been day one is the new and improved sincere Vince McMahon. Donahue staffers and panelists, including Bruno Sammartino, Meltzer and Hodgson. Why is Dave mentioning himself in that way? Uh, those who come forward to expose their from Donahue show were appalled to learn that one of the few people they had gone to bat for, Tom Cole, had not only been bought off by that man, but that the Dave had brought him to the show to flaunt him before the whistleblower's disbelieving eyes. Vintage McMahon. But the most disturbing about Monday's Donahue show was the look on me and the face of the adults in the audience. They looked amused by it all, as if they were watching a cartoon show and listening to the testimony of make-believe men. A story of midget wrestlers being blackballed from the WF because one of their own, the karate kid, refused the sexual advances of a WF exec, led chuckle to chuckles from the audience. 
But this story been about the Orioles, the Packers, or Green Bay, uh, uh, Green Bay Packers, or General Electric, no one would be laughing. It would only be the lead story among every news entity in this land. A congressional hearing following a drop everything FBI investigation would ensue. While those accusers continue to surface on a virtual daily basis, this story must no longer be left to the media to expose. State and federal legislators must see it through. Federal law enforcement agencies must act. If the FBI can go after Howard Spira, that's a name from the past, it can go after the WF. But as long as the day's real-life horrors are considered a laughing matter, no one's laughing louder than Vincent Mann. Talking about the, the people in the audience. I mean, again, that's what, it's wrestling. It's not serious to people, man. You know? But again, even then, though, like I said earlier, like the the fact that that woman could sit... It's one thing to go into it with that. It's one thing to even be part of the way through the episode with that. To go through an hour of that and then ask, but isn't wrestling fixed anyway, is still a bit much. That, well, Bix, wrestling fans are so deep inside the bubble that they can't understand that people that are not wrestling fans have... No, 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 I get that, but my point is, is that, my point is that woman who asked that question is not a serious person. You could say it, it... you could apply that to anything else. You could apply that. I mean, even just saying that it's wrestling, it's just that's. There are other people who ask stupid questions. There was the how many? What's the percentage of the homo, of homosexuals in the wrestling business guy? But it's still nowhere near as stupid and egregious as the question that closes the show. But anyway, again, 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 it doesn't. I mean, it, 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 as people's perception of wrestling that are not wrestling fans. So I just realized I don't know how this happened. The reason you were confused is that at some point when I was putting this together, I maybe it was late. Maybe it was getting lost in the weeds. I typed Dave instead of Phil. That was the continuation <laughs> and the end of Phil's column. So, Well, there we go. And we weren't going to re-record that because we still got a lot to get through. But <sighs> look, by and large, he's in the right here. It's – I don't understand why – he doesn't I – because, mean, again, the, the, the Phillips thing should have been the center of the article, and it's not. Um, that's what – I mean, that's what really sticks with me here. And this article really, and not just the Hannibal Lecter thing, also becomes really the biggest sticking point in the whole thing as far as the lawsuit, probably more than any other article. So I I don't think there's that much you can take to task with it, though, right? Once you get past the Hannibal Lecter thing, you know – now, that's the thing that sticks out, but that's uh, that's at the, at the beginning of the column. So you read that, and you're like, "Well, it's also not know. defamation, though. It's you know, it's it's some there's, you know, there's other things, but it's, it's also rhetoric. Phil Mushnick too. It's also Phil Mushnick. That's his too, style, who, and everybody and people knew that at the time, and that's why he's seen as more of entertainment. Yes, he's a columnist. Yeah, I mean you know, that's seen the thing as inter- too. Entertainment. Very, there, there's like only one story, one or two stories here. And I, th- I think, oh, I forget if it's the one the day after the Savage column comes out or the one where they're, the first one where they talk about the potential lawsuit before it. There is one that is run as news where him and Mike Shane are given the Cobine line, but everything else is in Mushnick's column. And so that's the thing. If it had been run by the normal, uh, news writers or whatever and not by him as a columnist it gets more traction yes now this one's a little different because it was 
front page of the sports section, but... But still, it's a column. Yes. And it's Phil Mushnick. Yes. <laughs> if it had been done by one of the main sports writers, then I tell you, it's treated differently. Yes. Now, all of that said, Chris said they should have a drop-dead federal investigation. What do you see here that I included that uh, we have from the next day? Federal investigator Anthony Valenti of the U.S. Attorney for the District, uh, Eastern District of New York left a message for Mushnick. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.